Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here this Saturday afternoon for Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History Herstory and True History Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings to one and all in this most interesting of times. We are here to do our ascension work. And thus, we shall begin begin as we go into our heart center. So going into the sacred portal of your heart, please connect to the center of your divinity. We call forth as we begin to merge with and integrate our soul, our higher self, our monad, our body, I am presence, and all of our multidimensional being through to our God presence, our goddess presence. See yourself in your magnificent pillar of light. It shines so brightly with the frequencies of white and gold and all the colors that we might personally Just bask in that energy as it moves in through and around you, anchoring your pillar directly from source into the heart of Mother Gaia. It's sparkling, it's scintillating in its colors, bringing such high frequency to yourself into the earth as we recommit ourselves to this work and affirm I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am an anchor for the new golden age. I am the open door that no one can shut. And thus we serve once again in this divine capacity and bringing heaven to earth. We call forth everyone to join us in unity consciousness to do the same. We do this through the I am presence level. So please affirm with me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child. I am one with the I am presence of all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And in this oneness, we invite in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, to receive all that we receive. We welcome our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families, our soul pots. And we welcome at this time 
for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, and all Ascended Master Healing Teams. We welcome our precious friends, our brothers and sisters from the Galactic Federation of Light, especially those healing teams that we work most closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus, and all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service both individually and collectively, as we call for the highest of ascension frequencies for one and all. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking our Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it in divine war for our being. We call in all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws and ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level, within every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc field, multidimensionally, through each person's own presence, the maximum that they can receive for both personal and planetary ascension. We call forth all those in our circle of support from the very first name that created it to each and every person, family member, loved one, pet, animal, each and every group and organization, corporation and business, each and every nation, every government, every government leader, each military, each and every situation that we've placed in the circle, each condition of life, each weather pattern, each and every event, each summit and meeting, everything going on on the planet we place in the circle of support. And we call forth all of the energy directed toward any of these world events and any of the events going on, including the 2-22-2022 portal that we just went through. We call in all of that energy directed to all of these February events into our collective cup of consciousness to truly, truly, truly transform the planet, to raise the consciousness, the highest 
that can be received by each individual in each moment according to their mighty I am presence. And again, we ask for the highest magnification as we call forth the entire company of heaven. We ask the Mother, Father, God, overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify all of this work 10 billion times, 10 billion fold in alignment with divine will and divine law. So as we call forth for the highest ascension frequencies, we call forth for divine intervention for all that is taking place upon the planet, especially in Ukraine. And we include all of Russia and all of Eastern Europe. And again, all that's going on across the planet. In the name of God, Goddess, and the great spirit of all life, we invoke the light of divine intervention to help shift the reflection of war and conflict in Ukraine and any other area of conflict across the planet. By and through universal law, we call into dynamic, immediate dynamic action. The spirit of the earth, the powers of nature, and the forces of the elements, the love and wisdom of the great master teachers, the legions of angels assisting earth's evolution, and the vast intelligence of the unified field. Come now and amplify our efforts to the maximum degree, guaranteeing all unfolds in right divine order. Sacred allies through our one group presence Pulse the mighty wave of transforming love through the collective heart of every soul on the planet, specifically every soul facing the challenges of war, conflict that is going on in Ukraine, inspiring the highest levels of coherence, compassion, and comfort. Divine love is blazing through every heart connected to this reflection. Join me in saying that. Let's put out that vision. Divine love is blazing through every heart connected to this reflection. Flood the higher minds of all people, fueling the appearance of war and conflict in the Ukraine. With the light of wisdom, bringing forth the profound peace and insight born of true understanding. And please affirm with me, divine wisdom is purifying every mind connected to this reflection. And I believe that includes all of us. Enliven every individual and group seeking to positively shift the circumstances around this conflict in Ukraine with the cosmic willpower to have the greatest possible impact. Let courage and inspired right action increase now. Divine will, join me in saying this, divine will is empowering your soul connected to reflection. 
Beloved, please open, expand, and revise the portals for all areas experiencing the effects of this conflict through these channels, trans constant stream of transforming energy that significantly uplifts and empowers every being affected by this circumstance. May this divine intervention and its containing matrix be made perishable, eternally sustained, all-powerfully active, and ever-expanding until the evolutionary plan is fulfilled for all life on Earth. With our deepest gratitude, it is done. And so it is. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We're going to call on the assistance of Archangel Michael and the Legions of Light. Know that as we call in the blue flame and the blue sword, we automatically call in at the same time the violet fire. The first ray of sapphire blue automatically invokes the violet ray and vice versa. Anytime you call in the violet ray or violet flame, it brings in the sapphire ray and cosmic blue flame. So we invoke them both now. In the name, love, wisdom, power, and authority of the beloved presence of God, Goddess, I am, blazing in my heart, and by the power of life's victory, now made manifest on earth, I invoke Archangel Michael and the legions of power and protection to come forth now. Beloved ones, descend into Washington, D.C., and the surrounding suburban areas. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free, every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free, every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, Cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. Encapsulate these energies in your cosmic circle of white lightning. Lift every electron of this negativity into the arms of divine grace. Instantly transmute it, cause, core, effect, record, and memory back into light. Beloved Archangel Michael, I ask that you now direct your legions of power and protection to expand this divine service into every state, city, town, and homestead, including every place of voting in the United States of America. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. 
with your sword of blue flame. Cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. Encapsulate these energies in your cosmic circle of white lightning. Lift every electron of this negativity into the arms of divine grace. Instantly transmute it, cause, core, effect, record, and memory back into light. Beloved ones, expand this divine service into every country, nation, city, province, town, and hamlet on earth. We begin with the city of Kiev. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. We call this forth for the city of Moscow. With your sword of blue flame. Cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. So we call it into the Ukraine, we call it into Russia, we call it into all of Eastern Europe and every single nation, every country, city, province, town, and hamlet on earth, we once again say, Lord Michael, with your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. With your sword of blue flame, cut free, cut free, cut free every force that is not of the light. Encapsulate these energies in your cosmic circle of white lightning. Lift every electron of negativity into the arms of divine grace. Instantly transmute it, cause, core, effect, record, and memory back into the light for every nation for every city, for every province, for every town and hamlet on this earth, every region across the planet. Beloved legions of light and the full authority of God's will on earth, I command that in every location where negativity was removed, the patterns of perfection for divine government shall be established now and forever. Through the presence of God, Goddess, I am. I ask for a special cosmic dispensation. Beloved Mother, Father, God, and the legions of light, throughout infinity, envelop Washington, D.C., the United States of America, the cities of Kiev and Moscow, the countries of Ukraine and Russia and every single country on the earth, envelop them all in the fiery embrace 
the flames of divine wisdom, transfiguring divine love, divine will, purity, and illumination until divine government and all of the infinite patterns of perfection associated with divine government and divine governance are firmly established in every country of the world. I make this invocation, this command, and this decree through the power of God, Goddess I am. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this. In the name of the almighty presence of God, Goddess I am, and through the creative fire pulsating in every heart, I now invoke the Goddess of Liberty the goddess of justice, the goddess of truth, the goddess of glory, the goddess of freedom, the goddess of victory, the silent watcher for Washington, D.C., beloved Columbia, and all of the mighty guardians and cosmic beings who dwell in the etheric complex over Washington, D.C. Blessed ones, come forth now and assist me with the most powerful cleansing activity humanity and the earth are capable of receiving during this cosmic moment. As one unified heart, I now invoke the fifth dimensional frequencies of the highest frequencies of the solar, crystalline, diamond, violet, transmuting flame of forgiveness and forgetfulness that we can receive individually and collectively now. Blaze, blaze, blaze the sacred violet fire in, through, and around all inharmonious actions, all lower human consciousness, and all obstructions of the light that I or any part of life have ever placed into the pathway of life's perfection. Through the cosmic divine power of forgiveness and forgetfulness, Transmute this discordant energy, cause, core, effect, record, remembrance, and memory, now and forever. Blaze and sustain the violet light of a thousand suns and the cosmic blue lightning of divine will, power, faith, and authority from the great, great central sun in, through, and around the President of the United States of America, all of his cabinets, the Justice Department, every member of the executive branch and their staff now and forever, the Senate and House of Representatives for the United States of America, all of the legislative branch and all of their staff members now and forever, the Supreme Court and all of the judicial branch all courts of law and all of their staff and all legal procedures now and forever. The United Nations and all of its members, all representatives and all staff now and forever. We call this forth for all world leaders and those associated with the governments of Earth at national, state, and local levels now and forever. I now accept this victoriously accomplished through the power of God, Goddess, I am. So be it, and so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. 
we give thanks for this. Just continue working with the violet flame. See it in through and around yourself and the planet. As we ask for the planet to be flooded with the violet fire now. In the name of the great I am. I call for the light of a thousand suns from the great central sun. Angels of violet fire, beloved Saint Germain. Beloved Zadkiel and Holy Amethyst, Amritas, ruler of the violet planet. In the name of God, Goddess, I am that I am. Saturate the earth and all of her evolution with limitless waves of violet fire. I call for the action of the violet transmuting flame and the action of the will of God to manifest on earth now and forever an ever-increasing spiral of divine perfection. I call for all conflict, discord, and all activities on earth that are not reflecting the highest light and our Mother, Father, God's holy purposes to be miraculously swept and transformed by the power of the violet flame into divine love and harmony for the restoration of earth and her people into their original blueprint of perfection that was originally intended. Violet flame, violet flame, oh violet flame. In the name of God, God has flooded the earth, her people, and all her kingdoms with oceans and oceans and oceans of violet fire until every particle of life is fully restored to divine perfection. May peace and love be spread throughout this earth. May the earth abide in the aura of perfect love. May the earth abide in an aura of peace, love, and freedom. I give thanks that this is done now according to God, Goddess's most holy will. So be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. We're going to use a prayer, very special prayer, from our friend Mary Ma, the Immaculate Concept World Prayer. I hold within my heart of hearts an, an earth of absolute peace unlimited abundance, and divinity. In this world of perfection, all beings are safe from dis-ease or harm. The sovereignty of each baby, child, teenager, woman, man, and elder is honored. All people, animals, and trees are safe from violence or abuse. Humanity's basic requirements of air, water, food, shelter, and clothing are generously met. Sharing naturally occurs. Each baby, each little girl and boy is deeply desired, loved, and cherished by both parents and is the port of spiritual community. No one is left alone, abandoned, or rejected. 
love is expressed between all people. We pray for each other because there is no separation or illusion. We are all one. An indivisible, peaceful family. Nothing to the contrary exists or has power. All humanity is awakened right now. The people have shifted in consciousness from mind to heart. Sharing love and generosity with each other. Nations are uplifted. Society is whole, creating perfect holograms, which express the new paradigm of heaven on earth. As one people, we are the great heart of love. As one heart, we all reflect and enshrine the heart of the Divine Mother, Father God, the heart of our Supreme Mother. This heart now enfolds all life, encompassing the whole planet. Inside this infinite and eternal love, all is. These truths we hold to be immaculate. So be it, so be it, so be it. All is well, all is well, all is well. Given to us by Mary, Divine Mother. And we give thanks for this. We're calling in the golden light of eternal peace and abundance. We see this energy filling every man, woman, and child, filling us individually and collectively, blessing us with divine grace, blessing us financially. Blessing us with gifts of every good. In the name of my beloved, I am presence and my beloved Holy Christ self. I call to the Lords of Manifestation. I call to the Angels of Prosperity, Fortuna, Goddess of Supply the Lord of Gold, to assist me now in mastering all outer conditions of my life in God's perfect way, including my true abundance. Charge, charge, charge into my life and use today all the blessings that are mine to receive. Infuse me with Ascended Master wisdom and purity but I may never again experience lack or limitation. Blaze your heart flame through my four body systems and expand without limit a great flow of divine abundance. Saturate me now with enough violet flame and emerald healing light to keep my life in perfect balance and harmony. I demand God, Goddess's invincible protection and wisdom in all of my endeavors, including all of my financial endeavors. I demand to become a magnet of attraction, drawing to me all the wealth that I require to fulfill my divine plan on earth, to make my ascension, and to assist 
all of humanity to do likewise. I give thanks that is done according to God Goddess's most holy will. I accept my abundance now with love and gratitude. So be it and so it is. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. And because we call this in for ourselves, we call this in for every man, woman, and child. As we say, beloved, mighty, victorious, I am presence. Beloved lords of manifestation, I call for the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood for your assistance and the release of the supply needed to fulfill my destiny here on earth with ease and grace and joy and without financial limitations of any kind. Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. We're going to say that two more times. So joining one heart with me, or repeating it if you wish, Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. Release, release, release your unlimited supply of money and every perfect gift into my life and into the lives of all those who are serving the light of Almighty God and fulfilling the divine plan on earth. I am the resurrection and the life of my ever-present and increasing supply from the heart of God, Goddess. I acknowledge my I am presence as my source for unlimited supply flowing through me in the service to the light. I am the master presence manifesting a constant flow of wealth into my life to produce the perfection needed to manifest my divine plan on earth in this life. I am the master presence directing and manifesting great abundance in my life including all the money I will ever need from the great storehouse of heaven. I give thanks and praise God that I have it now and that as I speak, my prayers are instantly answered. So be it and so it is. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. We now affirm our global unity and global peace. Once again, focus on the golden energy, the golden energy of eternal peace individually and collectively for all. Feel free to affirm after me as we hold this vision for ourselves, for the planet, for all humanity. Divine love is spreading exponentially 
through all countries, bringing joy and goodwill to all. Global peace arises as more people awaken to the truth of our oneness. The light of universal will is inspiring right human relations in all nations. I join with all other peace builders and radiating equanimity to every country to support a smooth transition into global unity. The hearts and minds of all people are shifting into greater harmony in every region and every community. I am seeing, feeling, and knowing love as the ultimate truth on earth. Through the light of grace, every atomic particle of precious life energy is now being raised and redeemed into the highest expression of right divine order. Humanity is swiftly birthing a new way of life, grounded in total adherence to spiritual principles. I am blazing the codes of unity and love outwardly to all expressions of life. The light of forgiveness is flowing through all groups all individuals, all governments, all militaries, and all citizens on earth. The abundant resources of our sacred planet are being shared equally amongst every resident, group, leader, and nation. Light love, and the power of will are restoring the divine plan on earth. All unnecessary suffering is ceasing now. Ecological harmony is rapidly unfolding in the biosphere. The prevailing attitude of goodwill is spreading like wildfire from nation to nation. All people on the planet proclaim, may peace prevail on earth. May peace prevail on earth. May peace prevail on earth. And also victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this.
And so, beloveds, I would ask you this week to hold the vision of heaven on earth. See the golden light of peace permeating in through and around every molecule of life, through each person and each nation. And I I thank you for joining me in divine service this afternoon, and I invite you to join us every Sunday and Monday night for further divine service. For the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call, teleconference calls that we begin 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We start with about 25 minutes of greetings, and then Tara and Rama come on and give us a brief update. At 9.30, we begin our ascension work, the actual work of manifesting heaven on earth. 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time. If you have not joined us, please do so and let us know that you found out about it from the Saturday program. The phone number, the main number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, that's area code 425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946 Seven four four one pound. Now there are additional numbers. There's international numbers. There's a way to get on through the computer. Contact me for that extra information. Please email me at Cheryl Croce at AOL.com. I'll spell that for you. That's C H E R Y L C R O C I at AOL.com. We'd love to have you as a regular to assist us with this work of anchoring heaven and bringing the new golden age to full fruition. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service here today. We want to take this moment to thank our friends Tarn Rama for their divine service throughout all these years. And of course, our dear friend Rainbird. Rainbird, we thank you for your service as well. This talking stick is just blazing, blazing, blazing with the sapphire blue, with the violet, with the white and the gold, with the golden light of peace, with the golden light of abundance. It is so radiant, so sparkling, just like we are. And of course, all of the synchronicities of every single kingdom are with us. The fairies are with us. The angels are with us. And the leprechauns are right here as well, waiting to share their pot of gold with us as we go up that that rainbow bridge of our chakras into our divine presence, all of the blessings of the kingdom of heaven are ours. 
So with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. Infinite blessings to one and all. Peace and envision heaven. Love heaven every day. It's all yours. Okay, I got it. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl, for your divine service. We're so grateful for you bringing us in each week in this good way. So, lots of gratitude. And I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are listening to support radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. So, um, this week is rent week, and um, our subscribers for that have that taken care of, but we have these bills that are due. And then also we have the commitment with DBS Radio, which is $300 each week, and that's what we need this week. So someone has pitched in and caught us up for last week, and uh, what we need this week is $300 now, and that needs to be in by Monday. So here's how we make a contribution to our account at BBS Radio. You just go to bbsradio.com. You click on Radio Station 2, or you can scroll down and see the menu for the Radio Station 2. The menu is what you're looking for, and you're looking for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, where our shows are listed at the 6 o'clock hour on Thursday, and night at the roundtable with the panel. You can click on that icon, and that'll take you directly to our account. And then at the 6 o'clock hour on Friday, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama is also at the 6 o'clock hour. You can click on that icon there, and that takes you to our account. The same is true with this program, The True History, History, and the Terror, and Galactic Origins with Tara and Rama. And that begins at the 1.30 hour. See, that's where you see that listed. Those icons just take you right to our account. So using your bank card, you can make a donation any amount. And we thank you for taking that action. We thank you for your generosity. And, um, yeah, so that's how, how that works. And so lots of gratitude um, that that happens in a timely way. And we're grateful for all your participation. And this is a good way to participate. So lots of gratitude. And then we're assisting Tara and Rama with their needs as well. And uh, this week, they, they need $500 for bills. And another 300 for living expenses. Um, so those bills are due this week, and that's critical that that happens in a good way. Um, and then, of course, they tend, they tend to eat every week, too. <laughs> so we like to be generous with those living expenses as well. So here's how we make a contribution to Tar and Rama. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, as you click on the menu grid, uh, you'll see the donate link listed near the bottom of that list. Click on that. That takes you to Rama's PayPal account. And there you can make a donation of any amount using your bank card. So thank you for your generosity and again. And also, if you have your own PayPal account, as you use Rama's PayPal email address, then that will allow you to access the friends and family option. That email for Rama at PayPal is Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. So you'll find your way using that. 
And uh, either way is perfect. We're grateful, grateful for all your ways of showing up and participating and in assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. So here's the, what you do after you send a contribution. You need to let Rama know. So you send him an email at his personal email address is Koran K O R A N nine 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 at Comcast dot net. So let them know what you sent when you sent it, and then also if you need the mailing address, it is as follows: Rom D Berkowitz, B E R K O W I T Z, and that's at Post Office Box two eight zero. Post Office Box two eighty, and that is in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. Zip code in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. Eight seven five six seven. Eight seven five six seven is the zip code. Okay, so there you go. You got it all. Um, and then the free mart address, as you wish to participate, is https colon forward slash forward slash then www dot shop free mart dot com forward slash T A R R A M. And if you're interested in the new Gen Coin, that email address for joining there um, under Tara and Rama is um I imagine it's HTTP at colon forward slash forward slash and then it's new gen and it's probably www.newgen, N-U-G-E-N, coin, C-O-I-N, dot com, forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. So there you have it. Work on your abundance. Work on your <laughs> um, bringing the peace. We're all in this together. We're so grateful to be in in this together. So... I'm passing this talking stick, and you know it's blazing with that sapphire blue, with the white and the gold for peace and abundance, and just all the kingdoms and the little people and the leprechauns are all there. So, lots of birds, lots of feathers, and lots of friends, uh, in and hoonies and gnomes and and hobbits along with the leprechaun. So greetings, Tarnama. Here comes the talking stick. Welcome. Oh, and 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Now I pass that talking stick. <laughs> thank you. Greetings, everyone. Thank you, Rainbird. <laughs> thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Rainbird. <laughs> thank you, Cheryl. We are so grateful for everyone. Help Yes. Um, yeah, that uh, inflation stuff is uh, 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 we'll just put extra light around that to level that thing out. And um, I got to talk to a sister of ours that I haven't spoken to for many moons. And um, she was wanting to know about Mr. Putin. <laughs> what? Nothing. 
You are laughing. It is a wild story with what's going on. And it is as complex and convoluted as Star Wars. I can say that because it involves <laughs> off-world beings, not just the ones here. Well, let's see. Can you give us a little background for where Putin came from? Because he made his way up the totem pole over there by being a part of the KGB. Yeah, and let's say when I was growing up, as we all were in the baby boomer generation, We were fed the lie about the big red threat. And the only big red threat is the story that's going on with the oligarchs and the fallen angels, both over here and over there. Well, that is a big threat. Yeah. And as people are not connected in with the higher beings of light... Or, let's put it this way, that, I mean, when you and I were growing up, Rama, no matter whether you had a Jewish background or a Christian background here, Catholic, um, uh, the, the whole idea was to get people immersed in religion and forget about the the divinity that we are, where the religion was that you were just a peon and you didn't have any brains and uh, you were a sinner. Right. And uh, so, therefore, you will have to serve some time somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this... uh this story we've been fed for the last 13,000 years is about the fallen matrix that is an extraterrestrial artificial intelligence and it is insidious it goes back to the fallen angels who uh, who had up the Holy, one holy Catholic apostolic church. Yes. <laughs> the Vatican. They invaded and occupied Earth, and it was at the very last remnants of the Orion War 13,000 years ago, and even before that. And. <laughs> well, the Orion War didn't. The Orion War kind of. <laughs> that was 6,000 years ago. Right. It's debatable because the carbon dating they're using, they're not telling the truth, the scientists, because Earth is much older than we're being told, like Graham Hancock talks about. Well, yeah, but there's science uh, we have found on the Internet that tells that story. Yes. That's just the problem that the oligarchs decided to teach in our school system. Yeah. As you uh, pursue, you can find these things. They're there. They are there. Yeah. Uh, yet Putin is not uh, 
Oh, well, as our brother Don described him so interestingly, he said he's a gangster. <laughs> he's pretty good at that. Yeah. Uh, and in 91 is when he started moving his way up through gangster land in a more serious way to power. Uh, <clears throat> yet he's been both and, and he's got a discipline that's beyond most people. He's still a, like a six-degree Don or something, and he does his... Uh, Jiu-jitsu and... All of the things he does, he does for two, about two and a half hours every morning from 4 o'clock in the morning or 4.30 in the morning until whatever he's done. Seven days a week. And then he gets started with his day. I'm just going to say that there's something to be said for all of this as to who he is. He's, he can be seen as the... Uh, Worst criminal you can figure out. And as you look deeper, you can see that he has a greater knowledge. I was keep on remembering that Prince Harry called up Rama some years ago. I can't even, five, six years ago now? I can't remember. Or more. And he just told Rama that he's been spending many a visit with, with Putin as he was... <clears throat> you know, in the military in Afghanistan, uh, when he got his breaks, he would go and visit Putin in Moscow. And he would sit for, for hours and hours and days. And Putin would tell him stories that go back to the fact that, and Prince Harry's the one that first told us this, that <clears throat> Putin's been around for 500 years. He's an immortal. And, yes, he is. Since and, the time of Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler. Well, that was Dracula. Saint Germain. Yes, Saint Germain. Yes. But the point we're making is that, and Saint Germain, he was Saint Germain's right hand man. Yes. Uh, where? When was that? Um, fourteen hundreds when in uh, France Prince, Prince Vlad uh, fought the Ottoman Turks that were invading Romania, Transylvania. Okay, <clears throat> all right. A really good movie that describes this. It's a love story, and it's kind of um. Kind of scary and at the same time sci-fi. It's called Dracula Untold. You can watch it on YouTube. It's really cool. It's a different version than the Bram Stoker version of Dracula. And tell me what's the difference, Rama? Um, it shows the political intrigue that Vlad had to deal with, with the church and with the people that surrounded him and the Ottoman Empire that was invading and apparently in a certain point they actually kidnapped Vlad's son, the Turks and they wanted to turn him into a soldier against Vlad and somehow on a ransom or something was arranged and Vlad got his son back 
and it was a, a strange sort of story. Yet it's it's about um, in the sense power without love does not solve anything. Love is the answer. Let's just say that the part of his life that Prince Harry learned is not public knowledge. No. Yet it's a very, uh, very evolved soul in there. Let's put yes. it that way. And he made a choice to get into the darkness of Mother Russia and bring it to the light. Yeah. And that's pretty much what St. Germain said in most of his incarnations as well. St. Germain is notorious for doing that. He is a wild man, as we've been told many times. Yeah, he'd go right into the darkest of dark and bring it back to the light. And you might say that we're there now for yeah. all of us. We are yeah. sitting in the darkest of dark moments of of this... Uh, old saga, old paradigm that's still hanging on by their fingernails. Yet, um, I mean, Rama got to talk to Prince Harry for a number of visits for quite a long time, and he would tell him stuff. Yes. Uh, so there's uh, just the basic knowledge is that He's dealing with the oligarchs, and he's dealing with the light, the Andromedans. So this situation where the first strike that he made had no intentions of killing anyone. and I mean, a few people might have been in the wrong place, and they ended up not there. All he did was he, he targeted the military bases where the United States military arsenal that got into those bases with a little help from their black ops. He targeted every single one of them and blew them all up. And I don't condone war. War does not solve anything. It's not a war. It's not yeah. a war. We were told that. That's not, that's not what's going on. What he did is he blew up what was going to be a very not so good thing is that all that military hardware was scheduled to murder Ukrainians and 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 Russians alike. We have been told for many weeks they have been playing around with trying to create incidents and of course the Ukraine would blame Russia and at the same time um, even though we don't have actual boots on the ground, we are up to our crown chakras in this mess. And it is about this fiat money system called SWIFT and the fractionalized banking that doesn't solve anything because it's all based on empty air. And... That is being exposed. The United States is $21 trillion in debt. 
Excuse me? You can pile up $100 bills to the moon and back and you still won't get $21 trillion. You won't even get a trillion dollars. Oh, my God. What's going on here? Uh, we have a great debt to the world. Yes. And that's the point. We change our attitude, start with our attitude. And I always remember what Cynthia Rose Young Slosser told us years ago. She said, praise is the highest form of love there is. Find something to praise about everyone. I don't, it matters not what the notoriety of what they did. Murderers, everything. Find something to praise about everyone. Touch the heart. Yes. And that opens the door. It does. And there isn't anything else except love and praise is the highest form of love. That's yeah, when, very key. As I was watching the dramas unfold with this empire, as we were watching the escalation of the Vietnam War, I chose to go visit Mother Teresa and Sai Baba instead of going to Vietnam, like all my high school friends did. Most of them are not here. So, blaze the violet fire. Love is the answer. That's true for the kids in my classes from grammar school and high school. Most of them are not alive. No. Whole generation of boys in particular. And then girls joined a lot too, but not, not like the boys at that time. But, um, so Putin is a master. And as you don't know about that part of him, he's the devil himself. But he was successful in blowing up all the military hardware that the United States thought that, uh, and that was paid for by the United States people's tax dollars. We don't know how much, but it's not a nice thing to know. And again, the mass, the masses, the majority of humanity want peace. That's a place that we have reached. 470 Russians have been arrested for protesting outside Moscow. Well, that's the rule, Sam. Yeah. That's got to do with the oligarchs. Yes, And it that's does. the other point to make is that um, it's just like what's when Barack and... Michelle were in office. If Barack didn't do certain things as ordered up by Ms. Hillary Clinton, who is in bed with the hologram called Henry Kissinger. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. The power of love supersedes everything. And yet the oligarchs are not going to go easily, as we would say. No. So there's, I think there's at least 3,000 Russians that are dead in Ukraine. 
And I can neither and confirm or thing. deny that that's happened. What I can say is that this is a larger story about both sides need to stop the escalation in violence and talk. That's the answer, simply. It is. Uh, uh, there is intervention going on because they won't. Yes. They, they, you know, that song, We Won't Back Down, well, the dark side won't back down either. No. And it takes somebody like maybe my father who art in heaven Captain Astart has settled the score, and as of this afternoon, I talked to Rosa from Palestine, and she lives in the largest open-air prison on the planet called uh, <laughs> Gaza, and it is not pretty. It looks like some of the bond-out buildings in Kiev and Aleppo and other places across the planet and every day the ships come over Ramallah and Gaza and other parts of Palestine slash Israel and Syria and Jordan and that whole area and the IDF knows, yet they can't shoot the ships down. And it's interesting. I remember back when Bob Dean was talking on the various YouTubes, and he said NATO in Europe tried to shoot down the ETs, and some got captured and shot down, some didn't. But NATO is not a good energy on planet Earth at this time. The Cold War, you know, is over. And um, the idea of threatening each other with nukes, this is where my father and the entire company of heaven have said, no, we will not allow this planet to be destroyed. Shall I read exactly what you got told? Yeah. Uh, okay. This is the report from what Rama learned as he told me it. I wrote it down and it says here, I received a call from Rosa from Palestine at 12.35 p.m. early this afternoon. She said to me, Lord Rama, I live as Rama was just saying, in the largest open-air prison on the planet. I know what it is like to live with war day to day. There is light at the end of this tunnel. The Mahdi, Lord Maitreya, is here. We say no to war. There are miracles happening every day in Sheikh in Sheikh uh, Jarrah's neighborhood, which is in East Jerusalem, uh, 
It's the Palestinian neighborhood located in East Jerusalem. So if there's miracles going on there where they're killing them every day too. Uh, yes. Gratitude with that attitude and praise every day for how fortunate we all are where we live. The starships are here fully decloaked all the time. Stay in the high heart even though it is challenging. Satnam, namaste, blaze the violet fire. So, Putin's story is not over. He's an immortal. He's been around for 500 years. And I don't think he's going anywhere. We'll see what happens. And uh, the idea of being immortal is not something that is uh, rare. These days, there's more and more people that have recognized that fact. And there are more and more people that are, you know, hundreds of years old, thousands of years old, walking around here who have figured it out. Yeah. Rama hasn't seen Leonardo for a while, but she's 20,000 years old. Yes. And she doesn't look a day over between 40 and 50, somewhere in there. Yeah. So, and there is a holographic library underneath the New Mexico library. Um, just across the, the, uh, the road from where we used to live. And Rama's been there. And, uh, and Leonara has access to that holographic library too. And, uh, Rama's been there too. She's he's seen yeah. the holographic library. It's um, records all the way back to ancient Mu, where you can actually watch real time people living back then, even though the technology wasn't known in that day, except for rare beings like Leonara. Yeah. So there's much more to come <clears throat> and patience is still a virtue and what do we want to do next, Rama? Um, we, we do have, um, yeah, I think we should play this John Austin thing first though. Okay. Um, we don't know exactly when the SARS getting enacted yet. Micah sent something to Rama here. It's a new webinar for the uh, new gen uh, coin. Uh, come May, they're going. To, I think they're 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 putting it. They're projecting in May they're going to go public with it. And what we're doing is we're suggesting we had a little conversation about this on our little conference calls, breaks. And uh, it would be really good. You just put a minimum of $50 in there. And then you just let it sit like 18 months. You know, leave it alone. And, and 18 months goes by in a twinkling of an eye. It's that quick, the energies these days. Yes. 
and, and and they have five different coins with five different purposes that you can translate those uh, coins into to do things with the environment, with the air, with the water, with the soil. Uh, uh, there's uh, Mike alluded to them. I don't have this in front of me, but um, I think we should play this and and get involved so that it's beginning to shift our our uh, uh, consciousness into Nasara's ways through this program. And it cannot be, you cannot lose money in this one. It's completely not connected with Bitcoin and all those things that you can lose overnight or you can lose in a minute. No losing anything. And it's fully back. There's a... I, I just know I can describe this human being that has mucho money, billions. And so that person is anchored with the backup there. So um, we can start doing a group conscious thing about how we're going to uh, use the funds. And uh, let's listen to John. Let's just listen to John. He'll explain it. This is a new one. We played one a couple weeks ago, but this is a new one. So let's do that first. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to our NewGen webinar. My name is John Austin. I'm one of the founders and co-owners of NewGen Coin, and it's certainly gratifying to see so many people here with us today. Before we start, I need to give a disclaimer. We are not investment advisors, and we make no guarantees of income. And certainly, there can be risks with anything we do in life, because none of us know for sure what will happen tomorrow. So my advice to everyone is to never risk more than you can afford to lose. And with that being said, let's dive right in and get started. We're talking about a relatively new cryptocurrency called New Gen Coin. And for those who may be new to cryptocurrency, you are on the right webinar because cryptocurrency is what you will one day use to buy gasoline and groceries and pretty much everything else. Bitcoin was the first cryptocurrency, and it went from zero to a trillion dollars faster than anything before it, and it created more millionaires and billionaires than any other industry. It also gave us the blockchain and started the greatest transfer of wealth in the history of the world. In 2010, a friend of mine kept telling me to buy Bitcoin. It was selling for five cents at that time, but I failed to see the future of it, and I found other uses for my money. The interesting thing is, I never had another chance to buy Bitcoin at five cents again. I finally started buying some in 2015, but by that time it had soared to $300 per coin, making each dollar invested in 2010 worth $6,000 just five years later. In 2021, Bitcoin had climbed to $60,000 making $1 now worth $1.2 million. And there are people now predicting that Bitcoin could reach $130,000 to $160,000 by the end of 2022, and it probably will. Mm. 
So what can we take away from this? Every day that you procrastinate buying a new gen coin, you run the risk of paying a higher price later on. So why would you want to acquire a new gen coin right now as opposed to Bitcoin? What makes new gen coin any different from any other cryptocurrency opportunities? Number one, new gen coin is not just a, co a coin. We are a community. You can find us at newgencommunity.com. We have five crypto coins and a nutrition company. And when you refer someone to our community using your personalized link, you can profit financially from all of our companies when anyone you refer purchases something from any one of them. Number two, we will soon have our own currency exchange, which will back our new gen coin and add value to it. To show you how powerful this can be, another currency exchange called Coinbase just announced that they are worth $4 billion. I believe that new gen exchange will also be a multi-billion dollar exchange one day, which will add a lot of value to both our new gen coin and to our members. Number three, my vision for new gen coin is to have a coin that will be used internationally and universally to buy all kinds of goods and services. Also, I see it replacing the need for merchant accounts, for banks, and money transfer services. Number four, new gen coin will be a gateway between our exchange and other currency exchanges. People will be able to buy new gen coin on any number of exchanges, but they will only be able to buy our other four coins on our exchange, and they will have to use new gen coins to purchase them with. Number five, why will people want to buy our other four coins? Because they're all backed by real assets. Do you see other cryptocurrencies backed by assets? I don't. Other cryptocurrencies are much like our paper dollars that have no actual value. Imagine a bank in the United States backing all of its dollars with gold. Everybody who heard about it would be lining up to open a bank account there. That's a no-brainer, right? So don't you think that people who buy cryptocurrency would rather have it backed by assets as well? Again, that's a no-brainer. Right now, there are over 100 million people using cryptocurrencies, and I believe that a majority of those folks will soon be buying our five coins, which will also draw a majority of crypto buyers and sellers to our exchange. Number six, we are currently working on a $600 million real estate project that will back our realty coin. What will happen each time we make a public announcement about one of our new projects? People will scramble to get more of our coins knowing that the price is about ready to skyrocket. Number seven, we are also getting farmland and we're building a hemp processing plant that will produce $43 million worth of finished product each month. And we already have contracts to sell all that we can produce. And our plan is to build 70 more such plants in Canada alone once our first plant is finished. Not only that, hemp can replace paper and cardboard products so we can stop cutting down all of our forests. Hemp biofuel can meet a lot of our need for gasoline and diesel. 
Hemp is also eco-friendlier than cotton, and it can be used to make textiles. Hemp can also make medicines and food for both animals and humans. It can even be used for building materials, and it is a sustainable agriculture that does not need earth-polluting chemicals to make it grow. In fact, growing hemp removes harmful chemicals from the soil and excess carbon from the air, which makes it very eco-friendly. So our plan is to get heavily involved with a number of hemp industries because hemp by itself will be a trillion-dollar market. Number eight, we are also moving forward with our energy technologies whereby we can make potable drinking water out of seawater. We're running out of drinking water, and water will be the new gold. And we can produce all that is needed. Not only that, but our same technology produces enough electricity at the same time to power entire cities, and it produces hydrogen and oxygen at one-tenth the current cost of production. Hydrogen can be used to power almost anything, which means we will be producing an affordable source of pollution-free combustible fuel. The oxygen we produce can be used for medical and industrial purposes at a greatly reduced cost. And while we're uh, doing all of these things, we are cleaning up the air and removing large quantities of harmful carbon that is put there by motor vehicles, coal-burning plants, and other industries. In addition to that, we have a new type of battery that can be used for many purposes, including running electric cars. Production of our battery does not destroy the earth like the current lithium batteries do. Not only that, it is cheaper to produce. It lasts longer than even a Tesla battery, and it charges much faster, and we are currently moving forward on our first battery manufacturing plant in Singapore. With so many eco-friendly technologies backing our energy coin, I wouldn't be surprised to see it become our most sought-after and valuable coin. New gen pre-sale contracts increase the number of your coins by 0.35% compounded daily. A pre-sale contract will produce nearly seven times the number of coins that you paid for over the term of 18 months. And finally, New gen is the only crypto company with live customer service. So let's talk about how you can participate. It's called a pre-sale contract. This is a way to acquire new gen coins before they go live on the exchange. These coins are locked into a time release contract in order to have them compound and increase in number through a process called staking. There's another way you can get new gen coins, which we'll talk about a little, a little, a little later. But upon opening a pre-sale contract, your new gen coins will immediately begin to increase in number at the rate of 0.35% compounded daily, which totals 578% over a period of 18 months, which is nearly seven times the number of coins that you paid for. And for a limited time only, when you purchase a new gen pre-sale contract, you will receive an additional 10% of your purchase in new gen coins. Also, 10% of your purchase in free realty coins and hemp coins oxygen coins, and energy coins. That is 150% value for each dollar spent. In fact, 
The only way you can currently get any of our other four coins is through our 10% bonus uh, when getting new gen coins. Not only that, but the free bonus coins that you're currently getting when purchasing our new gen coin are also increasing in number at the rate of 0.35% compounded daily. Folks, there has never been such a generous offer as what we are giving people today who are getting our new gen coins. And do you see why the value of our coins could increase at record rates? New Gen members can earn additional free bonus coins by actively referring others to attend our webinars. And they don't have to purchase something in order to earn rewards. For example, if you were to refer someone who purchases 10,000 New Gen coins, you would receive 1,000 free bonus coins. These coins can either be withdrawn as cash or converted into a pre-sale contract. What this means, folks, is you can withdraw part of your earnings as cash and what you don't need right now, uh, you, you can uh, withdraw in order to put bread and butter on the table. So uh, you, can, you can either withdraw the money or it can be converted to coins in a pre-sale contract and start increasing by 0.35% daily. And for those who prefer not to refer others, they can still earn passive income by simply opening a pre-sale contract and they can watch their coins increase in number daily. We also have another way for folks who do not have a lot of money to grow their nest egg of coins, and that is our new gen matrix. This could actually be the faster track to a million to millionaire status for people who get out and hustle. Of course, we make no guarantees, only time will tell. Our new gen matrix is a follow me plan consisting of you and six other people. There have been a number of such plans throughout the years, but this is perhaps the first two by two matrix ever created whereby nobody gets hurt. Because you get 100% value in new gen coins for every dollar spent. And since they are projected to increase greatly in value, this is win-win for everybody. Not only that, but with this plan, you can earn unlimited new gen coins with very little money out of pocket, but only if you're willing to actively invite people to this webinar. In other words, there is no benefit for someone to join a two-by-two two matrix who is not going to actively refer others. Such individuals are better off getting one of our staking contracts. So we have five different matrices, and you must join each one in order to profit therefrom. The first one starts at 43.75, which makes it possible for almost anyone to participate. For your purchase, you receive new gen coins at the current price. Then you need to refer at least one person in order to profit financially from the matrix. If you look to the right, you will earn $25 from each of the four persons who land on the second level of your matrix for a total reward of $100. And when that matrix is full, with a total of six people, the company will pay your re-entry fee into a new matrix in the first available spot of your sponsor's matrix. And we will also give you $43.75 worth of new gen coins. Not only that, but when any of your personal referrals completes a matrix, you will earn an additional $20 bonus 
and the company will pay their re-entry fee into your newest matrix, which will help you to cycle over and over again, receiving the same rewards each time that you complete a new matrix. The 8750 matrix works the same way, except the numbers are just double of what you received from the 4375 matrix. Again, the numbers double with the $175 matrix, and again with the $350 matrix, and then again with the $700 matrix. So we have a total of five matrices, and like I said, you have to join each one in order to profit from each one of them. However, they are structured in such a way that a person who only has enough money to start at 4375 can earn enough money in each matrix to leverage themselves up to the next one until they're cycling through all five matrices. And for those who can find a way to do it, the best place to start is at the top with all five matrices for only 1356.25, where you will receive your entire purchase price in new gen coins, and then you'll be qualified to earn money in all five matrices as long as you refer someone in each of the matrices. Obviously, the fastest way to earn money in all five of the matrices is to refer others who can also enter at the top with 1356.25. We now have groups of people who are doing that, and some of them are in profit within the first couple of days. As you can see, you'll earn $3,100 each time that you cycle through all five of the matrices, plus a free re-entry and 1,356.25 worth of new gen coins, and you will also earn $620 for each of your personal referrals that cycles through all five of the matrices. Now, when I said earlier that this could be your fast track to becoming a millionaire, we have a number of people who are already well on their way. So we've come to the end of our presentation and although I'm not allowed to advise you what to do, I can tell you what I've done. I put all of my liquid assets into new gen coin. But in doing so, I didn't compromise my future. I also invited family members to join. And I certainly wouldn't do that if I thought they would be at risk. Again, I don't have a crystal clear view into the future. But based upon what I do know, I wouldn't hesitate to tell anyone to get what you can reasonably afford while the price is still low. Do not put yourself or your family at risk. Be prudent in what you decide to do. But at the same time, don't procrastinate because more, more likely than not, you will end up being sorry. And with that, let me invite you to join by getting back with the person who told you about New Gen. They will either give you a link where they will put you in touch with our customer service who will gladly help you get started. So again, thank you for watching. God bless, and I hope to see you on our next webinar. And do invite some of your friends. Hmm. Um... Go explore new gen coin. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
Okay. Was taking a vitamin, everybody. Thank you for your patience. Um, I think this is a good modus operandi. Uh, again, it stays in there. Uh, they suggest 18 months, I think, that you sign it in. Uh, so, and it won't go anywhere. It's, it's going to be a system that continues to work. And the motivation is to use the money for what's necessary for the planet to get transformed and ourselves. Uh, it's a win-win situation here. It's not about, not about, uh, uh, greed and avarice and all of the things that go with the old program. And uh, there's a lot of joy in this win-win situation. And we're not playing competition or working with cooperation. So um, thank you, Rama, for playing that and where should we go from here? Should we start with our sister? Um, um, did Amanda. Yeah. This is Amanda Ellis uh, talking with Ashtar, Joan of Arc, Metatron, Mary Magdalene, and Joseph, the father of Yeshu. And tell people a little bit about Amanda. Oh, she's from the UK, and uh, she uses series of different uh, tarot decks and what she gets on the higher realms. And astrology. Yeah. And a number of, and numerology, too. She's multiply talented in the uh, esoteric arts. And so and this she is... Yes, Rainbow. You got to say that louder. I didn't hear that. What did you say? I'm sorry to interrupt. She she works with Metatron, channels Metatron and Jesus. Well, she channels a lot of all these others too, but Metatron is her main person. Oh, Metatron is her main connection. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yes. All right. Thank you. That's a good one. Metatron is the main connection in the Keys of Enoch as well, just to give people a, a, a level of awareness of the teachings. Okay. Thank you, Rainbird. That's very important. All right. Let's begin. This is one hour and 27 minutes. 27 minutes. Here we go. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? This is Amanda. I hope that you're well. So where are we? Today is the 18th of February, and I'm going to be doing a video today, um, which is a bit different in nature. I like to shake things up a bit. You know I do. Um, 
I was feeling the presence of Commander Ashtar in particular this morning. You might be able to tell by my top. I honestly can't make this stuff up. I stuck it on and I was thinking, I feel Ashtar. This is such an Ashtar top. Do you not think? I I think it is. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we're going to bring his energy in. And let's just say at the outset before we get the comments, no, Commander Ashtar is not a PSYOP. No, he's not false light. The Galactic Federation of Light are not false light either. There's so much stuff out there at the moment. If it resonates with you, great. But, you know, I know what I'm tuning into and it is of the highest vibration of love and light. Also, it's interesting, I've put my cross on today, which I don't normally wear, although actually it's my daughter. She didn't want it anymore. And I thought, I'll have that. And it goes perfectly with this top because also the Christ light is very much linked into the whole galactic uh, light as well. There is no separation. We love to cause division as human beings, but uh, the higher realms just all work together anyway. So, yes, I'm going to be using a deck that's called the, the First Light Tarot, and it's a bit special. It was created by a lady called Dina Rosebury. I have worked with it a couple of times before. And um, shout out to Dina. She gave me my big break and got my uh, Metatron deck published. So I'm always indebted to her. But yeah, this is her deck. And uh, why I like using it is that it has question cards in it. So I have laid out about, I don't know, 15 questions here. And now we're going to pull cards to answer those questions. So as an example... We are, I've got a card for the recent past. We'll pull a card on what that looks like. We have a card for the, we have a, um, a question in terms of let's have a look at the present. And I'm really talking about timeline here. What is the present timeline that we are on? Um, why is this happening? Okay. Why, <laughs> why is this happening? This particular timeline? Um, what are the obstacles? And the variables that are affecting where we are at as a species at the moment. Can you see why I think Ashtar is quite important? Because he brings in such a high vision of why why humanity have chosen what they're going through right now. What strategy can we employ that is going to help us? Um, who may be hurt? Who may help? What are the positive surroundings? What should we do? A personal message for us. Um, a look at the future, obviously. But also the thing I like about this deck is it has two wild cards. So things that we can't quite see coming. And I am picking up the energy of Uranus, the planet Uranus in particular, bringing in the unexpected. So I think we're just going to dive into this and have a bit of fun. So grab yourself a cup of coffee, if that's what you want to do. And um, let's shake it up a bit, shall we? Let's shake it up a bit. Right, let's start then with the recent past. Let's start with the recent past. I've got a number of different decks that I'm going to be using for this as well. But firstly, let's just bring Ashtar energy through using the Ashtar spray that we sell. <laughs> What I'm feeling from the Ashtar energy today is just a really safe pair of hands. Um, and even the way that I'm doing this reading today is very structured, which, as you know, is often how I don't do things. But it's as though the Ashtar energy is wanting to bring in structure to help us. 
and definitely just this safety. I've got a real sensation that's going down both arms um, in terms of we've got you, we've got you. And I believe this, I've always believed this about the galactic energy, that they are there to help us, not hinder us. They are there to help support our growth as a species. We are just one species in a huge a huge universe um, that the likes of Ashtar help. And they never step in and do it for us, but they just encourage us onto the highest timeline. Let's have a look at the past energy. Um, and let's just go for a, a tarot to start with. Okay, let's just have a look at a tarot energy for the past. Where have we been in the past? The sun, the card of freedom. That's really interesting that that comes up in a past position. Um, now, don't worry. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be free again. It just is saying that in the past, things were freer. Uh, we have the card of the sun, and it's to do with free-spirited nature and innocence. So from this, I'm taking the fact that Ashtar is trying to say to us, I'm hearing ignorance was bliss. <laughs> Although, of course, ignorance is not conducive to soul growth. But as a species, we have been ignorant for a long, long time. In terms of the wider workings of the world, the darkness that has always persisted, and it's as though we've had a false sense of freedom. We've been allowed freedom, but only on the terms that were agreed. Now, let's not make any mistake about it. Right now, many of us would like to maybe go back to the sense of freedom that we had five years ago. But also remember, there are many people watching this from many different countries who've never had the taste of freedom that we had even five years ago. So I'm going to states such as North Korea, parts of China, etc. So freedom is subjective. What is one person's freedom isn't another person's freedom. But we've definitely got it in a past position. But I'm also feeling as though ignorance was bliss. We felt free-spirited um, and it was a more innocent age because what is coming up now, and we know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, if you're on an ascension and an awakening path. What is coming up now is that we are having to grow up and mature as a species. And it's sometimes not pretty. It's not easy. There is, I always call it the syndrome of just wanting to put the duvet over your head again. You know, let's just go back to sleep. It was easier in some respects. This is shadow talking. The shadow side of humanity, even those that are awake, would say it might have been easier sometimes to not know what we know now. Okay. And here I'm talking about the darker side of our world, the, um, the exposure of much that is coming up to be exposed and will continue. So recent past, we have the energy of the sun and freedom. But interestingly, I also think this is linked into, it's really going back into the past in terms of almost like the energy of the Big Bang type thing. Because I noticed, I've got a diary here that I use, which is the Wee Moon 
Gaia Rhythms for Women diary. Anyway, a shout out. Occasionally I read poetry from this. And there's a very short little poem in here which caught my eye today. Just as I was about to sit down and make this video. And it's called Universe Wishes. And it completely ties into what I'm trying to express here. Which is the second quality of this card in terms of go way way back to the start when the universe was created you know we were all created from um uh explosions of sorts uh, okay so the thing says it says infinitely comforted to learn as the white dwarf star nears the end of its billions of years lifespan it sends out carbon seeds on a stellar wind to create new stars, new life, humble and majestic as a dandelion seed head, lofting its progeny into a friendly meadow breeze. The vast incomprehensibility of the universe, made familiar as a child making wishes on a puff of dandelion seeds. That poem was written by Shelley Blooms in 2020, so shout out to her. Let me just read that final line. Made familiar as a child making wishes on a puff of dandelion seeds. Have that image in your head at the moment of the creator, but also we are aspects of the creator. We are the creator. We had a childlike innocence of just the dandelion blowing it, creating planets, creating stars, creating what we have now. But it feels as though it's still a beautiful universe and it, and it will become even more so. But we're having to face the uglier side of it. Okay. Also, it feels as though there are new stars being birthed, um, new systems being birthed. Now, I'm no astrophysicist. Okay. So I'm not even professing to try and get my head around that. But this is what um, Ashtar is saying to me that as we sit here now, um, there are new star systems being born of which we cannot even imagine. Um, so, and he's, he's wanting to take us back to that, the, the cusp of evolution, the cusp of birth into the new, because the universe constantly is rebirthing itself. And how many times have we heard this? But then we get stuck at a very human level in our density and our heaviness and our fear. And we forget how the universe is always recreating itself all of the time. So um, that's a positive thing. You know, we can recreate, we can renew, we can regenerate. Whatever timeline we're on now, even if it's dense and heavy and we're stuck at a particular point, we can change it like the child with a puff, the blow of the dandelion seed. Uh, we can send out the messages and the intentions that we need uh, and we want to see in the future. Okay, so let's have a look at the present energy then. So if the sun and freedom was in the past, hold on, it's about five, just going out there. Let's see what we get for the present. Now I might pull other cards to go with this, but let's just see what we get from this deck. So present, present timeline. Show me the energy of the present timeline that we're currently on, please. It was interesting. I just dropped a card. I was like, oh, I wanted that one. And it went back into the deck. So before I even look at what this is, there's an energy here about dropping the ball. Um, and that might make more sense in a moment. <laughs> it makes total sense because we've got the energy of lovers, which is the card of choice. It's the card of choice. Um, we have a choice 
whether we, and I'm sorry, that card's also poking out, so I'm going to take that one as well, which is the hanged man. We have a choice in terms of whether we drop the ball and we go into the highest timeline that is possible, that many of us want, that many of us are seeking, that many of us are trying to manifest in, or whether we, I don't know, we get distracted by something, we'll look at what the energy is that's trying to do that. So I'm hearing we could drop the ball if we're not careful. Um, because right now, the timeline that we're on, we're literally at the cusp of choice. We are absolutely at the cusp of choice. And we're at tipping point in terms of will enough wake up to manifest the new earth that we wish to see in the next 100 years, 200 years, okay? Because the truth is it's always going to manifest. It's just the time in which it takes. Right now, there is an opportunity for fast-tracked acceleration and growth and evolution of the human species. But are we going to drop the ball? Um Let's hope not. Okay. We also get the card of the hanged man, which is to do with transition, turning points and decisions. Um, has to also be said that the lover's card, of course, has another, um, there's another way that you can read this, which is it feels like a nod to love. It talks about matters of the heart. It actually says union, which makes me think of the twin flame energy. Now, I know some people poo-poo the twin flame energy and don't understand it. But for those of us that do truly understand the twin flame energy, um, we understand the importance of breakthrough for couples who are meant to be together, to come together, to help birth this and stabilize the new paradigm that wishes to come in. Um because the twin flame energy is about unconditional love. And usually you go through the ringer before you get to any state of union. And the state of union, of course, is within yourself first, before it might manifest in terms of actually a relationship on the ground. So when I'm talking about twin flame union, I'm talking about the union within ourself as well. The complete balance of masculine and feminine is very important right now. And it's like, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? Um, and increasingly, we're being shown examples in our worlds of um, very dysfunctional patriarchal energy, as well as beautiful divine masculine energy. In the same way, and increasingly, we're going to be seeing examples of dysfunctional divine, uh, sorry, dysfunctional feminine energy based on the need for control or based on the need for, um, what am I wanting to say? I'm guessing the energy of, um, some women aren't going to like me saying this, but the energy of victimhood. And by that, I'm talking about the energy of, I need a man, okay? I need a man to be able to cope. I need a partner to be able to, whatever, all of that. Because ultimately, sovereignty is being able to um, stand on our own two feet, whether we're male, whether we're female. If you get the partner coming in, they're icing on the cake. They are one and one make three, not one and one make two clinging on to each other. This is hard stuff. You know, most of us have got aspects of codependency and certainly victimhood within us because it's an archetype of the human species. 
But right now, this lover's cup of the hanged man is it's just asking us to pause. And it's saying, are, this is almost like Ashtar speaking. This is what I'm feeling. It's like this, this voice that's coming through me is coming from a much higher place. It's like saying, are, is humanity going to choose to do the work? Is it going to do it or is it not? There's a choice. But um, we are having a pause. So that's the present energy. Um, let's just carry on. And then I think I might add more cards as we go. Why is this happening? Okay. Why is this happening? I'm not even going to elaborate on what that question means. Let's just go with whatever wants to come through. So Ashtar, why is this happening? We once had freedom or greater freedom. We once had greater innocence. We're now at a crossroads having to decide what we want. Sorry, that's three cards that just fallen out. It's too many. Just one. Why is this happening? Justice. The card of justice. Um, justice has to happen. And it's based on the fact that we now have increasingly firm evidence in front of our faces as to some of the things that have been going on in our world for millennia. And there are verdicts coming in on all of this. And we're having to use our rational analytical mind to sift through this evidence. Um, but I'm feeling this is planetary justice. OK, so again, from Ashtar's perspective, this is planetary justice. It's as though he's looking down on Earth and humankind and saying, OK, which way are you going to choose? But you're going to be presented with more and more evidence that is in your face of the imbalance, because it's not just about them over there that have done wrong, because they're just an aspect of us anyway. It's also the inequality in our world. You know, it is. It's the imbalance within our world. And here I'm talking poverty um, in, in particular, um, in, also inequality linked into race, sexual identity, all of it, inequality, imbalance in our world. Ashtar is seeing this literally from a much higher perspective, looking down at the blue planet and thinking, what, the, what are they doing? You know, are they going to make the right choice? But equally, um, we have also got the energy of justice here, which is saying that we're going to be forced to. <laughs> we're going to be forced out of this, um, ah, shall we, shan't we, into you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to make a decision. I feel like I can need one more card with this. So which deck should I go to? I'm going to go to this one, I think, which is the um, Guy and Tarot deck. Let me have one more card in terms of why is this happening with justice. The nine of fire is happening because of our awakening, very clearly. Um, look at the picture. It's, it's self-explanatory. It's happening because the more that we advance and integrate the light body, You, you can no longer ignore what is wrong. This is what I struggle with a little bit with some parts of the spiritual community. I mean, maybe they're just not doing the work. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to trigger people, but it's just like if you're truly doing the work and you are um, harmonizing and balancing, 
your chakra system, which is your energy center, which means you are mastering your own energy. Okay, you're mastering your own reactions. You're mastering your own mind. You're mastering all of the different centers, your heart, your solar plexus, your root chakra. You're coming to greater peace. Okay, which is brilliant. But you're integrating more and more of this white light. It's just pouring down all of the downloads all of the portals that we walk through, okay? It's just we're being drenched in white light. We're being drenched in upgrade energy. The more that you evolve and upgrade, you can't then remain completely blinded to what is wrong with our world. It becomes more obvious. It's the energy of, it's like when um, darkness gets attracted to light. You know, it's like the moth to the flame. It's, it's, it's the, it's the natural way of the world, which is the, the more light you carry, the more that you become aware of, oh my God, that isn't light. That isn't light. Not in terms of judging it, but just in terms of that's where the light now needs to go. Okay. So why is this happening? It's happening because we are evolving and that's a really good card. The nine of fire though is punchy. You know, it's, um, uh, fast moving. And there's a lot of people, I'm sure, who are struggling right now because um, this, this is this is fast tracked now. It's fast tracked. It's like it means business. What are the obstacles in our way? What are the obstacles in our way? What are the obstacles in our way? Soul identity, what an interesting card that is to choose. Soul identity, card number 19. Um, is it, no, sorry, card number nine. Now, card number nine, I'm just looking at the little book that we get with it, would be the hermit card. Okay, so in a traditional tarot, it would be the hermit card. What are our obstacles? Our obstacles are that we don't know our own identity and we don't know that we are all family. Okay, so when I judge you over there and I, I cause separation and division, I'm not realizing that you are actually part of my own family. Um, I'm also hearing that a big block to. Hold on a minute. Let me just get what I'm getting here. Soul identity is an obstacle. The hermit is an idea. It's, it, it feels quite similar to this thing about the lovers and the hanged man. It's almost as though. We want to stay, we want to stay in the cocoon is what I'm hearing. It's like the caterpillar that's about to turn into the butterfly, i.e. the human species. But, um, it's as though, can we just stay in the cocoon a bit longer? Can we stay, you know, the chicken and the egg, can we stay in the egg a bit longer? It doesn't, it, it, there's this thing about not wanting to come out. I've increased, I've talked so much about birth and the analogy of birth and struggling to get through the birth canal. And that's what I'm feeling here. That's the obstacle. But equally, soul identity for number nine. Remember, nine is the new cycle that wants to be birthed, literally. The new cycle that wants to come in for our world. We don't know who the hell we are. We don't know what our identity is. And I think, remember, this is Ashtar that's speaking through me here in this video, because what he's saying is you don't, and I know some of you too, I'm talking generally about the wider populace, you don't realise that you're part of the galactic race. You don't realise that you're part of the universal energy. You think you are separate. You think you are just this little human, you know, down here on Earth, and you spend your 70 years plus 10 or whatever it is, and then you die, and whatever it is you believe in, you go to. 
And he's saying even the projection of where you think you go to a lot of the time is separation and division. If you're a good girl, you go to heaven. If you're a bad girl, you go to hell. It's, it's this thing about there is no heaven, there is no hell. There is just oneness, okay? There is just oneness. Um, sure, if you've done bad in this life, then there will be karma to play, to karma to pay. There will also be, um, you will have to face what you've done in your life. You'll have to, you know, your, your life review will be shown to you. You will experience the pain that you've put other people through, etc. That's what hell is. It's when you actually realize that, my God, I did that. I did that to that person, but actually I did it to myself. We don't understand this at a deep level. We do not understand that we are one. And if you look at the way the world is right now, you know, we can look around and we can think, what, but I do know that. What are you going on about? I know that I'm a, um, a member of the universal tribe and all the rest of it. But then take it right down to what we've been going through in the last two years. We've been at war with each other because, you know, you've had this and I haven't. So that me- means that you are this and that makes me that. It's like we can't help ourselves. <laughs> we just can't help ourselves. We seek division and separation so much of the time. So the obstacle is the, the lack of soul identity and the lack of understanding of soul family. Okay. Um, are we going to be helped with this? I'm just going to pull a card in terms of who is around to help with this. Because, I mean, this is a biggie. This is a biggie. We've got to try and get past this. But it is hard because it's very ingrained. We've had lifetime after lifetime, which has been about separation and division. And um, it's still playing out. So uh, what energy is trying to help us with this understanding that we are all one? I mean, effectively, they all are. I'm shuffling from an Ascended Master deck here. But let's just see if there's anybody in particular that wants to make themselves known. <laughs> so it's almost like they're saying we come as a group. It's quite interesting. We come as a group. Um, it's almost like there's not one card that wants to come through. Okay, having said that, okay, we have got somebody. Oh, interesting. Okay, she was on the bottom of the pack just now, and she's come through, Joan of Arc. I was thinking about the Joan of Arc um, energy only the other day. We've also got Mary Magdalene on the bottom of the uh, deck. So this is the divine feminine energy. And in a, in a way, Joan of Arc here stands for the voice of truth. Um, stand strong, stay focused on your purpose, release the fear of persecution and speak your truth. And Mary Magdalene is about the teacher awakens. But I think within these two female archetypal energies that we hold within ourselves, by the way, we all have the energy of or the capability of being um, or holding the Joan of Arc energy and the Mary Magdalene energy, whether you're male or female. In Joan, we have this spiritual warrior energy, um, you know, the, the don't mess with me energy, but equally very much God on her side. It was God who, you know, the visions and all of that that happened to her. And Mary Magdalene certainly isn't a pushover either, but there's a, I don't know quite how to describe it. There's a slightly softer energy there. Um, but ultimately it's all different aspects of the same theme of, 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 the, of the feminine. Um, so we've got the female energy that's coming in to try and help. Joan of Arc with her sword, clearing, clearing away the pathways of misunderstanding. A bit like a female Archangel Michael type figure. 
helping us to see the truth, helping us to see each other's truth. Um, helping us to see each other's truth because she's saying it's not just one truth. My truth might be different from your truth. It's based on my understanding of the universe. It's based on my past lives. It's based on my um, planetary origins, all the rest of it. You might have a different truth based on where you've come from. So it's about listening to truth. Um, she's saying there is a difference between truth and manipulation, having, having said that, because, and you need to cut through that. So your voice that you wish other people to hear and vice versa needs to be based on divine truth, your divine truth, not just on something that you've been fed. If you're just repeating something you've read, for example, I don't know, in a newspaper, that's not your truth. That's just something that you're repeating and regurgitating that somebody else has told you is truth. Do you understand the difference in the nuance? I'm sure you do. But that's what Joan is saying. Okay. I love that. That's what Joan is saying. That could be a T-shirt, couldn't it? You know, <laughs> what would Joan do? What would Joan do? The two J's, Joan and Jesus. I love it. Uh, and Joseph. It's like, what would the J's do? Um, yeah. So, right. Let's try not to deviate too much. That was <laughs> that was in terms of who's coming in to help us with obstacles. Mary Magdalene and Joan of Arc. Anything else that Mary Magdalene wishes to say? Because I do actually have a Mary Magdalene spray, so let me just use it. Beautiful colours. So Mary, we're talking about obstacles and not being able to see each other as family. Yeah, you see, because straight away she's she's saying that she identifies with it because she was cast out of the family. If you think, if those of you that know the Gospels, you know, it's like she was she was the 13th disciple. She was one of the disciples, yet she was never given that. Um, she was never given the credit, for want of a better word. You know, it's like she, she was there, but it's like, yeah, she's there, but we don't really want to talk about her too much. And when we do talk about her, we'll just sort of say it, you know, just in whispers or write her out, really. She was absolutely part of the family. And, you know, my personal belief is probably there was a family that also she formed with Jesus as well. You don't have to believe that. It's my truth. It doesn't have to be your truth. But that's that's the thing. It's, it's to do with it feels as though she is an energy which is linked into having been cast out of, of the family. Uh, and she's saying so she understands that. And she's very keen on helping to bring families back together. Families in terms of maybe your family, but equally soul family. OK, soul family. She's showing me herself here. Um, and this is going back to you know the early church. Um, in terms of pulling pulling the tribe together, you know, sorting out the guys, she's saying. <laughs> I've never, ever seen her in that light before. But she's just making me laugh because she's showing me, like, the, the, the bickering, she's saying. Um, and some of the ego that existed between the male, male disciples, the male apostles, as they became, you know, just because they're in the Bible doesn't mean that they didn't have a very human side to them. And she said sometimes they would, you know, they would fight with each other, not physically fight. But, you know, it's like who wants to be top dog? You, I mean, I'm sorry, guys, but you do see this with men sometimes. And remember, we're going back 2000 years. So even the even though these were enlightened men that we're talking about, they were still men of their age. They were men of their age. They've been brought up with that particular culture. 
And um, sometimes in, with, within the male of the species, she's saying, there is often the fight to be top dog, to be the most vocal, to be the one everyone listens to. So she's just showing me this side where, you know, she was like the barb and the peacekeeper and trying to keep it all, trying to keep them all, uh, uh, it's the mothering energy, basically, isn't it? It's the mother energy, it's the big sister energy, it's the peacekeeper, all of that. Love it. Okay. Joan of Arc, I don't know about Joan of Arc in terms of her family upbringing, but I'm feeling as though there's something with Joan of Arc as well. Um, I don't know whether Kyle mentions it in his book. Uh, let's just have a quick look. Joan of Arc. Um, she was a medieval French peasant girl uh, who was reported to have been visited by Archangel Michael. All oh, right, I didn't know that. Okay, so that's why I was picking up the Michael vibe. Um, who gave her information on how she could help Charles VII save France from the English domination. She was only a teenager when she went into battle for her country, and she won a huge victory. She was, however, later captured and burned at the stake. These days, she is a supremely loving guide to all those who stand up against the odds. Yeah, you see, I feel like the Joan of Arc energy is probably obvious, but she's coming in also with this the fight for freedom again, okay? But freedom in a much bigger, in a very, very large context, okay? Um, freedom for all. Right. So where had I got to? I got to that. Um, obstacles, yeah. Right. Uh, I would like to also pull one of this. This question is, what are the variables which are affecting the issue? Okay. What are the variables that are affecting the issue? Thought, communication. Yeah, we're all getting tied up in knots because of communication issues. Um, this is the media. This is um, the Internet. This is uh, our own ability to speak our truth you know this is the card that's just come out after Joan of Arc where she's talking about the voice of truth being brave enough to express your own truth not what you've been told your own truth what do you feel remember truth comes from the gut she's saying it comes from the gut it's like you know the truth it's like if somebody comes in and they're a bit of a blagger you know and they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes and the words are coming out, it's all sounding great, and they lay out a really convincing argument as to why you need to buy something or do something. But the truth is in your gut, isn't it? You know, you know. So truth comes from your gut, she's saying. Um, and ultimately, is it, yeah, she's now showing me breath because it's, link, it's linked into the breath as well. We're, com we're not communicating via our gut. Uh, you know, if you think about the gut and the stomach, it's where we digest information, isn't it? It's where we um, process and integrate everything. And we're not speaking from that place where it's been properly digested and properly integrated. Um, we are just, you know, it's almost like information is coming in and then we're straight away just wanting to speak it as truth. We haven't digested it. It hasn't gone down. And also to get into the gut, the stomach, it has to pass through the heart. The heart is this gateway also of love. So is it of love? You know, are we passing on communication and words to each other that are actually of love, that are helpful? Or are they based on spite and hate? 
So I think this is a really important point in this video. I'd just like you to spend a moment to think about what I'm saying here, because it's like a practical thing that we can all do. When we next hear something, um, and interestingly, something's just come in here, you know, a piece of news has just come in here. Um, it's actually a, I'll tell you what it is. So it says red dangerous weather warning uh, issued a storm Eunice set to hit UK with 100 mile per hour winds. Right. I could read that and I could straight away now just say, pick up the phone, say, my God, have you heard? We're about to get 100 mile per hour winds. For God's sake, be careful. You know, you know, we're all doomed. We're all doomed. We're all going to die. You know, it's like the fear energy because uh, the media love to do all that as well. Whereas actually, if I just take that information down, right, we've got a storm that wishes to come into the UK tomorrow on Friday. Um, it sounds like it's going to be quite a big one. OK, that's fine. That's what Mother Nature does. She needs to have a good clear out. Am I safe in that? Do I, you know, am I, am I safe? Is it OK? Can you feel the difference? And then I communicate from that place. OK. And I pick up the phone and I, I speak in a totally different tone to the piece of news that I've just heard. So, yeah, I think Joan of Arc is coming through very strongly to help us with communication and truth. And probably she needs her own video another day. OK, <laughs> right. Let's have a look at who may get hurt. OK, uh, who may get hurt? Slightly strange question, I know, but... I think I need another card as well. Um, right. Well, maybe not. I love it. It's the card of emotion. Who may get hurt? Our emotions might get hurt. Our control of self might get hurt. What is our control of self? Our ego. Our ego might get hurt because we might have to actually start to realise on this timeline that we were wrong or that we didn't quite get it right, or we hadn't got all of the picture, that what I thought was this actually isn't, or I got it right in part, but actually there are other nuances that I didn't understand. And we see this all the time, don't we? You know, um, in life, it's certainly online and, and in spiritual communities. Um, and I also think this is tied into the Mary Magdalene energy as well. She's just representing one aspect of one faith. There's many people who watch me of all sorts of different faiths. But again, if we look at the template of Mary Magdalene, it's almost like, well, what you've been told might not actually be what is the truth. OK, so uh, whether it be institutions that have to be a bit humbled and actually allow her a proper space at the table, you know, or whether it's us that actually has to work through the energies of what we thought she was as opposed to what she is. But equally now bring this into politics, bring this into social um, social issues. We all have opinions. Again, it's Joan, Joan's voice. It's linked into, yeah, what is your truth? Um, you know, it's interesting because ego does sort of sit also within the gut. And when it's out of balance, I'm talking the solar plexus chakra, when it's out of balance, we can be strongly in ego. We can be strongly in pride, you know, and what's the expression? Pride comes before a fall. So it, there's also guidance here that we need to be balancing our solar plexus chakra. Um, and the colours that help with that are gold and yellow. And in my own uh, range of sprays, let's just bring the spray in. We have the um, 
golden citrine. Okay, so let's just spray the golden citrine, which is the solar plexus spray. Being humble enough to say sorry. Okay, being humble enough to say sorry. Now, I don't know whether, excuse me, you've been noticing this in your one-on-one -on -one relationships. I have recently. And it works both ways, actually. There have been a few people that, like I thought, were on side or my friends or whatever. It's like they really weren't. But equally, the other side of the coin, which is really even more interesting, is like people that I used to maybe have a bit of an issue with or, you know, didn't dislike. I don't actually dislike anybody. But, you know, maybe just didn't see eye to eye with, that's not really my, not on the same page. So it's like, yeah, I really get you. I really understand you. And it's like, it's, it's only ego that stops you being able to say that. That actually, you know, yeah, I, I didn't quite see where you were coming from before. But now I do. And I, yeah, I really like that. And it's, it's this, it's this thing about being able to be flexible. Somebody, I, I noticed somebody on one of my comments on some channel this morning talked about bendiness. Bendiness. I think you were talking about bendy timelines, actually. But I like that. We've all got to be a bit more bendy, you know, a bit more supple. And, um, you know, the people that really can't do that, who are still stuck in, you know, what happened three years ago or two years ago, or you said this, so that means that you're that. I had it yesterday, you know, I've, I'm not, let's not even get into it. Um, oh yeah, I've got, yeah, we've got more and more warnings coming in on my phone, flashing in on my phone. Met office issues, rare, red danger to life warning. You see, I'm not saying that there isn't maybe some problems that might come into the UK tomorrow with this storm, but it's like being the eye of the storm is what I'm being told by Ashtar. You know, it's, it, there's, a, there's a great piece of symbolism here. Can you be the peaceful eye in the storm? It might be raging all around you, whether it's weather, whether it's other people's reactions, whether it's just stuff. You know, can you be the peaceful eye in the storm? But definitely also the need to check our own ego. We all have an ego. Otherwise, none of us will be able to get up in the morning and do anything. It serves you, but it's when it's out of balance. So remember to be humble. Humbleness is really important. And into that, I will bring one of the other J's, which is Joseph. And to me, Joseph, the father of Jesus, our divine protector, just mm. this beautiful, beautiful, humble energy, asked to be of service, did it to the absolute best of his ability, did it for no, he wasn't seeking praise or adoration or, you know, pat on the back the whole time, he just got on with it. And I think the Joseph template is very powerful for these days that we're in. And we can learn a lot from Joseph. And again, family, you know, like Mary said, what is this thing? One of the main blocks we've got as a species is we don't know our identity. We don't have a sense of family. Joseph, again, pretty much written out a couple of lines in the Gospels. He was the father who helped bring up Jesus. Why is he not talked about more? <laughs> you know, bring him back into the family. So I'm talking here at a very macro level, but you now bring that down into your family. Who do you need to bring back into your family? Okay. Um, and yeah, that's a hard one because it may, there may be very valid reasons for why you've excluded somebody from your, your family. But if that is the case, just try to soften. And even if it's not physically being able to be in that person's presence, energetically soften and speak higher self to higher self with them and start a communication going, start a bridge. Okay. It's really important that we do this because we are all family. 
I've got all my sisters with me. <laughs> it's the truth. Sister Sledge, they knew what was going on. Right. Jackson 5 as well. Yeah, exactly. Did they do one about family? I think they must have done. Right. Let me have some water. So, yeah, what might get, who might get hurt? We might get hurt if we stay in our ego. Let's have a look at who may help. To be honest, we've already got quite a lot of help. We've got Mary Magdalene, Joan of Arc, Joseph. Let's just see what we get. Though. If, we, if we pull a tarot card for that, that might be quite interesting. I don't know whether it's going to answer it with a tarot. We might have to use a different card, but let me just see. I'm just intrigued. If it doesn't work, we'll use a different deck. So who may help? Who may help? Gone very, very quiet as I said that. Who may help? Right, I so I just need to pause to try to work out what to say about this. This is spirit having a bit of a laugh, but equally I understand completely what they're saying. Get your head around this one. Who may help us? Conspiracy. Now, let's be balanced. Some of what is out there as conspiracy theories is misinformation. And you need discernment to be able to pick through what is true. Remember Jones' words. Feel it in your gut. But who may help us? Some of what these conspiracy theorists say, and that's not, you know, I don't like the term conspiracy theorist, by the way. Okay, this is just I'm going with the card. And it's what a lot of us are called, who maybe question the narrative. It's all you are, you're questioning the narrative. It can help because there's truth there. There's truth there. It's there to help you. Even if you go through it, and for you... Every single thing that could be classed as conspiracy, you know, whatever it is, you go through and you think, no, 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 but you go to your gut. Okay, you don't just throw it out on first hand, you know, experience. It's like, no, you've got to really go into it. That, that's okay, because it will help you. It will help you decipher what is true and what is not true. Um, so there's two messages here. One, the whole realm of conspiracy, because this isn't going to go away, okay? The powers that were are increasingly going to say, you are a conspiracy theorist if you question the narrative on pretty much anything. That's the truth. Um, but it's there to serve us because, one, there's truth within some, some, not all, some of the conspiracy theories. Uh, and into that, I would bring disclosure itself. You know, don't forget that the whole UFO phenomena and, you know, is the life out there? Let's bring Ashtar back. You know, some people will say, well, that's just a load of tosh. You know, that, that's not real. You know, you've got your head in the clouds. You know, what the hell, what the hell's wrong with you? You know, of course you haven't seen a UFO. Of course you haven't been abducted. Of course you haven't, you know, all of that. Just push that into a, an area which is just like, that's a load of nonsense. Okay. So they do it to that. Um, they do it with politics. They, they do it with pretty much, well, lots and lots of stuff. So, but it's there to ultimately serve you. It's there to serve you because 
it's not going away. Increasingly, we get lots more people are going to be called conspiracy theorists for questioning the narrative. Um, it's, it already is messy and it's going to get messier. But if you could try to see that it's actually there to help you, number one, there are truths within that. But number two, it's also to do with being able to discern, discern, to be able to sort the wheat from the chaff. OK, um, because let's be perfectly honest, if you are one of these people that just take everything, it's like, give me more and more conspiracy. It's like, well, yeah, I, 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 I believe that. Yeah, I totally believe that. So give me more. You're going to get charlatans that pop up all over the Internet. and They're already there who will just keep serving you misinformation basically but you know that's all right it's true of any sector of society there are people that are charlatans and there are people that are tellers of truth and um you need to be discerning who are the portrayers of truth um and you're gonna have to go to your gut you're gonna have to go to your gut does it feel right does it feel right a lot of the people that reject things out of hand on first glance, they haven't gone to their gut. They haven't tried to even uh, listen to the other side of the debate. They're stuck. They're inflexible. They don't want to hear. And they're in ego. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what side of the debate you're on. If you're, if you're in ego and you're totally stuck and not open to hear other perspectives, um, it's dangerous. Let's just pull one more card from another deck. Who may help? Let's go to this deck. This is the um, Magical Dimensions deck by Lightstar. So who may help? Because, yes, yeah, sorry, let me just, just ram home the message. The card of who may help, which is conspiracy. We've actually got truths, the value of theory. can't remember who said it. I think it could have been Socrates. It's in that pile of papers down there, ideas I have for videos that one day I'll get round to. But I remember watching a programme, I think it was Socrates, and he was talking about the power of um, being able to... I'm going to have to pause the camera and get a piece of paper because it's actually quite an important piece. Hold on. So I've been wanting to weave this into a video for a while, actually. Me and my little bits of paper. This, okay. this is what I've written down. Socrates basically said that the un unexamined life is not worth living. OK, um, an ultimate evil is ignorance. What was the first thing that I said to you in this video about the past and that ignorance had been bliss? But here we've got Socrates saying ultimate evil is ignorance. The unexamined life is not worth living. And he's talked about that wisdom comes from dialogue and it was all about testing the consistency. So if we go back to some of these theories, I hope I'm not going to get shadow banned for having used the C word on my channel. But the C theories, it's too late now, isn't it? This, that's how bad it is, because that's how they're cracking down. You can't say certain words, you know. So what's that all about? Uh, if you actually look into what that's all about, it takes you into a whole other narrative, you know. I think most of you already know that. But if we look at these conspiracy theories, um, what Socrates would say is test the, test the consistencies, have a debate with somebody, um, define and reformulate ideas. Um, 
And basically, there would be round and round of questions and answers. And it would take as long as it took, no distractions. It would be this process. And he's showing me um, a sieve. And it's as though any theory would just, or any any argument would go through a sieve. And, you know, until you had absolutely nailed what you um, were trying to say as truth, um, you would just keep going through the sieve. You know, was it, did it have consistencies, reformulation, all of that? There's definitely something in all of that. Right. Okay. There's definitely is because my nose is itching. Socrates wants to come through now as if I didn't have enough to do. <laughs> right. Let's just have a breather. I want to have a bit of coffee and then we're going to get into what are the positive surroundings that can help us. How ironic that I'm having coffee as I sip from Prince because he always, he doesn't really like that. He always likes, uh, I always remember when I was channeling Prince, he's all about the green tea, isn't he? And very much about, you know, what you put into your body, purity and all of that. But I'm sorry, Prince, I need a bit of caffeine sometimes. He's giving me a little wink, he says it's okay. <laughs> At some point, guys, I am going to get back to doing the Heart Squad channelings again. Which I really enjoy doing and I know you enjoy listening to. But um, I am up against it with uh, trying to just complete this Christ consciousness stack. And it's uh, all I can do at the moment is, you know, just concentrate on that. And then when I feel the pull to do something like this, which I find easier, it's not that I find channeling difficult. It just takes more energy. This isn't taking as much energy as if I was sitting down channeling Socrates, let's put it that way. Um, but even Prince. Actually, one of the people that wants to come through is Whitney Houston. So, uh, yeah, she, she had her, she's got her story to tell. Anyway, let's get back to it. Let's get back to what we're trying to do here. Let's think about the positive surroundings. I'm not even going to define what that means. Reframe the question. Let's just see what we get. Positive surroundings. teacher yeah that makes sense so surround yourself with people that can teach you something see also life as your greatest teacher the best thing that you can do is to stay as the eternal student to life at this point in time it's probably true of most incarnations um, to be mentored to gain more wisdom, more understanding. It's interesting that the Hierophant in this, this deck, normally the Hierophant is called the teacher card, but here it says trainer, and I like that. I like the energy of the fact that we're all in training. We're going through mental gymnastics in trying to get our head around what is truth, okay? Is what I'm being told correct, etc.? So we're going through mental gymnastics. We're meant to be going through mental gymnastics. It's good for us to do that. It's exactly, it's this energy of Socrates. Don't just take everything at face value. You know, because so-and-so said it must be true. 
it's there's a plague of that at the moment and I'm using very strong language there because I really feel it strongly so and so says this so it has to be true you know go back to poor old Ashtar what's he ever what's he ever done all of a sudden he's everybody's whipping boy in the spiritual community in some quarters you know because so and so says he's a psyop he has to be go into your truth go into your gut do you really feel that if you really have worked with him I don't think so. But anyway, that's my truth. Um, yeah, wisdom comes from dialogue. It's just the same message coming through again. So we have to imagine that we're in this gym. What is the gym? The gym is earth. Right now, earth is a gym. Okay? We're being put through our paces. We're getting dumbbell after dumbbell. And um, we just got to keep going through it. You know, it's making us stronger. <coughs> it's honing our muscles. But our muscles in terms of our brain, our heart center, our gut, you know, this is what needs to be given a workout. Are you actually listening to your gut? Are you listening to your heart? Are you communicating from your throat at a deep, truthful level? Are you breathing deeply? All of that. Okay. What should I do? Let's pull a card for what should I do? Might use another deck for this, but let's just have a card from here. What should I do? I can't believe how perfect these cards are. I mean, never ever doubt that spirit can't work through tools like this. I mean, it's just extraordinary. What should I do? You should be more diverse. Blending. Diversity. Blending. Don't be the like, I've always voted that way, so I'm always going to vote that way. It doesn't matter if they put, you know, some total whatever in there. Because I'm right, I'm going to keep voting right. Because I'm left, I'm going to keep voting left. It doesn't matter who you present for. All of that. It's not just politics. It's everything. Diversity of thought. Divergent thought. It's interesting today I've worn my little pigtails. Why have I done that? I don't know. I felt like I wanted to do it. I felt like I just wanted to change. You know, it's, that's a very simple, silly little expression. But actually, in many ways, it's not because it perked me up. It's like, oh, yeah, quite like that. A bit of fun. My kids said it looked all right. So I did it. <laughs> so we get stuck all the time in a rut. You know, on Friday, I eat fish. <laughs> that's a Catholic thing, according to my mother. That's my mother's words. I don't know whether Catholics do eat fish on a Friday. But if you are a Catholic and you eat fish on a Friday, come on, shake it up. Go and do something else. It's <laughs> That's the energy of these times. If you only listen to classical music, why don't you try a bit of jazz? You might like it. You know, if you only read the Daily Mail, for God's sake, throw it out and go and try and find something else to read. Change. Change is good. Okay. Um Dip into many different pools, Ashtar is saying, okay, um, and see which one you like. So we've got the card of blending. Card number seven in a traditional deck would be the chariot card. Oh, interesting. So, yes, and that's even better, isn't it? So for us to be able to charge ahead, what should I do? If you want to make quicker progress, humanity, this is what Ashtar's saying, if you want to make quick, quicker progress, and get through this timeline into better, more, whatever, I don't know. Get on the chariot of diversity. You know, and isn't it interesting right now? Isn't it interesting, guys? If you look at the way the world is now, 
this is me on my soapbox, but it's, the, it's my truth. Look at the way the world is now. We don't want diversity. We want homogenization. You know, it's like the whole cancel culture debate. You can't say that. You can only say it in this way. Me on YouTube. You can't use that word or you'll get flagged. You can't talk about that topic or you'll be get, get taken off air. You know, those of us that have got a pair of balls and I'll put myself in there, we just go for it anyway. Because if you take me off air, I'll pop up somewhere else. It's what I truly think. Because you've got to have diversity. You have to be able to talk about different things. And you have to be grown up enough to be able to hear different people's opinions, even if they trigger you. You don't have to stay listening to it. But to be in a bubble where we're just fed one way, and into this I'm hearing history as well. The history is just what we've been taught in schools. Of course it isn't. You know, the curriculum, that's just my, my daughter at the moment is still in education. So it's like the curriculum says to get your biology, you know, GCSE, you have to do these particular subjects. Biology is bigger than just those subjects. History is bigger than the subjects that are chosen to be taught in schools, you know. Um, but we're absolutely, it's like humanity is accepting a homogenization and it's really creating a big roadblock to our development because if we want to be spiritually mature and grown up we have to be big enough to be able to hear things that we might not like doesn't mean go stay listening to it that's what i think anyway um right let's have a look at the near future and then we'll do a few wild cards uh, let's do near future. We've got two cards, near future and future. Now, this is just based on the current timeline that we're on. And this is taking into account the current blocks that we've got. Okay, that one came up. The current blo blocks that we've got. Um, and look at that. As I said that, we've got the card of karma. Um, oh, God. Okay, well, on the bottom of the diet... <laughs> The current timeline that we're on, remember you can change timelines, okay? This is probably why I've been told to do this video today. We can change timelines because if humanity makes the wrong choice, do you remember the first, one of the first cards we got after the past being about freedom and innocence and we might have been a bit ignorant, but we were still free. <laughs> um, we're now at the crossroads and the hanged man and we've got a choice. Which way are we going to go? Um, if we make the wrong choice, guys, I'm going to pull two two different scenarios here. If we make the wrong choice, look at that. The devil. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. We stay trapped. And the card of the devil here is the card of loss of freedom. Loss of freedom. Um, fear. Ruthfulness. I mean, let's be honest. This probably isn't a surprise. We can see the way that the world is going. In some quarters, I am always a glass half full girl and I always will be. And I'll always look to the highest timelines, which is why I'm glad that this card, these two cards are the cards for the near future. If we don't, if we choose wrong, if we, well, there's never right or wrong. It's all learning. But if humanity stays stuck with the blocks, the homogenization, the lack of diversity, the not wanting to put the work in, the wanting to slam everything that you disagree with as a conspiracy theory, staying stuck in our ego and not wanting to learn, then this is, you know, this, we, we just stay stuck. The devil is is being stuck. It's being trapped. It's being in separation. Um, and that would be so sad. 
So now let's put another one for the future. But, you know, I'm not going to just sweep this under the carpet. This is potential. It's a potential that's there. But equally, on the bottom of the deck, there's the card of the fool, which is a completely different cycle as possible. Where we take a journey and we progress into different pathways. And I've no idea what that's meant to be, Sputnik, whatever. But, you know, we send, literally, it's like humanity sends something up into space. I'm talking here about us. Now, that's not a very good analogy. People are going to misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. What I'm trying to say here is it's as though we, the seed of our consciousness, humanity, sends a signal up into space. And we remember what we truly are. And we become that. And then we land, you know. Let me just pull one more card for other, more distant future. So we've got the Fool. The Wheel of Fortune. It feels as though at some point it becomes non-negotiable. I actually feel at some point humanity doesn't have a say. And what I mean by that is, remember this is Ashtar now coming through. Earth has to ascend. And I know I'm doing this because I'm really feeling it. This is the Ashtar energy. Earth has to ascend. You are holding back the rest of the universe. You staying stuck in ego and all of what I've been saying is holding back other planets. Um, it cannot and will not be allowed to continue forever. But there is a window here where you are being allowed the choice. And we are hoping that you make the choice for yourselves rather than having it made upon you. Um, because that would contravene universal law, is what he's saying. And we only step in and contravene universal law, which is when you don't have free will, when uh, uh, with uh, uh, the most extreme um, scenarios. And it's when it's for the greater, it's linked into the fact that we're affecting other places in our planet because everything is connected. So if Earth stays stuck in a lower density, that ripples out into other places and we infect other places in the universe. He says you already have been infecting other places in the universe. Sorry, please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. But it's the truth. Um, but we've tolerated it is what he's saying. We've tolerated it. Um, but beyond a certain point, it's fated that the Wheel of Fortune comes in and sends humanity into a different dimensional reality. That I find quite intriguing, and I don't know whether he's going to let me go much further, um, because he's hoping we choose it for ourselves. I'm saying he... At the end of the day, the Ashtar energy is, remember, it's a whole command, a command um, system, station. It's a federation. It's it's made up of all of the Ascended Master energy as well. Okay, Ashtar doesn't just w work alone, you know, up there. Uh, he's also in here as well, by the way. He's particularly in our throat chakras as well, uh, Ashtar. He speaks through our throat. But the point is, he doesn't work alone. They're all working together. All of the masters are working together to try and raise up Earth. Um, mm. 
Mama. Oh, that's okay. She's just taking a little drink. My coffee. Um, okay. Because it's interesting, the one card we haven't had come out in this deck is the tower. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? We're, we're being left to try and work it out. Um, he's also saying that some of these people that are presenting alternative truths, he says, use the term alternative truths <laughs> rather than conspiracy theory, you know? Um, those of you that are into this stuff anyway, you'd never call it that, I know, but that's the insult that gets thrown at you. Um, it's a bit like if you have chosen not to have this, you're called an anti-V-A-X-E-R. No, we're not. We're just about freedom of choice. It's an alternative position. You might not agree with it. You might not like it. But it's an alternative truth. It's my truth. Don't label me as an anti-V-A-X-E-R. That's you trying to create division, etc. It's the same with this movement, you know. Um, he's saying that there are plants within the truth, that, that truth movement who are shining beacons of truth. And there's also some predatory... Um, older energy is the way he's putting it. Uh, okay. Anything else to say? That. <laughs> Attraction. He's reminding you that you manifest what you attract. So if you stay in a high vibration and you ask spirit to lead you to the right people, to the right messages um, that are going to be in alignment with your truth and that are going to serve you for the highest good. You can't go wrong. The difficulty at the moment is that humanity is in a, um, it's almost like a, there's a childish energy of like, I'll just follow that person because everyone else is. Just because somebody else is being followed by a lot of people doesn't mean they're actually speaking any truth. Um, he's showing me, this is only going to be a reference for people in the UK that they'll understand, but in the UK, we have a place, I don't know if it's still happening, I'm sure it does, in London called Hyde Park. And as a part of Hyde Park called Speaker's Corner. And basically, Speaker's Corner, anybody can go to Speaker's Corner and people tend to stand on a box and they just talk about anything. And some people attract a very big crowd and other people are just talking pretty much themselves and no one's even bothering to listen. And he says, actually, sometimes the people that are hardly being listened to are the people that are, have got the greatest truth. And it's, I'm sure that is the case. So it's not about numbers. It's not about followers. Um, humanity has this need to just want to go where everybody else is. But sometimes the crowd can be wrong, is what Ashtar is saying. He's not here going to say to you, right, here is a list of people that are, you know, uh, going to be helpful. And here are people, here are a list of people who are going to be charlatans because that's the whole point. You're meant to work it out for yourself. It's about discernment. It's the biggest test, one of the biggest tests that we have to master as a species to discern. And it's like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? You listen to your body. Your body is, um, I've got Metatron here as well. He's saying it's the biggest antenna that you've got going. You know, your body, how your body reacts to something. Think about how your body, this is Metatron. Think about how your body reacts to different foods that don't agree with you. You can have a really violent reaction. It can be a very immediate reaction. You can be very intolerant to things. 
It's the same with information. Your body knows. Your body knows. And this is the thing. Just your body might react to something in a different way to somebody else. So you have to respect other people's truths. Back to this whole circle. Right. Okay. Let me just spray the Ashtar one more time. That sounds like a plane's about to land. <laughs> Ashtar, people always want to know, when are you going to appear? Or, you know, in terms of disclosure. Anything you want to say on that? How funny that that's quite loud as I'm saying about disclosure. I'm just hearing the words, we're hovering, we're hovering. We have been for a long time. He's making me laugh. He says some of us have got sore arms. And it's what he means by that is, I mean, he's putting it into language that I can understand, guys, okay? So he's showing me a gear stick. You know a gear stick in a car, and you've got to have it in a certain position to, I don't know, park or reverse or whatever. Uh, it's like the hand's been in that position for a long time. We're hovering. We're waiting for humanity to be at a level where they can even be open to seeing us. Um, and again, he's, he's saying here that there's a part of the spiritual community and the truth community that even if we appear tomorrow, they'd call us out as a psyop. It's the truth, guys. We have to own that this stuff is happening, you know. Uh, and again, the people that would be calling out, say a UFO right now appears outside my window and I rush to tell you all about it. I record live footage of it. Other people in my street have seen it. I just want to light some incense, okay? It, um, it would still, I, I guarantee there would still be people straight away that would discredit it, that would say that it's bunkum, that actually it was a low-flying whatever, I don't know. You know, it's like we have to be ready to hear the truth and not, it's almost like he's saying some of the people that need to be standing up for us would be the first to discredit us. And he's saying it's because it would be because they have a set way, ego, of how they think it should be, how it should happen, how it should look, um, <clears throat> what we should be trying to do. This is the other thing. He's saying humanity has this expectation, which is all about control, of what they want us to do. He's saying it doesn't work like that. We aren't told by humanity what to do. We come in to help and support you. Um but we're not going to be told what to do. We are in a bit of a mess, aren't we? We're in a bit of a pickle as a species. And we have been for a while. But um, it's interesting. I just picked this card up, bottom of the deck. Just about to shuffle it, but I'm not going to now. It's a Magical Dimensions deck again. Because this is the card of emotional freedom. And maybe this is the, this, these last two cards, three cards, are where I'm meant to um, leave this reading. Because we've got the card of emotional freedom the heart portal and the crown portal, okay? So, yes, humanity is in a bit of a, you know, a muddle, a fix. We've tied ourselves up in knots. We've created so much division between ourselves and within ourselves, including our own multidimensional aspects of ourselves that we're at war with. So we wouldn't know truth sometimes if it hit us across the face, including the UFO outside the window. 
So what do we need to work on? We need to work on our heart chakra and our crown portal. The crown portal is where we open up to the energy of unity and divinity. Okay. Um, and we let go of the energy of separation. We let go of the energy of separation. It's the violet energy as well. So bringing down the violet flame, working with the violet ray, Archangel Zachiel, is going to help. We need to clear the crown portals. We also need to clear the crown portals, um, the planetary crown portal as well. And um, I don't know what other people have said about where that is. To be honest, I'm not, that sounds a bit arrogant. I'm not meaning to be arrogant. But it's not like I don't really want to know where other people, I'm not actually even going to look up what other people have said because I'm being shown, um, I always get this wrong. <laughs> The Arctic. I, I got it wrong last time. I said the top was the Antarctic. I'm being shown the Arctic. That makes sense to me that the crown is the Arctic. Okay. It's the top of the world. Um, so watch for energy at the Arctic and, um, there is light pouring into the Arctic. There is a portal there that is being cleansed in readiness for us all to get it basically. Um, but there is some stuck energy there as well. And uh, I know we've got some melting ice caps and stuff going on there as well, which I feel like it's sort of linked into the release of energy that is needed. And I know I'm saying that because on the other hand, you think, well, hold on, if the ice caps are melting, that's bad for everybody. But I don't know, I just wanted to say that as well, that there's something to do with it being released, what is within the ice in terms of energy, which has been there for millennia that we need now. And I'm then seeing a refreezing. So it's interesting. It's almost as though it starts to thaw, which is what's already happening. But it's to do with the release of this energy that then needs to flow through all the waters of the world because every bit of water is connected to everything else. But then there's like a refreezing. So it's almost as though humankind just thinks because it's starting to thaw oh my god that's it it's over but no i'm then seeing it then when it's when whatever has been released is released it's as though it then starts to freeze again because it needs to be remain frozen for whatever reason but anyway he says you're getting decades into the future there so yes we won't go there so we need to be clearing our own crown chakra um we need to be staying in our heart as much as we can. And, you know, it's all about the white light. This this card that came up at the start, the white light, as much as you can do, chakra maintenance, clearing your chakras, working with white light, working with the colours, working with the vibration of OM, um, reflecting, meditating, prayer, presence, Okay, diversity, all of the things we've talked about in this video, it helps to accelerate us out of a dead end, which is where our stuckness will take us into a complete and utter dead end and into this, which is going to happen at some point. It's just the question is when do we do it ourselves or do do the Federation and Ashtar and all the Ascended Masters step in and do it for us and that will be a failure on the part of humanity, from my perspective, that's what I feel. Because we should be able to do this ourselves. Um, and what another way that we aspire to be able to achieve this is via these three key words here, 
about vulnerability, flowing and rebalancing. Okay, we have to be vulnerable. Okay, vulnerable in terms of opening up to different things, different people, different thoughts. Uh, we have to flow. We, we, we can't be stuck. And it's a constant state of rebalancing. You know, again, take it down to the very everyday, being triggered, being angered, being frustrated, being disappointed, and then back into balance. Okay, and then back into balance. All of the time, just trying to bring yourself back into balance. And, and again, don't overcomplicate that. How do I do that? Again, it, I've said it. It's, it's what I've been saying. It's, it's prayer. It's reflection. It's meditation. It's healing. It's practicing the qualities of the masters. Okay, let's pull a master card here. You know, there's probably no coincidence that I'm writing the Christ Consciousness deck at this time. It's to do with following the template, forgiving, having compassion, holding the energy of grace, loving your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to be a Christian. It's not about being a Christian. It's about holding the energy of the ascended masters, this one being Christ. What did he, t what did he teach? Did he teach us to share or did he teach us to hoard? Did he teach us to hate or did he teach us to love? Did he teach us to be there for each other or to run in the opposite direction? Did he teach us to uh, dominate and control or did he teach us to um, flow and, you know, share? Right, what am I doing here? Um just felt like there was one more card to pull. Actually, I'm not going to pull another one of that. I'm going to pull a card from the Metatron deck. Why on earth not? Anything else to say, Metatron? Let's wrap this up now. It's been an amazing reading. Thank you so much, Ashtar. I've really enjoyed doing this. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. Thank you also, Metatron, for being in the wings like you always are. Thank you to all the guides. Music coming in. <laughs> Hear the music. Okay, the two cards from uh, Metatron, and also we've got this one on the bottom of the deck. Wake up, call. Not surprised to see that. But look, wake up to joy. Wake up to happiness. Wake up to the new dawn. Welcome back to joy. How do we do all this stuff? How do we get out of all these problems? We aspire to be happy. We aspire to the energy of joy. We bring ourselves back into that. And you do it by very, very simple ways. By noticing the music that just started to come in my window. By noticing the sunshine. By noticing the beautiful bees and the birds and the flowers and the trees. Don't take any of it for granted. Okay, what that, what they are, Metatron is saying, are keys that help you unlock the door to the new dawn. Because the devil energy doesn't notice any of that. Do you think the devil goes around and thinks, oh, what a beautiful flower, what a beautiful tree, what a lovely day this is? You know, how lovely is that piece of music? Oh, I love that person smiling. Of course not. And I'm not talking about the devil as the person, I'm talking about the devil energy. The devil energy is about, no, it's just stay, stay trapped. Stay trapped and, you know, just shackled. In, in the um, Christ deck that we're doing, I wrote the cards for the devil yesterday, and I've called it Tethered Tide Tethered tide break free. Tethered tide caged break free. That's right. Um, I'm not going to read you the words now, but uh, I will just show you the picture if I've got it to hand. Yeah, here it is. This is just a photocopy. It's not very 
my printer was running out of ink, so that's not actually the colours it's going to be. It's actually all the browns. But you get the gist. The sun's shining in the window. This person can't see any of it because he's shackled to this lower energy. The key's right beside him. He's shackled. He's chained. He's not aware of anything. He's not aware of any of the joy. Um, so the more that we notice and we acknowledge and we give gratitude and thanks to everything that is good in our world, the more that it helps to free us. You know? So, guys, I'm going to leave it there. I hope that you enjoyed today's uh, little look and uh, got something from it. The I'll put the decks that I've used in the description box below. And the sprays that I've used, I will just clarify, were Commander Ashtar, who comes in on the Platinum Ray Galactic Federation. We also use the Golden Citrine Solar Plexus Spray, helping to balance our ego and will um, with our, you know, stepping into our wisdom and our power and our divinity. And we also use the Mary Magdalene Divine Feminine Spray. And I also used the Joseph spray, didn't I? Joseph. Yeah. Beloved Joseph, Father of Jesus, Divine Protector. And actually, I think he might be a nice... I know I can't... I said that one in the video. But I just want to bring Joseph in finally because he feels like he grounds it all. Very grounded. Brings in the energy of wood and the tree and the trunk and the roots. And the rotten fruit will fall, is what he's saying. The rotten fruit needs to fall. And he's saying, allow the rotten fruit, fruit uh, to um, be absorbed into Mother Earth. Uh, what he's saying, he says, don't pick up the rotten fruit and then try and eat from it. Um, he's, he's just showing me the energy of the Earth absorbing the rotten fruit because it's part of her job and she willingly is there to help us. So the other big helper that we have is Mother Earth, who transmutes so much of our negativity and toxicity day in, day out. And we don't appreciate it a lot of the time. But he's just showing me her doing that for us as well, because ultimately she wants to ascend. She wants to ascend. We've been talking all the way through this about, you know, our timeline and what we want and our struggles and our blocks and how who's going to help us. But. The planet upon which we have this experience, Mother Earth, is, you know, I'm just awestruck, actually, when I actually stop to think about it. She's giving us the opportunity to even do this, to have this experience, to have this timeline shift. So she wishes to help also. And it's not going to hurt her by absorbing the toxicity because she's a master transmuter is what I'm hearing. She's able to constantly rebirth herself and realign and rebalance. And that's why when you go out into nature, you feel better. You feel more balanced because she's a teacher and she's showing you how to do it. Thank you, Mother Earth. Okay, guys, I'm going to leave it there. Much love. If you like the video, please like and share it. It helps to get the word out. I think this was quite an important video. Much love. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Okay, my, 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 Magdalene, Joseph, uh, Mary, uh, um, yes, uh, uh, Joan of Arc, <laughs> um, 
many beings, many beings. Um, we're going to play one more here for the moment we have. Mm-hmm. And Rama's going to cue it up right now. It's called Transcending Genetic Tampering. Mm-hmm. Has the human genome been modified to keep humanity under control? According to Swaru of ERA, genes are an expression developed by consciousness, a materialization of intentions. Genes are not fixed and can be overridden, overwritten, erased, or developed. As Swaru communicates to contactee Gosia Dusak, our genes respond to stimuli from the outside world as the result of perception. By raising our own frequency, humans can alter our genetics as well as our future. Ready, Rama? Yeah, I just wanted to say that as with our consciousness, we can alter the programming that kind of got fed to us about um, racism. I'll leave it there. Okay, thank you, Rama. Here we go. We are all Trayvon Martin. Ugh. 10th anniversary was yesterday of that incident. Yeah. materialistic mentality that doesn't let you see how the real science of genetics really works. Genes are an expression developed by consciousness, a materialization of an intention. Genes are not fixed set items, blueprints of which you are a victim during your life. Genes can be overwritten can be erased and can be developed as entirely new ones. Entirely new ones are created all the time. They respond to stimuli from the outside world. That is outside the cell that holds them. That stimuli comes as the result of the subject's perception of the outside world. 
and the subject's perception is dependent on its consciousness, awareness, and frequency of existence. This last statement can be clearly understood studying the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton, Epigenetics. But what I'm telling you here goes far beyond Bruce's work. What I'm telling you is that epigenetics is not only how mind and perception alters your body to a genetic level, but it actually is how your entire body is built. It is the result of your perception and your consciousness intention as well as your frequency of existence. Genes develop as a shadow interpretation of what you are in a level or a plane of existence above the one you are perceiving, study, or living in. Each point and minute particle of matter that makes up your genes come as the result of an energy pattern, standing wave, concentration manifestation process directly as the result of your focused intention, consciousness, and frequency. It has been said that you were limited genetically in a laboratory by beings like the Anunnaki, who created the human species splicing genes from a monkey. Other versions say from scratch, not using a monkey. All this is not accurate. It is said that your higher brain functions, such as telepathy, clear cognizance, and so on, have been edited out, altering your genes. It's been said that you have been limited in lifespan as well. You have not. Not in the way described by those theories. Humans have been tempered with genetically in the past, many times. But those changes do not stick, and as a species result in a dead end, with no reproduction, or limited only to a few generations. A permanent change in the genetic structure of humans has been done in another way. All those higher psychic abilities do not reside in the brain, nor do they reside in a gene. They are only expressed by a gene. There is nothing to edit out. Those psychic abilities come from your energetic body and your spiritual essence, higher self. They are not physical. There is no center for telepathy. There is no center for claircognizance. The only point that mildly resembles that is the pineal gland. But it's only a translator. It does not control your higher mental functions. The way you have been limited is with the extensive use of mind control. This is the controllers have led you to believe 
with arguments and with compelling yet false ideas that you are living in a deterministic world. That is, you are living in a place where you experience and suffer things that are not under your control. Victim mentality. Everyone on earth is telepathic, claircognizant, and psychic. But you are trained to ignore when you are having an experience of that sort. So you can no longer recognize when you are being telepathic. As you automatically ignore the subtle messages. But once you understand this and how it works, you will start to see that in fact you are telepathic. It's those subtle messages you feel about anything or about anyone. An inner knowing that doesn't come from you. This is what you have been trained to ignore and to pass for false. In your world, you are taught to discredit feelings and emotions as something unwanted. As something that contradicts logic as if it were high understanding. Your emotions are higher wisdom. They are who you are as a soul. The moment you discredit them, yours or those of others, you are losing a great part of your soul. Humans have been genetically intervened all the time throughout history. I am not saying they have not been. What I'm trying to say is that they were not created like that as a species. But they are altered at each individual level by other species or stellar races for various reasons. For example, to accommodate the frequency of a to-be mother for her to be able to carry out a good pregnancy. To bring a high-frequency starseed into your world. If this is not done, many times it will result in nervous damage to the mother or to the child. And in many cases, it does lead to miscarriage. Another example of genetic manipulation by another star race is to heal subjects presenting severe damage to their body in order to permit them to fulfill their life plan, as their life is in danger. This is done quite commonly, but it depends on each individual's life plan, so not all subjects who get sick will be repaired. Throughout history, many attempts to alter the human genome has been made by regressive and invasive species by the cabal. And it's still going on. But as genes are not fixed, deterministic, inflexible things, and due to humans' high contact rate with source and with higher self, they have a tendency to rewrite themselves 
back into their original configuration, erasing the modification. Why are these attempts being made? What do they try to achieve? They want to achieve total control over humans in order to exploit them the most effective and efficient way possible to make them slaves. If humans have high contact with source, they end up rebelling. And history has demonstrated that over and over again. Going back to what I said earlier about the genes rewriting themselves to their original configuration. When DNA is aggressively altered in an invasive way, as you would do in a laboratory, it has the tendency to immediately return to its original configuration given by the consciousness perception of the owner subject. This will occur very fast, in a matter of weeks in the fifth density. But on Earth, due to the low density, slow manifestation properties, it may take more time. But it's directly dependent on each subject. In the worst case scenario, it may take one generation before it returns to original DNA configuration. The only way to make aggressively made laboratory changes to DNA permanent is to keep the subject in a very low consciousness state and state of mind. This is, the subject must be kept in fear with a clear deterministic view and interpretation of reality, alienated from source consciousness. This way, the subject from above will order its genes to remain in a deterministic state that matches its consciousness and perception of reality. This is why sodium fluoride is used in large quantities and everything else that calcifies and therefore isolates the pineal gland as well as the widespread use of drugs, especially psychotropic ones, to suppress especially alert individuals, also calling them crazy or mentally ill, labeling it as schizophrenia, psychosis, depression, Asperger's, autism, attention deficit, and other false psychopathies that have other explanations from physical brain damage to sheer nonsense or mind control. The population is imposed the use of pharmaceutical drugs with enormous damage to their systems due to side effects put there by them under the excuse of masking symptom. They also socially imposed the use of hormone substances that separate the unified I, the original source, and keeps them very much in 3D, always maintaining them within the concept of the deterministic reality of victims 
accepting as true only what comes from their material senses. And that is living within an invasive mental control matrix. These substances are alcohol, tobacco and coffee. But in the case of allergies, the ones that do control genetic disorders and autoimmune illnesses and other ones such as cancer, which do have a genetic component to them, although not entirely dependent on genes, will maintain the negatively configured genetic structure if the connection to source of the subject is effectively suppressed. The modification of the human genome by aggressive means in a laboratory with intention of keeping humans under control and as slaves is not necessary. All that must be done is to mind control the population into accepting a belief system that will result in the subjects themselves changing their genetic configuration to the one that suits the controllers. This last statement is important because it's what has been going on for 12,500 years on Earth. The controllers not only know this, but they apply this with mastery. They make people believe something, and the people will eventually change their genes. It takes time. But they are patient, because their lifespan by far exceeds the one of humans. This is working against humans, because they are incapable of seeing things clearly when there is an agenda that involves slow but controlled changes that involve generations. Humans only can perceive what changes their immediate reality, sometimes being blind to changes that are done to them during the course of their lifetime. Change is the only constant in the universe. But that doesn't mean all changes are good, and that doesn't mean you should not react to changes that are affecting you directly or indirectly, both as a species and as an individual. Humankind is not equipped to see interests in an expanded context as to things that affect the entire species. They only can effectively perceive interests that involve their immediate survival, with rare exceptions, of course. The imposition of a belief system such as religion, including science, as it's dogmatic, therefore also a religion, and as a result, a genetic change will occur in the subject population in an acceptable period of time. Why so much interest in making us believe that we were manipulated in a laboratory or come from a monkey or hybridized with a monkey? 
because the moment you discover that you are not limited, your consciousness will rise and you will be liberated from the illusion of the matrix. You will have all your abilities. You will realize everything that goes on and therefore the matrix will end. How much is genetics linked to 4D and higher? The link with it is total. And not only with the 4D, but with all the densities, being part of a whole of the same. If a person is disconnected or isolated, it is their own ideas and beliefs of limitation that provide the genetic stability of artificial change. But that change does not have to be made in the laboratory. The body itself follows the instructions of the mind, following the concepts of epigenetics at a cellular and intracellular level. It goes much further than epigenetics, to the extent of explaining the entire formation of all DNA, and with it, of the individual and the species itself. The mind and consciousness create the individuals, their genetics, and all their personal traits at the total level. What I am saying is that epigenetics is not only how the mind and perception alter your body at a genetic level, but that it is how the whole body is constructed. With the mental control, which part of genetics is changed? Is there any part in particular that is the one that is altered? Mind control has the potential to change all genetics. To change a particular aspect, you only need to study what behavior, what ideas, concepts and beliefs are the ones that would influence a particular gene. But rarely, if at all, there is talk of altering a single gene. For what? Groups or segments of interrelated genes are altered. That in the end will give the desired result from the point of view of the controllers. The whole genetics can be changed. Or just one part. It is only necessary to change the mentality of the individual his perception, his concept of what is and is not real. In the 90s, in the USA, an experiment was conducted that ended up classified and was not disclosed to the public as it was. A group of elderly people was taken and isolated in a community structured as a town but set in the 1950s. All people were over 80 years of age. Everything was as it was in the 50s. Cars, food, music, even radio stations. As the weeks passed, they were all rejuvenated. 
their ailments were mostly disappearing. After three months, everyone was walking energetically without walking sticks. At six months, all had the physical body structure of at least 10 to 20 years younger. In some cases, up to 25 years younger. Everything is in the mind. Those people were mentally back in 1955, and their bodies, their genetics, was doing its best to adapt to the perception of the mind. They were still in the 90s, but by perception, they were not. They were back in 1955. I am aware that there is scientific evidence of genetic tampering in the laboratory on humans. I am not denying this fact, but what I am pointing out is the fact that those artificial changes do not constitute the reason, nor do they affect the whole as a species. They are localized and limited. An example of this is the said genomic telomerons that are at the end of the genetic sequence, and are said to be the point or the genetic structure that controls and limits human lifespan. This is not so. Those genomic telomerons shorten and notch year by year. As a result of the idea that you are aging, the genomic telomerons in general are part of any gene sequence and are lost due to other factors like being exposed to an aggressive and not nourishing hostile environment. You, the individual, has the idea that reality is hostile, but that is perception. And perception is dependent on belief systems and consciousness awareness. The reason why the telomeres shorten with the years is as a consequence of the idea that it is getting older. One of the explanations that you have been given that you age because the cells are copied to be replaced by new ones as part of the normal process of body regeneration. And that during the process, data is lost because of the shortening of the telomeres, resulting in deficient cells that, summed up, give the final result of an aged person. The genes, therefore, the telomeres, do not work as a bad copy of a copy of a copy that ends up degrading the sharpness of the original. This is not so. The genes can be replicated with total clarity and reliability in a virtually infinite way. Is my unconscious body perception and reality connected to the collective one? Because if so, even if I work on myself and change my beliefs, if the collective doesn't. I will still age, right? 
It is because you have an agreement with the collective to perceive reality the way you do. Aging. Sky is blue. Roses are red. Agreement. But you can override it. You can drastically slow it down. Svaru, maybe you can explain a bit how to override the genetics with consciousness. Because you said that the collective unconscious plays a role here too. Then how to override the genetics that is manifested on the basis of limited collective beliefs? It overrides genetics because they are perceptions. They are the external world in which the individual lives. Perceptions and experiences give you the framework of beliefs that in themselves form consciousness and individual frequency. This is what naturally modifies or overrides the genes of the individual. It is not necessary to modify a species such as the human one in the laboratory. If there is a more effective and easier way to achieve the desired behavior, the application of mental control and social engineering. If my perception and experience is of my aging parents, for example, then this gives me my belief we age. How to override this having the experiences around that only validate getting old? This gives me framework of belief, which afterwards will only validate more aging. It's a loop. How to get out of the loop and override this? That's why you are still aging. If you saw everyone around you not aging, why would you? What you describe is part of the matrix. Still, yes, you can fight it. Understanding that the fact that you see other people aging does not mean that you also will. You age because you are convinced you must age. It's not enough to change your mindset. It helps. But in 3D, you must accept that your body is functioning as apart from you due to the extra low frequency soup and density you live in. This means that your body is not well synchronized with your consciousness. And this is because, like it or not, that is part of what defines 3D density. Your apparent separation from source. Your body functions like your unconscious because it is your unconscious. So it is reacting before set program. That is what keeps you in a deterministic mindset as you fail to see any immediate or short-term changes to your body, even in spite of your efforts to raise your frequency and your consciousness, as well as your connection to source. You must treat your body as your unconscious, with the direct intention of changing the program. And one of the most effective tools to do so is repetition. They say that human life is getting longer now. What do you think about that? Does life 
expectancy. It obeys other things that have nothing to do with the final length of the human being that is around 85 to 90 years old. We must add environmental and toxic factors that also influence the final result. Factors such as the hostile environment, stress, cortisol, food poisoned by GMOs and chemicals, the high gravity of the Earth, because the human being was designed for a gravity of 80% of that of Earth. This directly influences the cartilages and bones, as well as the skin and other internal organs. What influences more? Mental control and beliefs or the factors you mentioned? As far as aging is concerned, everything influences. But the environmental factors fall to a distant second place after the state of perception consciousness of the individual. Everything is mind control. Just in the nick of time, everybody. We're overcoming aging in this era right now. Yes. And consciousness is expanding exponentially right now at the same time. And I wanted to make the point that what Putin did uh, by blowing up all the... Uh, American explosives that were put on those military bases in Ukraine, he averted that as war. And that's the truth. And so we'll see what goes on from here. There have been some um, shifts at the higher levels that are so much greater. And we'll have a little look at this with our brother Richard and... Um, uh, you know, looking at the stars and uh, subsequently our brother Kay Pacha and our sister Tanya Gabrielle coming up. Yet in the meantime, we'll take a little break and we'll have some music, some really fun and good and Rama, music that that lends itself to Ah, it's time for peace. Let's end the wars. The wars of consciousness, the wars going on inside each one of us. As we can change our genetic programming and makeup um, from what we got fed from so-called so-called ideologies that are based on the false matrix like these folks we're talking about. Namaste. Okay. We'll take a little break now, everybody. We'll see you very, very shortly. Namaste. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. Thank you, sir. And Richard. What? 
Um, it's they're very, very vociferous, uh, both Tanya and Kepacha today. So, but we can go over a little bit. I'm just saying, you know, there's a good 55 minutes of them having something to say. Well, there's as far as technical stuff goes, uh, the moon's in 21 degrees Capricorn right now. Oh. Yeah, and Venus comes on Mars. Still going on, and they're at uh, 25 Capricorn, 2404 and 2439, so they're about a half a degree apart. You still can't see Mars, because Venus is very bright. And then Jupiter is still at 28. Mercury has moved up to 15 Aquarius. And it is now conjunct Saturn in 19 Aquarius. And then we got the Sun at 9 Pisces. And Jupiter is at 14 Pisces. Neptune at 23. Chiron at 11. Uranus at 12. And our concentration here is Sounds great. Yeah, it's uh, 
I, idealism and uh, and devotion and uh, all kinds of coziness. Oh, good. Yeah, it's still hibernation time. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But the are still sleeping. <laughs> they are. Let's yeah. go. Take them. <laughs> okay, well, let's... Here well, we go. Mr. Bear, the Russia bear, is yeah. not quite sleeping. Oh, right. All right. Six months ago, I was down here, and this frickin' river was roaring. Anyway, Mother Nature is the great teacher. I'm going to be talking today about letting go, and, of course, in the dry season, the trees let go of those leaves and those branches, and it all goes down the river. (laughs) Anyway, so today... Besides having the third quarter moon, uh, if you want to learn any more about what's going on, you can read the Lunar Planner. I even wrote out the Sabian symbol for this third uh, quarter moon uh, in that Lunar Planner. But anyway, uh, so yeah, that, that is trying Chiron, which is pretty nice. Right? The moon is, uh, the moon is in uh, Sagittarius, trying Chiron in Aries. Uh, we have an active community down here at the river making these stone <laughs> markers. Let's get out of there. There we go. There's Mother Nature. Mars, sextile Neptune. Mercury, sextile Chiron. Sextiles are opportunity. Good stuff happening. Talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Thursday, tomorrow, Mercury comes into square Uranus and Venus. Sextiles, Neptune. You know, Mars and Venus are traveling together. So, Mars, uh, you know, Mars is sextile, Neptune today, Venus tomorrow. And then, uh, Friday, the moon comes into a sextile with the sun. Saturday, moon squares Chiron, trines Uranus, and sextiles Jupiter and Neptune. So that's going to be uh, very interesting. I'll be talking more about all of this. On Sunday, uh, the moon, okay, has gone into Capricorn, and she will be conjuncting Venus, Mars, and Pluto, which is what I'm going to be talking about most of the report. (laughs) Ah, yeah. And then on Monday... Uh, she's going to go along and uh, square Uranus and come into a conjunction with 
Mercury and Saturn because uh, next Wednesday we're going to have a Mercury-Saturn conjunction. So, you know, Mercury moves about a degree a day. He's jumping up, you know, uh, closing in on Saturn, just like Venus and Mars are closing in on Pluto. There's a nice shot. There's still some waterfalls, but... And then uh, uh, by Tuesday... Uh, we have the sun moving on through their Pisces, comes into a nice sextile with Uranus and Taurus. So let me find a nice spot. Shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> well, actually, finding a comfortable rock is not always super easy, but anyway, look at the camera and talk to you about this. All right, everybody. What was I going to say again? Yeah, well, the mantra uh, says it all for this week. Uh, and I was just sitting here meditating on what I could share today. And basically uh, what came to mind was Mickey Mouse. The time has come to say goodnight to all our family. <laughs> M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Probably dating myself. It's been a long time since old Mickey Mouse has been around. But, uh, yeah, let's look at this. I mean, the, the moon going from three quarters into balsamic, getting smaller, 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 waning, waning, waning to that new moon in Pisces next Wednesday. Venus and Mars gone all the way around, waning, balsamic, balsamic, getting smaller and smaller, boom, going into the underworld of Pluto. Mercury gone around the whole year, balsamic, ending, finishing, closing, come closing in on Saturn. Sun gone around, closing in on Jupiter. Jupiter, balsamic, coming around to Neptune. I mean, it's like, whoa. And then the Sun, Jupiter, Neptune in Pisces, the 12th sign of the Zodiac, closing, ending, finishing. Neptune's completing a 165-year cycle. Jupiter, a 12-year cycle. The Sun, a one-year cycle. It's like, holy cow. Like, the curtain, it's, it's like, guess what? The show is over. <laughs> curtain closing. It's curtain time, folks. <laughs> Whoosh. For those of you that are really interested in looking back and researching some of this stuff, I'll give you some dates here. Um, and, and that is that they're interesting dates to me because I do remember some of these dates. You will remember back in 2020, March of 2020, we know the Great Reset began with Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto conjuncting in 2020. But Mars came around to Pluto on March 23rd of 2020. And since then, Mars is about a two-year cycle. It has gone all the way around, and this will be its first return to Pluto since March 23rd, 2020. And I won't forget, because I was at this uh, Tantra retreat in March of 2020, and that's when they said, everybody go home and lock down. 
And then, interestingly enough, Venus. Venus last came around to Pluto January 29th of 2021. And if you recall, I believe I recall, that that was when uh, they came out with the, okay, we've got the solution, we've got the answer, everybody get jabbed. (laughs) Yeah, it was in January 2021. Besides the ruckus at the White House over there, you know, with the elections in the United States. The last time Mercury was conjunct Saturn, speaking of that resurrection, was in January 10th of 2021. Mercury Saturn, sober, serious thinking, communications, writing contracts, breaking contracts, forming with our left brain, Mercury, goals, Saturn. So, you know, this is a time of reviewing Saturn is the planet of reflection, reflecting and reviewing on where where do I want to go? Now, it's interesting. I've just been doing workshops, you know, in Mexico and Peru. I've been meeting lots of people, getting around, you know, checking out the scene, uh, you know, around the globe, around the planet, lots of international people from all over the place. And, you know, almost everybody is in this place of where... Where am I going? What am I doing? Where do I want to go? What's possible for me? But I mean, you know, a lot of people want chart readings now. It's a good time for a chart reading, but, you know, I'm a little overwhelmed with chart readings. It's just like, there's this big question now. Everything is up in flux. 52 card pickup. Everything's up in the air and it's gonna, and it's coming down. You know, it's, it's resettling. But right now, I would say, boom, it's up in the air. There's a lot of things up in the air. And that up in the air is letting go. Letting go. Sun, Jupiter, Neptune in Pisces. The sign of letting go. Now, Scorpio is about letting go. The eighth house, Pluto, Venus, Mars approaching Pluto is about death, ending of my singular expression in order to merge, unite, connect, be catalyzed and transformed into something even more, the caterpillar into the butterfly. Mm-hmm. But there is that meltdown phase, and we're in that meltdown phase right now. The caterpillar has to let go of its old body, of its old form. So this is a week. This is a time period, you know, last week, this week, whatever, you know, just like really about, you know, saying goodbye, this letting go of my old job, of my old marriage, of my old being single, of my old home, of my old lifestyle, of my money, (laughs) of my source of income. And if it's not happening there, maybe it's happening more on a spiritual inner level. Letting go of old values. I no longer value that. Letting go of old friends that are no longer feel the way that I do. And maybe it has to do with death. Facing death. Letting go of a loved one. And really feeling all of these belief systems. I used to believe 
you know, what the government said. I used to believe what so-and-so said. I used to believe, uh, you know, that there was a God. <laughs> Whatever, man. You know, I mean, it's like this is a time, like I say, everything is up for grabs. Saturn is, you know, Saturn is form and structure, moving through Aquarius, reforming and restructuring the future. Aquarius is the future. Reforming and restructuring society. Aquarius is society. Global consciousness. And science. Reforming, restructuring. You know, the way that we see things and look at things. Speaking of which, I mean, I don't want to get too, uh, you know, out there here on YouTube, but um, I got to be doing another video on some of the latest uh, uh, info coming in that is uh, going to reformulate a few uh, people's ideas about just what is going on here and tie so many things together. This is the other aspect of that. We let go. How can I say it now? You know, Pisces is like we let go of our ego assumptions, illusions, projections, you know, and we surrender to this divine plan, this divine intelligence that is like so far out of our control, you can just forget it. <laughs> now, this can be hard. Let's go through the different levels of this. Yes, this can be depression, thoughts of suicide. It's never going to be the same. I'll, I'll never be on top again, or I'll never be rich again, or I'll never find love again. I, and we can just go down, down, down. The freaking rabbit hole, the wormhole into the great void. And it's interesting because I'm familiar with David Data's work. Uh, it would be great if you were too. <laughs> but he talks about this is a masculine. The masculine actually seeks the void and confronts death and, you know, engages. It's like, you know, this gives the, the masculine wants to sit in the void with like nothing, the man cave. Mars Pluto is almost like, yeah, come on, you know, bring on some danger, bring on some death, bring on some emptiness. Love it, love it, love it. Empty counters, <laughs> empty horizontal spaces, you know, the Spartans of ancient Greece, you know, just Spartan living. That's you know, it's, it's super masculine kind of energy. So there's one way here of engaging emptiness. Sitting in the void. I put my, uh, at the end of this, I'm going to just, uh, I put my camera out this morning, right just before sunrise, as the sun rose. I mean, I, I recorded 25 minutes of the birds singing. <laughs> I'm not going to leave it on for 25 minutes, but just, you know, uh, there is this in dead silence. The darkness and the silence can be very, if, if we, if you can stop your fears and stop your projections and sit in that place, it is ultimately 
the place of infinite potential. If we let go, I, I want to encourage you, erase the chalkboard. You've got all the equations written on the chalkboard of your mind about what life means, about what you want, what fulfillment is defined by, what, you know, all this, that, and the other thing. Erase them. Get rid of them. And you will be what? This is the other aspect of Pisces is liberated spiritually, living in a sense of awe, of wonder at creation. Kind of a, you know, this, this open, the open heart, one with all that is. So this does not have to be a, a loss in the sense of loss and gain, good and bad, plus and minus. You can use this as a diving board. In fact, I want to get a picture of a uh, cliff diver it's for the thumbnail today, if I can find one. You know, mm. this is like cliff diving, and and I was uh, I was on a couple cliffs. Uh, it's it's like if you've ever jumped off a cliff <laughs> into water, hopefully. <laughs> Some of you may be, uh, you know, bungee jumping or whatever, but this feeling of falling, you know, it's like, you know, it's it's amazing. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people will do it over and over and over again. It's like, ah, you know, like I just surrender. I just let go. Pisces in the 12th house is the sign of self-undoing. Self-undoing. That was in the old books, right? You know? I'm very familiar with that. I've got five planets there. <laughs> you know? It's just like, oh, man. No sooner do you get it, does it come together than it falls apart. You know? And this, But this feeling, there's almost, what is that? There's a, some definition. The joy of self-immolation. You know, it's like, you know, where it's just like, okay, God, spirit, source, have your way. I give up. You know, this can be just like amazingly awesome. This is a, and this also has to do with, you know, ayahuasca and shrooms and, you know, all the other, you know, uh, techniques, alcohol, whatever, you know, to just like, ah! I'm just letting go. What the hell? Out into the wild, you know. There is this. Let's, yeah, there it is. There it is right there. Waterfall. Waterfall. That's a small one. <laughs> and then again, it's not always something to laugh at. And you can have friends, family, yourself really be going through your heart breaking open as loved ones pass or as a future desire, you know, like, you know, I had this idea that I was going to clean all the rivers in Mexico or whatever, you know, I mean, I, you know, we could have very big 
plans for our lives with very high, you know, goals. I mean, very high, what, you know, um, intentions for good. Really wanted to help Gaia. I, I'm, I'm, de- I'm definitely there. It's like, you know, I, I did this whole, oh yeah, I wanted to share that today. I was in, uh, talking to the Kieros. They came down, the, the Kieros are these, uh, kind of shamans that live in the high, high, high Andes, uh, mountains, you know, 5,000 meters <laughs> and up. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. <laughs> well, they came down and spoke with us and talked to us and, and did ceremony with us. And one of the ceremonies that they did was you take five stones and you put two in your left hand and three in your right hand and you you run them over your whole body. Yeah? And you give all of your sorrow. You give all of your sin. You give all of your guilt. You give all of your shame. What? It's just like you remove and, and you speak to these five stones and you whisper I want to get rid of I want to let go of I mean what we can do is we can make this ceremony we can make this beautiful we can make this a cleansing look the sun just rose <laughs> wow Yeah. This can be beautiful if we have faith, hope, trust, and love yep. in our hearts. Without faith, hope, trust, and love, that there is a divine intelligence, that there is a creative source that, that, that you know, that 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 put this out here, then, you know, you know, if we think our ego, you know, created our lives and whatever, you know, in our reality, yeah, I feel very sorry for these people, yeah, because, you know, it's a major lesson in humility. We can all be experiencing a major lesson in just who do you think you are? Or who did you think you were? <laughs> big shot. Um. Mr. Big Stuff. Never going to get my love. I don't know which one that was, but <laughs> uh, the song for today it's actually reminds me is Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> Elton John. You had a lot of letting go to do. <laughs> Have another vodka and tonic set you on your feet again. <laughs> That's another. Ouch. Yeah. Escape. During these times of letting go, surrender, allowing, accepting what is, which is maybe different from what we thought, wanted, or desired. Mm-hmm. We numb out. We try to sleep a lot. Right? You know, where we drink a lot, smoke a lot, do a lot of, you know, just like, you know, just try to, try to obliterate ourselves. 
so we don't feel the feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to encourage you. Feel the feelings. Yes. Feelings, to me, are like a rainbow. Feelings are a spectrum. And what we can do is we can, we can expand our spectrum. And as you expand and feel your grief, your sorrow, your loss, your humanness in the negative pole, guess what? You are also like automatically expanding your capacity for joy, light, and the highest frequencies of that spectrum. So, yeah, 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 we, we, we can go down. But when, you know, when you go down, you can also, like I say, let go and go into that void, the stillness, the serenity of emptiness. Go out in nature. Get out of the city. Go where there's no sound at all. Yeah. If you can. You said those space-time tanks. You ever gone into one of those? There's one back up there I want to try in Auburn, but I've, I've been in, I've only been in one once. And they just like, it's sensory deprivation. So I, all I want to do is, you know, I want to encourage you to embrace these transits. Embrace this time. Go into the space-time tank of sensory deprivation. See what's there. Look at it as an exploration. Look at it as an investigation. If I take everything away, what's left? What's left is the seed of the future. What's left is what's coming. There is a sunrise, like the mantra says. The darkest hour is just before the dawn. Even though whoever wrote that doesn't have any idea what, I I don't know how they could have said that. (laughs) The darkest hour is not just before the dawn. (laughs) The darkest hour is like freaking midnight, man. The sky gets lighter and lighter and lighter very gradually. (laughs) My last preaching for the day. Slow down. Um, and I gotta uh-oh. listen to my own self. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I got the big message in those mountains. Frickin' slow down, Buster. <laughs> and there's a lot more. It's like, quit the movie in slow motion. And you will see and notice a lot more of what we don't notice going full speed ahead. You know what I mean? The head goes at a hundred miles an hour and the heart goes, you know, at 40 miles an hour and your belly goes about 10 miles an hour. Get down into the belly, baby. (laughs) Slow down. These cycles 
yeah, of evolution. Go really slow, you know. And we've got our computers, and we've got our iPhones, and we've got our, you know, stimulating all this bullshit that we don't even see Pachamama working. Yeah. We don't even see the soul energy. <laughs> all right. Enough, man. I'll leave you alone. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's time to say goodbye <laughs> to things that might have been. But though the night is dark, still the sun will rise again. Mm-hmm. Yep. It will. Mm-hmm. What can I say, man? (laughs) It has every day since the beginning of Earth. What was that? Four billion years ago. Times 365. That's a lot of sunrises. And they're always followed by a sunset. Enjoy the sunset. Let the sun go. Let the light go. And you know, the old Egyptians, you know, there is Apophis, the great snake that tries to swallow the sun. And the sun has to battle that Apophis world serpent every night in the old Egyptian mythology. And, you're right, you know, and, and every night, our light, our solar purpose, Ourself has to go through the dark night of the soul. Boom, 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 boom. And then we can see that the sun, the light, is victorious every time. <laughs> you, not just the sun will rise again, you will rise again. Ow! I will rise again. <laughs> it just goes on and on. There's another song, The Beat Goes On. And the beat goes on. Anyway, I gotta get out of here, man. I got a shitload of stuff to do today. (laughs) It's time to say goodbye to things that might have been. But though the night is dark and still, the sun will rise again. One more thing, (laughs) since I'm at it. I was going to say, it's time to say goodbye to dreams that might have been. But I I, I kept things rather than dreams. This is not a time. Okay, we don't have to say goodbye to our dreams. Don't say goodbye to your dreams, man. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying... I'm saying, like, you, let go of what is and has been. <laughs> yeah? What is and has been. I'm not, it's just not a time to give up your dreams. Give up your things. <laughs> and, and, and allow those dreams to come true, yeah? Enough, man. Namaste. Aloha. <laughs> so much love. Thank you.
That's a talking stick to you, Richard. Okay, bro. I'm I'm looking at the new moon chart here, and uh, I I can't remember any time that I've seen a chart configured like this. That that's obvious. Consider this: on Wednesday, around twelve thirty in the afternoon, Eastern Time. Venus, Mars, and Pluto will all be at 28 Capricorn. We, we know this is coming, and, you know, it's finally showing up. So you've got a picture there. Now, Mercury and... Richard, you're break- Richard, you're breaking up a little bit. I'm sorry. I- Hello? Mercury and Saturn conjunct both at 20 degrees of Aquarius. And then you've got the moon and the sun at 13 Pisces and Jupiter at 15 Pisces. So there's another triple conjunction with Neptune close by at at 21. But you got you got Moon, Sun, Jupiter, thirteen, thirteen, and fifteen degrees. So you know if you got stuff in your chart at those angles, then uh, so you got late Cancer opposite to Pluto and the Venus and Mars, you've got the middle of Aquarius. Over there in Leo, you Leos may have an interesting time this week with, with Saturn. Well you've been you've been obstructed with Saturn and Aquarius, right? So all Leos have been having uh cosmic resistance, I guess is a, a good general idea to Talk about Saturn, and then, of course, Mercury, Mercury, Saturn. That's all that very serious, serious, serious stuff. And then, and then you got Sun conjunct Jupiter. So the, the Sun will, Sun will be conjunct Jupiter next Saturday. Uh, so I wish everybody a, a good week. I think, Kaipaka said last week, uh, lay low for a couple of weeks at least. And that's still that's still a good piece of advice from my way of looking at things. Just lay lay go, stay cool. It's the end of the month, you know. Yeah. It's the last, it's the last sign. It's the last sign of the year. Finish up that old any unfinished business, you know. Try and get that taken care of. Because spring is only a few days away. It's true. Wow. Yeah. Uh, about 19 days. All right. Well, that's that's what I got for you. It may not sound like a lot of advice, but everybody's condition is different, you know. So, anyway. Uh have a good
good week, everyone, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Here we are with Tanya. Yeah, we'll see if we can go over a bit and finish her. I think we can. Here we go. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming events in the stars and numbers, the astrology and numerology to get insights and inspiration. And in this case, we're going to focus on the Pisces new moon, which comes around once every year, happening on March 2nd. Now, Pisces is such a wonderful sign of unity, of love, of compassion, dreams, spirituality. So it's always a lovely time of the year when this new moon comes around. Now, this new moon creates a gorgeous conjunction with Jupiter, which is so exciting because Jupiter is the original ruler of Pisces, and Jupiter is very close to Neptune as well. All four are in Pisces, Sun, Moon, Jupiter, Neptune. So this creates a stellium, and stelliums are very intense focused energies. In this case, it's very positive (laughs) focused, intense energy. There's also a sextile to Uranus from the new moon, which brings fortunate, surprising, spiritual breakthroughs and blessings and healing. So there's just so much here about freedom, inspiration, and a powerful spiritual awakening. Now, the new moon is exact on March 2nd, 2022, at 5.35 p.m., and that's universal time in London. So that'll be 12.35 p.m. Eastern time, New York, and 9.35 a.m. L.A. time, Pacific. So it's important to note that this is the final of six consecutive new moons at 12 degrees. And 12 reduces to three. March is the third month, so 1 plus 2 for 12 equals 3. March is the third month, and 3 times 3 equals 9, and March in 2022 is a 9 universal month. So why are these numbers important? Because 3 and 9 are in the 369 triad of love, of self-expression, of joy, of expression in any sense of the word, so creativity. This is the creation triad. And the power of three is very important because it represents the past, present, and future. It represents father, mother, child. It represents mind, body, spirit. So anything that comes in threes is always very potent energy. And because this number three ties into the number 12, 12 reduces to three, and this New moon happens at 12 degrees, the sixth one in the row, and remember six is part of this 369 triad. This is a really fortunate moment here because we're breaking away from what the shadow side of 12 represents. For the last six months, we've really been awakened more than ever to break away from being a victim, from letting others dictate to us how to feel, what to do, what to focus on. And instead, we are freeing ourselves up to find that independent, uh, sovereign 
approach to life that resonates purely with our heart as opposed to being a hand-me-down or a top-down belief or expectation that is placed on you. So this has been the big theme for the last six months, and then it really culminates with this Pisces new moon in a very fortunate way because of that conjunction with Jupiter and with Neptune, the two rulers of Pisces, Jupiter being the original ruler, and Jupiter, of course, represents joy and wisdom and expansion. So there's a lot here that is just making this experience uh, one of incredible letting go, Pisces being the final sign, so it really does govern the end of something. And then at the same time, the new moon is creating this juxtaposition of new beginnings in the letting go and release sign. So this is leading up to one of the most important astrological events this year, and that is when Jupiter and Neptune actually form an exact conjunction, and that will be on April 12th. So again, that number has appeared, and if you think about it, the Piscean age that we have left, we've moved into the Aquarian age, we're at the very beginning of that 2,000-year age now, the Piscean age, the, the shadow side of Pisces is also to give your power away, to be a victim. So we're really coming to terms with new beginnings of freedom, and that's why the the 60-degree sextile to Uranus is so important. It's a very harmonious aspect. Uranus is about freedom and independence of thought and moving into the future without any constraints. And so there's this real understanding of we've completed a whole big, long chapter in human history of being basically told what to do or told what to think or told what to believe and are starting a brand new 2000 year chapter of total freedom where the two waves of Aquarius are actually separate. So that means that we have an identity of our own and then we join the consciousness, the collective with our free understanding that we are not beholden to the collective. We are just part of the collective. We are all one, and yet we are all individuated. So it's a very different approach. It is not one where you feel obligated to follow a certain line of thought or belief, but one where you actually think for yourself and explore. If, if anything, freedom is about exploration. So the magic of this new moon is that you're being asked to create a space so that you let go in order to allow new frequencies, new opportunities, new wisdom through Jupiter to be born within you. Something that aligns better with you, that matches your frequency in a more harmonious way. Neptune and Pisces are all about beauty and harmony. And so they also govern dreams. So you will come out of your dream state, be fully conscious about what needs to end so that you can begin fresh with every moment, every thought, every conversation. So this, this energy of this positive new moon is really creating a situation that feels beyond your wildest dreams. Because you've been released from the shackles of expectation. And that is truly symbolic of freedom. So pay attention to any symbols that come your way. 
any messages that come up in your dreams because you're really ready to let go and allow your dreams to come to fruition now. They may be very vivid. They may be prophetic. You know, Jupiter, Pisces, Neptune, incredibly intuitive combination here. So anything is possible. This is really why you're here is to understand that you are an infinite being of light that you come from God consciousness, that you are part of a collective that is totally eternal and infinite, and that means anything is possible. That's what infinity means. So so that's what you're here to embody. That is what you trust in, is your own ability to tap into that those infinite opportunities, that infinite sense of who you are. So this Jupiter... Neptune meeting with the sun and moon and Pisces is really activating your destiny. Your destiny being what lights you up with a sense of purpose. And the growth is enormous. The flip side of 12, the positive expression of that 12 degree is self-growth, is learning, is being the eternal student. And Jupiter also governs growth, expansion, good fortune, so the personal growth factor is big. The collective growth factor is big. And when you add Uranus to the equation, Uranus being the ruler of the new age that we have entered, being exactly sextile the new moon, while Uranus is in Taurus, which is a very stable sign of abundance and pleasure and values, this brings a lot of exciting opportunities to Jupiter's growth and Jupiter's wisdom and Neptune's ability to enhance spiritual growth. And so you feel very generous. You feel open-hearted. You feel abundant, prosperous. You are ready to expand your horizons. And you can improve on so many levels. Wealth expansion, health, happiness, spiritual service, new relationships, intimacy that reaches beyond what it's ever done before, meaning this trust in yourself allows you to be very vulnerable and open. So nothing is hidden. Nothing is cloaked in illusion. And then we also have Mercury conjunct Saturn. And this conjunction is exact literally an hour before the new moon is exact. So it's very much part of this new moon. It's really amazing for concentration and for being able to think very clearly. So the ability to, to think with clarity, critical thinking, productive thoughts that are not distracting you from doing what you're here to do, but literally are giving you the sustained concentration power, the patience, the sound judgment to move beyond old habits and that includes how you think, how you speak, how you convey your message. And then you get into a positive approach instead. So you want to be very conscious about how your thoughts are impacting what you're saying and obviously conveying and communicating and how you connect those to your personal life, but also your professional life. So Saturn governs your professional life. So this is very potent energy in that it helps you to really get down to the nuts and bolts of 
how your thoughts impact your reality. And then we have another stellium. I mean, almost every planet is in a stellium except, or, or a conjunction, except for Uranus. Uh, Neptune, Jupiter, Sun and Moon, uh, Mercury and Saturn are in a conjunction. And then the final stellium is Pluto, Mars, and Venus. So it's pretty much every planet except Uranus. This is ex- extraordinary. Uranus is also the ruler of the New Age. So, hey, Uranus is showing the way here towards freedom. So the final stellium, Mars and Venus, which have been traveling together as a unit since February 16th and continue to travel together and showing us our internal divine feminine and sacred masculine are bringing us to a place of balance, how important that is. Well, there's a stellium with Pluto, Mars and Venus, and that exact triple conjunction happens just hours after the new moon and on March 3rd. So we got 3-3. So again, that that triad of creation, the mother-father-child creation, is showing up in this stellium, which involves three planets. I should say three. So Mars and Venus and Pluto together create intense, powerful energy. And when you use it for an actual purpose, because Pluto is empowering, Pluto purges, and through the purging process, through the letting go and making space for what actually matters now in every moment, you empower yourself. So when you use this energy of the stellium, which is so such a potent creation in the heavens when three or more planets get together, When you use it with high intentions, it's going to work for you in miraculous ways. So whatever you're passionate about, whatever lights you up with joy, you want to follow that thread. You want to be purposeful. You want to activate the energy constructively instead of letting it get out of control. And that means if you are able to harness this amazing opportunity and focus and and drive that because Mars is involved here too, right? A major transformation is possible and transformation happens within. And so this Mars Venus conjunction, yes, it's also about love, but it is truly about your internal ability to be in balance with the uh, light and dark, the masculine and feminine, the ability to not take sides, but be in total balance. And by the way, we have a very challenging representation right now of what happens when there is conflict and there is a lack of balance. And that conflict that's evolving right now, we're talking about the Ukraine-Russia situation, it is a symbol of what it is we're moving away from, that we don't want to repeat a sense of fighting the other side in order to get some kind of goal accomplished because there is no, there's nothing that gets accomplished through the uh, frequency of conflict. And so this Venus Mars conjunction is reminding us to not get into a war per se, an internal war within you where you're feeling that internal division because the division itself removes you from your ability to intuit and to stay above the lack of compassion for another. So really it's an invitation to love even the most unlovable. Mm. 
And that's really where you know that you are connected to God consciousness, to source, Mm -hmm. is when you're able to share love, even with those or situations that you find are unlovable. So the Pluto conjunction with Mars and Venus is very important to deepen those feelings of love. You know, Venus rules Taurus. That is where Uranus is, the ruler of the Aquarian age. And Venus is is truly about affection and reaching out and the the importance of of, of seeing the beauty and of not moving away from your values. If your values are filled with love, then that is where you're going to be heading. If you value something that is not loving, that is also where you'll be heading because Pluto is going to expand it. So is Jupiter. Remember that Jupiter and Neptune are conjunct this new moon and Neptune is borderless and Jupiter is about enhancement and expansion. So whatever you focus on now, if it is separation, you will feel it much more. So it is very important to be empowered through love, passion, beauty, peace, and to focus on creation, to focus on inner wisdom and your ability to get yourself out of any situation through trust, through listening. You know, this is a magical new moon. It is very, very positive. It also gives you a lot of power to create. And you can use that power however you wish, but it will move rapidly. It will expand whatever you focus on in a way that uh, will really take off. So you'll get feedback right away. And if you can just remember that Pisces energy is about connecting with what is beyond, so beyond the veil, connecting with the divine, with God, with source, with the universe, with love, with light. If you can just focus on that, that the veil is being parted and we're seeing this stunning new world and we are using our intuition in ways that are seeking answers through wisdom, through compassion. This is a new moon of spiritual rebirth. This is a new moon that allows you to surrender. And if Pisces is anything, it is surrendering to love. So when you surrender your constant thoughts of, you know, whatever it is that's separating you from your heart, your thoughts that are getting distracted by, for example, listening to the news, watching TV, whatever it is, right? That's a good way to lose your connection to source. So it is very important to watch yourself, observe yourself, and surrender to love. That's the key to inner peace is is actually surrender. And if you try to fight what is appearing in front of you, you will feel that sense of, separation and you will have a life of suffering there won't be an ease because you've decided to move away from allowing the flow of the universe of life itself to show you the way as opposed to listening to whichever source you 
are giving your power to for advice on how to think about a situation, that is not, that is, it's not for us to take feedback from other people's point of view of what's happening. It is for us to turn to source for inspiration on how to move forward in the most loving way. And that's how, that's how you tune to goodness. That's how life will feel, feels supportive and good to you no matter what is going on around you. You're here to uncover what it is that is blocking peace and love and happiness. And we're seeing obvious signs of that right now, but those signs have been there all along and they're just coming into our conscious awareness much more now because of the times we're in, in 2022. So what you need to give up to no longer suffer is nothing tangible. It's just being willing to let go of thoughts that are separating you from source, from the light, from the light of wisdom. So it's really actually very simple. And when you tune into this 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 sense of beauty in your life, the present moment, which is filled with potential and is such a incredible way to tune into your divine source. It changes everything. So the Pisces full moon, which is conjunct Jupiter, is all about finding that happiness. It's all about embodying peace. It's all about living here, now, fully, in a rich, complete, happy life, to feel enriched from within. You're here to discover that joy and peace are actually within you. They're not external, right? These solutions are not external. The solution is within you. And you're here to express that solution to the world. You're not here to do anything except access that inner knowing. That is it to relax and surrender to that immense, quiet space within you that gives you everything. And that's where eternal love resides. And that's what Pisces represents, is that unconditional love. And that is the spiritual awakening for this Pisces new moon. It's an extraordinary moment, one that also activates the number two happening on March 2nd in 2022 and this number two is truly about the joining of the feminine and masculine energies within each one of us Mm -hmm. to not feel division but to have a bridge to bridge the right and left the light and dark the feminine and masculine without judgment only discernment and discernment comes from acute listening within So have an amazing Pisces new moon. Remember that your own star code reveals so much about you and can help guide you to that place of inner peace through your birthday, your birth certificate name, and your astrology chart. And to find out more about your star code, go to starcodeclass.com for a free masterclass I created for you. It includes a free handout as well. It's really fun, and you get to also discover your neighbors, your family, your friends, and how they have a specific purpose and destiny just like you. So everybody's designed in a very unique way, and that can be discovered at starcodeclass.com. So enjoy that free masterclass. 
And I will see you next week for our next Star Codes episode. Lots of love. Well, we're done here, and we are going to our conference call now. That was absolutely stunning. Yes, Rama. Uh, the number is 720-716-7301, and the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Okay, so together, yeah, 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 or two or more are gathered <laughs> to bring joy from within. Okay, everyone, we will see you on the conference call, and then at the top of this next hour, we'll be right back here at BBS Radio Station 2, that radio station, the best one in the universe. Beam me up, Scotty. Okay. See you on the conference, everyone. Namaste. Rama, tell us what that was. Uh, this was a Lemurian homecoming song. Oh, a long one. That's why I felt so comfortable with that one. Mm. Yes. All bubbles of the land of Mu are coming home now. Oh my. So, <laughs> shall we do this one, Rama, huh? Embodying shamanic balance? Yeah. That one. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. this is. Find it. How can we find calm in times of chaos? Shamanic practitioner and teacher. Jan Engelsmith reminds us that station situations <laughs> arise as the experiences are needed for the greater good. Just as humans shift frequency, Earth is also going through a frequency shift, resulting in a change of rhythm for all of humanity. Ah, Explaining how humans can find harmony and balance with Earth and all of life in existence, Engels Smith shares that despite chaotic change, we can all embrace divine love in our, capital O, capital U, capital R, our physical reality. All right, everybody, this is 45 minutes. You ready, honey? Mm Mm-hmm. Here we go. I really see humans as an advanced species I do too. in the in the universe. We're creating the outcomes. And so, you know, all of life is dependent on what we're doing there. And it feels like chaos, it can feel like madness. It can feel like destruction. 
it can feel hopeless. You know, you're just, you're in this place of like, what in the world is going on? We are all being tasked with raising our frequencies to go into harmony with Earth. The way that I kind of view going for a walk in nature and you just feel so much better is because you're surrounded with things that don't have an ego. What the spirits were saying is all the answers are available to you, but you're not asking the right questions. It's all working for the evolution of humanity. What the world needs now are philosophers and shaman to make sense of the increasing chaos, words and actions that have real outcomes. Toward that end, we're talking with Jan Inglesmith today, a 21st century shaman who never stops seeking for the truth. <laughs> and we are going to look at what we can do to bring light and coherence back to our lives. A lot of people are unglued right now, right? In fact, we're all talking about just as we're taping this, this is one of those kind of crazy weeks with unstable energy and actions happening around the world that empaths in particular are all absorbing. Mm -hmm. And how how are you faring with all that? Have you felt some of that too? (laughs) Are you as crazy as the rest of us? (laughs) I have felt some of that. I have. But, you know, one of the things that people are talking about, you know, how crazy it is and chaotic. To me, that's all part of the conditions that We've called forth that the, that the earth is going through and we as humans are here on the planet, uh, incarnating at this time to usher through as good humans and really bring it forth. I agree. And this is a particularly important point yeah. that comes up now and then in interviews. The earth is going through her own frequency shifts. Mm-hmm. You know, some people think, oh no, we're already in the fifth dimension. No, not physically. We are not. Or you would, we would have blown apart at the seams. <laughs> you don't go from material to non-material in a couple decades or, yeah. you know, even millennia. So this third going into fourth dimensional earth mm-hmm. is lifting her frequencies and the cosmos is calling for it. The sun, the great central sun is calling for this. Right. Right. We are going along for the ride. Right. And so let's talk about what happens when you, we know this even when other people around us shift their frequency. That's right. And the struggles that happen. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what happens when she moves her frequencies up and we're living somewhere else. Right. As the earth frequencies go up, we have to match that. And it's interesting because in shamanism, the earth frequencies was stable for a long time and that's how we did our drumming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever told that. No, yeah, tell us. Yeah. But, um, I learned how to drum at uh, the rate of 7 megahertz per second because mm-hmm. that was the Earth's kind of frequency, and that brought us all in alignment, and we sort of reconnected to our core. You know, the, the Earth uh, beat is the mm-hmm. kind of like the first beat that we hear, only it's in our mother's heartbeat, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you can simulate that with a drum, it takes you back into this very altered state of knowingness. Mm-hmm. And so that's in harmony with the earth, mm-hmm. harmony with the earth, harmony with all life and everything that exists. But the earth's frequencies are changing so fast. There's no way that you could drum, you know, at those types of levels. But we have to bring our frequencies up or we feel like we're bombarded. And it feels like chaos. It can feel like madness. It can feel like destruction. It can feel hopeless. You know, you're just, you're in this place of like, what in the world is going on? But with, you know, doing particular practices, and that's what I'm all about, you know, right. doing the healings and doing the practices, 
you want to keep bringing up that frequency so that you're in harmony with it. And that fifth dimension that you're talking about, that's a dimension of love. Right. And that is an, an aspect and a dimension of earth and a dimension of us. But where we live in this terra firma, that's not fifth dimensional. No. And people are getting confused over that message. Mm-hmm. And I've clarified that with other channelers that say, yes, you're, you're great. That is not your physical earth, mm-hmm. but that's where your, your being is attempting to resonate in your own multidimensional right. self. And as that resonance continues, then the physical world will shift. And we talked about that. Yeah, we did. And, you know, when when we're talking about this, this is what's coming to mind. Mm -hmm. We read books. We watch films Mm -hmm. about someone who's just, you know, been on the hamster wheel. They're just grinding it out. They're going to win, 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 competing with each other. They're at the top of the heap. And something happens and cracks in their lives. Mm -hmm. And normally the way that story goes is something happens where they either find their heart, their compassion, how important other people are to them, and the material part just starts dropping away in terms of importance. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what's happening right now? As a materialistic species, we've we've explored that to the max. Mm -hmm. And the earth rising, I think it's kind of indicating to us the material structures around us must transform and change. And that includes our own and our own attachments to these things. It does, absolutely. But I like to look at things without the need for catastrophe. You know, yeah, how, we don't have to catastrophize it. Yeah, yeah. Know, how can you do it? Um, I have a favorite shaman, a favorite story about a shaman, and I can hear my students laughing right now because I tell this story all the time. Okay, they, they share know it please. as well as I do. But um, this is a true story. It took place in Machu Picchu down in Peru, and there was fires down there mm-hmm. that they were out of control and it's a sacred site and the site was being threatened. So the council that runs Machu Picchu called in shamans to mm-hmm. put out the fire, which is one of my favorite parts of the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's shamans. And uh, so the shamans arrived and they started doing what shamans do. You know, you go out, you drum, you sing, you connect with the elements and all those different things. But this one particular shaman, she wanted to uh, have a little hut made. It's in Lakota, we call it a wiki up. It's a, like a private little sweat lodge mm-hmm. that's dark and you go in there and pray. So she went in there and she prayed for like a day and a half and the fires went out and everybody knew it was her. It wasn't what the other ones were doing. Mm-hmm. And they said, how'd you do that? How'd you put out the fires? And she said, I found where I was out of alignment in myself. And when I write that, the external world then changed. Right. Profound. It is profound. And that's what I mean. It's not about looking out here. It's like, what are you doing on the inside? Yeah. It's all connected. The earth's emotional and mental bodies are connected with our emotional and mental bodies. And we're connected with one another. Mm -hmm. The more each one of us can come into alignment and be have courage to let go of what has to be let go of. Yes. I mean, we are going to have to let go of some elements of who we thought we were and what life was about. Mm-hmm. And to change. Yeah. People want everything to be different, but they're not willing to change themselves. This is huge. Yeah, it's huge. And, you know, that's, that's to me, the, the ticket. It's like, if you want things to be different, how are you going to be different? Mm-hmm. And if you just keep asking that question, and it's really about your connection to, to spirit. I mean, in the simplest 
terms. It's, it's that whole connection to your inner, inner self, your inner dimensional self and your spiritual self and how you are connected to everything else. And we can give lip service to this. Like you said, you can read books, you can watch movies, but it's the practice. Exactly. It's the practice of how are you changing inside? And then that is going to be reflected to the outside reality and what you see and what you're going through. And this requires hum- not just courage, but humility. <laughs> and a lot of people, uh, the ego does not want to have to humble itself mm-hmm. in order to make these changes that are necessary. Mm-hmm. But I think if we all understand everyone's in the same boat, right. we are all being tasked with raising our frequencies to go into harmony with earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we understand that, all of us are going to have to say, you know, okay, this isn't working for me anymore. Yeah. We all have to do it and not take, it's not a shameful thing to have to change. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. <laughs> but some people feel yeah. like I'm not going to, I'm not going to admit it. You know, we can't do that anymore. It's not that that time has passed. Yeah. It's, it's morphing and changing. Nature is always doing it and mm-hmm. you can look to nature and, and really feel connected to the environment because that's where we need to stay very connected to. Yes. And if, you know, if we look at the things that morph and change and which is constant. Yes. You know, what is this saying? The only thing that's constant is change. Yeah. Rams, <laughs> yes. It's change. It's true. And as the earth is continuing to change, the best we can do for ourselves, and this comes up in almost every show I do now, to be in touch with nature, to be in touch with the sky, the sun, the trees, you know, the moon, all of it. Yeah. Um, because that is our most direct path to staying in harmony with the earth is to be with her and yeah. the wisdom that comes from her and the calm, mm-hmm. the calm that comes from her as well. Yeah. You were talking about the ego earlier and, um, the way that I kind of view going for a walk in nature and you just feel so much better because yeah. you're surrounded with things that don't have an ego. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're so right on that. Uh, sometimes, maybe sometimes best just to walk alone too. Um, so at least you only have to do deal with yours. So one of the things you were told by your guides is that we, this is the fork in the road. Mm-hmm. We have come there and I, I've been calling it a bifurcation of consciousness mm-hmm. and we've arrived. We've arrived. We're there. So, Let's talk about what they told you and what the options are. And I think most people will be able to relate very strongly with this. Either go into the madness of the chaos and live it and worry about it and be anxious about it. Refuse to change. Refuse to change. Or you say, okay, I'm here. I say yes. I, if you want to use the word surrender, not everybody likes that word. I happen to like it. Uh-huh. But, you know, I am available to this. And you start learning. You start learning how to be connected. And there's so many wonderful options out there in the world today to do that, that I think in shamanism, at least, it's experiential. It's not like you're learning from a book or you're learning from videos. You're doing it. it they're activities. You learn who your helpers are, who your guides are. It doesn't matter if you want to go the angelic route or the deity route or whatever, but you start building relationships with these beings, with the earth beings, with the, with the spirits of the land, you know, all of these different things, whatever that road is for you. But you have to start a practice. I mean, we are spiritual beings and we 
need to have a spiritual practice, and that means you're working with spirit. <laughs> right, exactly. And another point that you make is that we're not intended to go through this as loners. Mm-hmm. You know, the time of the competitive loner, really the patriarchal era, yeah. is drawn to a close. Right. And we're not here to compete with one another. We're here mm-hmm. to all rise together. Right. And so... What does that mean to you and how do you work that with your, with your students, your family and sure. your friends in terms of helping one another go through this together? And you can, sure. any stories you have or examples of people who've really had to let go and had very surprising things happen mm-hmm. that they've turned into gold in their own spirit. Mm-hmm. Please share. <laughs> sure. Well, to me, you know, my life has been doing ceremony for like the last 30 years working with the spirits and having all different kinds of transformations take place. Um, and I feel like one of the most important things is like you're saying, the non-competitive and that people learn that we have to work in unity and collaboration and support and love. And when you do those types of things, um, the spirits call it, you become masters of loving kindness uh-huh. and that just automatically raises the uh, your energy. Competition and loving kindness are completely different fields. Opposite fields. Yeah. And so just even saying the word, you know, can kind of like, oh, I'm going to be in my loving kindness today is like this completely different energy altogether. Mm-hmm. It is. And I mean, for myself, I found, I, I realized this, I guess I was in my 20s, I thought whenever I was feeling blue, like something wasn't happening that I thought was going to happen, or I was waiting <laughs> too long to, uh-huh. for a job to come through or something, because the world of TV is cruel. Yes, there's a lot of waiting. And, you know, just at that anxiety, where's my next paycheck coming from? I always thought, well, you know, if I can just do something nice for someone. Mm-hmm. I'd shift my focus and think, what can I do? Who can I call? Just offer something nice into the world mm-hmm. or kind. Mm-hmm. Bake a cake, whatever, for someone else. And that would always, that just, that totally flipped the energy for me. It always has. Yeah, and you know, as you're saying that, it, it can sound really Pollyanna trite. or trite, but there's such a deep level to it because if it's coming from you authentically, mm-hmm. and again, it's this connection that I think that, that is so important. Um, I was adopted into a, a Lakota family about 28 years ago. And one of the things that I learned very early on is a belief that they hold that you're actually born with 405 helping spirits. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not a literal number, yeah. but... It's a number of huge quantity. Yeah. And like you said, we're not here to do it alone. Like Mm -hmm. these spirits are assigned to you. Like you are their mission. (laughs) You know, you're born, Mm -hmm. this little soul comes in. You are their mission. Mm -hmm. But you have to learn how to dialogue. You have to learn how to connect with them. You have to learn to trust them and them trust you. And you have to include them in your life. And when you do that, you'll find that everything starts to shift. Uh, the, your responses are different to things. Triggers go away. A whole, a peace sets in, a wholeness sets in because you, there's this trust that is innate to the soul. It's innate to our, to our soul's existence. Trust, 
joy, love, unconditional. That's all in our core. And when we can make these relationships that feel that way, we thrive. And it doesn't matter what the outside world is doing because you're set in yourself. And the more people that can do that, that outside world will change into the dimension. The fire goes out. The fire goes out. Like they summit. The fire yes. goes out. Yes. Yes. And you know, you brought up a point that I, we, I usually don't talk about, you know, in these interviews, uh-huh. only in my private life. Uh-huh. And that has more to do with the uniqueness of the human species. Uh-huh. Not every species in the cosmos has guides. They don't all have guides because it's more of a, uh, a species that is more, uh, how do I say the spirit and the body have developed together from the beginning. So there's not that amnesia through right. trauma that we've right. gone through again and again and again. And I think that poses us a unique opportunity, but also a unique challenge because of all the trauma we have. Most of us have been cut off from direct communication with our soul. And this is what you're trying to bring back mm-hmm. through your work. You're helping right. people bring back That's right. and not to feel like there's something wrong with us. We are a unique species in the universe and trauma. And also I would say go so far as to say, even having been taken advantage of by other realms at times has kept us disconnected from self to the extent we need guides. And that's why they're here and why they're assigned to us. We need them. And it's silly to not call on them when we have this amnesia of who we are going on. That's right. The, the forgetting. Yes. The the forgetting. forgetting. And, you know, I, I really see humans as an advanced species I do too. in the, in the universe. Um, we're dealing with, you know, emotions, um, spirituality, mental, uh, clarity and, um, and our physicality. Mm-hmm. Not, not other species really deal right. with all that. And then. And free will. And free will. That's the ticket. That, yeah. The, the spirits call it sacred choice. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your sacred choice. And they're going to give you all of these sets of things to try to balance out and then take away your remembering and give you free will. Mm-hmm. That's well, a lot. That is a lot, but it's, it's calculus instead of math. Exactly. And instead of the arithmetic, you <laughs> exactly. know, it's, it's a high level thing. And so yes, those guides are here to help us through it because as the creator beings that we are, we're creating the outcomes. And so you know, all of life is dependent on what we're doing there as far as that creation. It is. That's particularly interesting when you take this unique species called human beings, unique, mm-hmm. unique mm-hmm. species that is trying to bring all this together that has an incredibly refined part of ourselves, mm-hmm. a part that at one time could create at the speed of thought that's now slowed down into this mm-hmm. dimension. Yeah. So here you have us. All of our uniqueness, all of our beliefs, this collective subconscious constantly influencing mm-hmm. us, and we're creating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, we're behind the wheel of that car, mm-hmm. and sometimes we're not creating very responsibly, because but we're, we're creating. Yeah, we're creating out of emotion, and see all those different examples you just gave, mm-hmm. they're not emotional. Right. And the emotion is the element of love, Yeah. and that's why it's advanced, because now they've thrown in emotion yeah. and you have to deal with that and and um but i i think it's exciting and you know i i get jazzed with what we're capable of doing and not that you know the state of the world isn't can't be sad at times but i i just feel like 
there's such a bigger picture and I'm always seeing Absolutely. things from a bigger picture yeah. and I've learned how to do that. There's actually levels in the, in the awareness scale that you can function on and I move out into different states of awareness and kind of look, look at a different issue that way. And it's fascinating and how they blend into it's all working for the greater good. It's all working for the evolution of humanity. Absolutely. I think that would be, if all of us can keep that in mind, Mm -hmm. this might be painful, but it's all looking to advance us. Mm -hmm. The earth is advancing. The cosmos is advancing. Mm -hmm. So it is for our advancement. Mm -hmm. And thank you for just reminding everyone to do that. Uh, Sometimes when I feel like I'm not really, I'm, I'm a little too emotional and too close to something, what I do is I I'm a bird. I turn myself into an oh, eagle. Yeah. And then I fly above the situation mm-hmm. and I watch back on myself and the others involved mm-hmm. in the play mm-hmm. and see what we're each doing. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful place to come from mm-hmm. because you can dispassionately see all of the emotions and the objectives and the uh, agendas and everything mm-hmm. else playing out dispassionately. Mm-hmm. And then you come back in your body with that knowledge. So I find a bird's eye view is very helpful. Yes. That's a great way to do it. Yeah, that's just one little. But you have your other techniques. One of them is you create this super self, and you have. And I've listened to your meditations. Okay. And so one of them is to you help guide people through this by helping them understand that incredibly unique, um, divine, refined, uh, highly developed spiritual aspect of self, mm-hmm. and move the rest of you into it. So mm-hmm. let's talk about what you're trying to do in these meditations and in sure. your work with this super self, super self, avatar, avatar. (laughs) Well, very much that, that I believe that most of your soul and, and, you know, I work, you know, I I consider myself a soul doctor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, we have doctors for everything else, but the soul, and that's the most important part of you, you know, it's the part that lives on. In some place they call them witch doctors. Well, they could, they could, they could, that's that's fine. Whatever, whatever the case, you know, and um, the soul is really just slightly, in you, it's just a, a tiny percentage of it is actually animating your body. And I like to think of it almost like a giant triangle over the top of your head. And the apex of that triangle is setting down into your pineal gland and it's kind of animating your body. Mm-hmm. But the rest of you is out in its gloriousness, unwounded and without all the confines of physical reality and the wounds and all the different stuff that you can go and experience and feel your vastness, like the size of the sky, you know, where there's galaxies and stars between your cells, you know, mm-hmm. you're just really vast. And when you're in that state of well-being, your vibration is very high. And when you're in that state of high vibration, you can attract to yourself things very quickly and that's the difference from somebody that instantly manifests and Mm -hmm. somebody that doesn't Mm -hmm. it's the state of vibration that they're in and so when you can bring your vibration up into these really high levels and have that awareness of your super self then you can call to you from what i call the fields of all possible possibilities Mm -hmm. and bring those things into your heart and then bring them down into your body which then Theoretically, you've actually shifted into a different version of yourself just then. Mm-hmm. And it's a practice that if it's done regularly, 
you do the 21 day rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my practice, do. right? Yeah. To do the same meditation for 21 days, continue reinforcing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I do it with my students and then we, we get together, like I'll do it with a class and then we'll get together afterwards and the feedback that I get is just off the charts. You know, it's just. Well, it's a very refined place to go and be in. That's enough. 21 days is plenty to instantiate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, they say it's 21 days to break a habit. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. what you're actually doing is you're instilling a new habit of seeing yourself yes. in this different perspective. Yeah. yeah. And so that's a big part of what you work on. And you have that available on audio tapes. I mean, yes. Well, downloads now. I guess mm-hmm. they're downloads on yeah. the recordings. People go to, can download. Yeah. If people go to my website, yeah. they can get it. You know, yeah, and it's free. <laughs> yeah, no, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that was fun to play with them, and I, I really enjoyed it. And came out feeling very floaty and wonderful and peaceful and mm-hmm. everything. So this is I want to talk about. These are a couple specific things that happened. Now these are stories. Okay. You were in Egypt, and you said Pyramid of Eleven. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And, and all this stuff started happening. This other woman and Andrew Casey comes yeah. into the story. Tell us what happened there and yeah. why that was important for you. Well, this was back in 1998, so it was right, I was new, relatively new by maybe five or six years of doing my practice and went over there and, uh, the Pyramid of Elevens is its nickname. I don't actually remember the name of the pyramid that we were in. Um, but we went in to do this ceremony and this woman just started going into this really strange sound it was like this you know just like it wasn't toning and it wasn't singing it was just this strange coding it sounded like and um so uh we did this journey and we, we were journeying to the other side of the north star where the pyramid was pointing towards and when we got over on the other side, everybody had their own experiences, and mine is the one that really shaped me in my shamanic work. And the ceremony took a long time. We came back, and we were all spent. So the decision was made that we would go back to our rooms and then reconvene at uh, around 7 o'clock. Well, this one woman, um, she went for a walk, and she ended up into a bookstore, and a the one who had had these sounds coming no, through a, a different woman, woman. a different okay. woman. And uh, this book, you know, falls off the shelf yeah, and opens off, off and opens <laughs> yeah. up. And it was talking about in ni- in April of 1998, which is when we were there, that the third portal will open, and a series of three portals that will allow humans to have access to things that they've never had access to before. Fascinating. That yeah. was at that time you mm-hmm. were there. And that was an Edgar Casey book yes. that, that uh, fell off the wall. And the woman that did the coding had been to the other two portals that they mentioned. She had just flown in oh. from them. One was in Bihini, I think is how you say it. It's in the uh, Caribbean. Oh, but the Bimini Islands? Yes, Bimini. Yes. Oh. And the other one was in the Yucatan. And she had literally, she just joined our group out of the blue and she, you know, she was just flying from these different places and had that same coding experience, um, at those other two places. And what so this was the third portal. What did this come to mean to you, these portals being open? How did you understand that? And I'd also, if you care to share, 
what happened to you that really changed your life? Yeah. Well, well, there were so many things. I mean, it's, it's hard to pinpoint it, but what the spirits were saying is all the answer, all the answers are available to you, but you're not asking the right questions. And you're very much stuck in paradigms of what you think has happened. And again, we're getting a lot of Egyptologists talking to us. Right. You know, they're going, yeah, yeah. And, um, so there's some flaws in that story. Yes. So anyway, it took a while for, um, for me to get a handle on what had happened because it was so big and I kept trying to get back over on the other side of the portal, but I couldn't, I couldn't seem to do that, but randomly I would end up there, you know? And so anyway, it moves into a different story. Could I tell you yeah, that? Dude. So I put on this thing called uh, a vision quest uh, every year. In fact, we've done 36 of them and uh, all I have these questers out there and I always journey in the morning asking, you know, how I can help them the best because almost anybody that's going on a vision quest is interested in connecting more solidly, more definitively to some kind of uh, other power. And so I'm in this journey and the next thing I know, um, I'm being catapulted into the future and I'm working with the descendants. And I was like, Oh wow, you're, you're doing these ceremonies the same way. And they said, well, not really. Take a closer look. And what I realized was sitting with us in the circle were all these gods. And in fact, the name of the class that I have now is called Sitting in Circle with the Gods. Mm-hmm. You know, but were all these gods. And they said one of the reasons that humans feel so disconnected is because they have lost the connection with the gods of their land. That, you know, that there's gods there that have been danced to and, and asked questions for thousands of years. And now all of a sudden in this new world of ours, we don't do it anymore. Oh, I need transfers from CNN or Fox or whatever your flavor <laughs> preferences. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then we're feeling, why am I feeling so disconnected? Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I've, you know, I told this to the group and there just wasn't a dry eye in the group. And, you know, yeah. everybody's heart was so open. So, um, we had this beautiful view of Mount Hood. I live in Oregon uh-huh. and this beautiful view of Mount Hood. So we decided that, um, we would make offerings and say to the mountain, I want to hear you because the, oh, the spirit said in the, in the Northwest, you know, it's the, it's the God of the mountains. And I'm sure it's the, that way here in Boulder too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the God of the mountains. So anyway, we just did this beautiful offerings to them. And that ceremony went on for hours and people just stepped up with these things that they had made from the forest. And, you know, I, I want to connect. I want to connect. So anyway, it was gorgeous in itself. That was in August. Then in September, I went to Tibet. And most of the time I wasn't with it. And this is prior to, this is 2005. So I don't even know if there was cell phone. I don't think so. But mm-hmm. anyway, there was not the communication that we have today. We were finally in this one place that we turned the news on. There was actually a TV, you know, and they had TV in the lobby. 
and we turned the news on and it said that Mount St. Helen had erupted again. Now, she originally erupted in the 80s, but this eruption made international news. Yes. You know, and so I was like, oh my God. And so I went in to do a journey and they said, we heard you and we are talking and it is a shaman's dream to have an active volcano that you can speak with. This is the mother talking. (laughs) And so that just really changed my life. I started doing journeys to this volcano Mm -hmm. daily and developing all different kinds of coursework around it and how to um, use the information that the spirits are giving us to change our lives and to help us because they're constantly trying to help us have better Existences. Oh, not, they never stop trying to get our attention. Yeah. We're just not listening a right. lot of the time. Right. That's the issue because right. we're so distracted and busy. Mm-hmm. So what I want to also ask about this other is this is another great story about where you have other beings, other entities that are interfering with you and curses that have been yeah. put on each other and so yeah. forth. And right now, a lot of people are feeling cursed. Kind oh, of. I'm sure that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but be, before we go into this story, um, about a child with night terrors. I love this story. Let's talk about hands-on, how you would assist someone in learning to go into relationship with the gods of their native land, wherever they are. Sure. Including if you're in the middle of a city, an urban area. Yeah. Well, to me, being a, a, a you know a shamanic practitioner and practicing shamanism, the most important thing to do is learn how to dialogue, how to connect. Mm-hmm. And in shamanism, we do it through a thing called journeying. And... The reason I like journeying so much is because it immediately moves you into your right side of your brain, which is where all of this is taking place, Mm -hmm. you know, where the spirits are alive and well, and you can see them. I call it, you know, it's where your clairs are, your clear audience, clear clear sentient, clear voyant, you know. I have to say I I physically feel that if I'm talking to guides, Mm -hmm. um, I feel it trickling down through literally the right side of my Mm -hmm. brain and head and face and everything. Mm -hmm. It's quite literal. Mm -hmm. And that's that active side. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that will stimulate that um, meditation being very Mm -hmm. big on it. But it's hard to learn how to meditate. I mean, I've been a meditator since I was in my teens. And it takes years and years and years of practice. Where journeying, you can learn in a weekend and you can be pretty good at it because it's active. It's an active brain. Instead of turning off the brain, you're just moving over into the right side and you're activating that part. And so it's, it's much. So just briefly, what do you mean by journeying in the context you use it? Sure. Journeying is going into an altered state, which is again, that altered state is moving into this shifting and it's done by closing your blindfolding yourself actually because mm-hmm. light actually stimulates the left side of the brain but closing your eyes and blindfolding yourself and then using the drum as a sonic instrument or rattles that will uh, reconnect you to that original imprint that dna that we were talking about the heartbeat of the earth mm-hmm. and you move into an altered state and you're and you go in with a very clear intention like what do you want to mm-hmm. find out and uh and it starts appearing to you in um, either any of those senses that we talked about, those clairs. It might not be visual like on a 
a visual screen, uh-huh. but that knowingness, which is right. clear cognitive, you know, will come through. So, That's journey. So what about, um, for people who are them, they're alone somewhere in the world, you know, but they mm-hmm. want to do this. There are so many sacred types of drumming mm-hmm. recordings that are out there. So you can, would you recommend people do that or get their own drum and just do their own thing? Both. Some people really like to drum for themselves and it does have a very, um, soothing, uh, mm-hmm. altering feel to it and or getting any of those CDs. I mean, there's so many, some so many free on, yeah, on yeah. YouTube now, you know, you can just pull them up. The thing that's important though is it's not real rhythmic, but it's kind of a, 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 a monotone type of thing in the drumming. Mm-hmm. And you can do it anywhere or, you know, People will say, well, I don't want to use a drum. That's okay, but try it first because right. they, you can look up studies of drumming with people that are hooked up to um, instruments to do their brain mm-hmm. measurement. EEG. Mm-hmm. EEG, and it just takes it off the charts in the altering. Oh, that's you know, good much more in Much more than meditation even can. It makes sense because mm-hmm. you are going into a trance very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, like I said, several YouTube things that actually show this and it's, it's very convincing. Like, yes. yeah, use a drum. <laughs> okay, good. So it doesn't matter where you are. You don't have to even yeah. go to a workshop, although they're lovely. Mm-hmm. You can start today. Yeah. Okay. So I want to get to the notion that it's not just us. Other things are interfering with us. There are people that are not wishing us well sometimes yeah. and talk about the child with night terrors. <laughs> it's such an interesting story, the yeah, whole thing. It is. It is a very interesting story. And again, this story happened pretty early on in my career. Um, and I hadn't learned about curses yet. I hadn't had any coursework in that type of thing. And a woman brought, uh, her child to me that had had, was having night terrors and they were very, uh, almost vicious. You know, he would, people that have night terrors are very different from a nightmare in that you can't wake them up and they sound like they're being tortured or there's growling often. And the more you shake them and try to wake them up, the deeper they go into the terror. So it's, is counterproductive of trying to help them, mm-hmm. you know, in the classical way. And uh, so anyway, she brought the child in and I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a try, you know, and I was going to do a soul retrieval, which is what I did most of my practice with. But I got into this journey and it was, it was really kind of um, stereotypical in that there was this um, little African pygmy person standing there and he had a spear in his hand and he had grass pom-poms around his <laughs> wrist and his ankle, the grass skirtish, you know, he's like, what? he's just screaming at me in some kind of gibberish, you know, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and um, my spirit helpers were saying that this child had a curse on him from another lifetime. Uh, and the way it's showing up in this lifetime then is through the night terrors. Mm-hmm. And they said, you have to break the curse. I don't know how to do that. They didn't train us for that back in med school. (laughs) Exactly. And so they said, just follow my directions Mm -hmm. and and we'll do it for you. So I did. And the next thing I knew, the little guy became very deflated, deflated, almost like a balloon that Mm -hmm. lost its air, dropped his spear and just kind of sulked off. Little pygmy. Yeah, the little pygmy. So I came back and, you know, finished the soul retrieval and the, doing the other things and told 
told the woman and the child, you know, let me know how it goes. And, uh, but it, you didn't tell the parent about the pygmy, did you? I told her, yeah. I oh, told you did, her, so I she knew her, what was going on. Yeah. She was okay with that. Yeah, okay. I just said there was a curse from yeah. a different lifetime, yeah. and I don't remember the details back yeah. then. Now I do everything aloud, Yeah. you know, this was a long time ago. So anyway, they left my office, and I go in and I clean everything with sage, and I'm cleaning my little area and my tools and everything that I use. And the next thing I hear is this boom, 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 and I ran out into the uh, dining room and this African mask had literally jumped <laughs> off the wall and slid on the wood floors underneath the dining room table. And of course it's black with grass <laughs> hair <laughs> and it's a mask. It was the first piece of um, artifact that I collected. I have a lot of tribal artifacts and I was like 22 when I got it, you know, just randomly. And I looked at it and I said, so what do you know about curses? And I took him into my office and I journeyed with him. And he said, you know, you were really in a very precarious situation. And, um, but I'm here and I'll be an ally to you. And when I show up, you'll know that it's a curse you're working with and I'll make you invisible because you don't want to be seen in that realm but interested the cursors and so i was like okay so i guess this is i'm gonna get some training here you right. know how to do there's this. your sign yeah there's my sign so then i went in and i turned on the tv uh to watch oprah back in the days when she was on and what's the topic night terrors <laughs> there's and, your other sign yeah my <laughs> other sign and how there's no cure for them yeah they um they give you uh you know drugs that are just anti-hallucinogens and they just kind of flatline people and you know and and the parents were on their spouses uh psychiatrists and they were just talking about how they have no they don't know what causes them and i thought here i have been given this beautiful experience to say I know how to help this. Right. You know, I know how to help. And I can tr- I can train people how to do this. And this is an answer. Like, I said, I can envision myself calling up the studio. Oh, hey, Oprah, I just got some information. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's fascinating. Did you ultimately end up teaching this? And oh, yeah. Did other people come to you with these situations yes. where yes. family members had night terrors? Yes. And all of them, it took, as far as I know, have been cured of oh. them from that. In fact, I have a... Uh, curse unraveling class uh, in a couple weeks. Wonderful, oh, <laughs> yeah. glad to hear that. And I assume that comes up every now and then. It does, but you have to have training to get in there. You have yeah, to know yeah, what you're sure. doing. Yeah, yeah, they have so. to have been through some other things. Yeah. So, Jen, we're about out of time. So, any final thoughts? We have so much we can talk oh, about. Wow. <laughs> um, final thoughts of anything we have not squeezed into our conversation that you think is really important for mm-hmm. people to know right now. Well, final thoughts. I think that there's a saying that says, there's two sayings. The darkest hour is just before dawn. And the other one is that you can't solve a problem at the level of the problem. Right. The solution has got to be at a different level. Mm -hmm. And to me, what that is saying is you have to be at a higher vibration to look at things and to feel them and to understand them to be able to find a solution that is actually merits the types of changes that we ultimately want. And 
you know, for myself, I had this incessant need to help people be well. I just think that life is to be enjoyed and to be happy and to um, not have to be burdened with the things that are burdening us. There's, there's healings and possibilities available to people and but we need to come to rely on each other, let each other in a little bit more, oh, God, help yes. each other a little yes. bit more, be yes. loving, practice loving kindness, mm-hmm. and not be afraid to let go of the parts of us that aren't working anymore for us. Absolutely, that's that's the medicine Coming of full the north. Circle. Yeah, yeah, that's the medicine of the north. Let us go. North, letting go. Okay, that's a big one. Let that north wind blow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jan, thank you so much for joining us. I know thank everybody's you. always soothed by your messages. It was really lovely having you here again. Oh, thank you, Regina. I just. I just think that what you are doing is just outstanding and Gaia and, you know, you guys are changing the world. Well, it's a place of refuge for a lot of mm-hmm. people right now. Mm-hmm. It so, is. Yes, thank you. Okay. <laughs> to join with Jan's work, her workshops, her meditations and so forth, you can go to lightsong.net. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. That's a lovely title, lightsong.net. All right, so uh, that was good. Here we go. This is what Rama wants to do next. Uh, The title of this one is Time Wars and Progenitor ET Influences. Time Wars. Hmm. Have progenitor ET species influenced humanity by manipulating timelines? Tactical advisor Tim joins Captain Randy Kramer, spokesperson for the United States Marine Corps Special Section, for an in-depth analysis of progenitor ETs and their influences and agendas discussing temporal dynamics and the systemic, systematic manipulation of humanity over the ages. Tim shares how human language patterns were altered, educative structures were imposed, and timelines were modified, expanding on time wars both Kramer and Tim share correlating information that human evolution has been intentionally repressed. Not anymore, everybody. Okay, this one's 32 minutes. Here we go. advisor from Germany who analyzes and suggests various strategies in relation to extraterrestrial groups and contact with Earth. Also joining us today 
is Captain Randy Kramer, who claims to be the public spokesperson for the United States Marine Corps Special Section. Welcome, gentlemen. It's very rare we get to have, you know, two guests at the same time to talk about these types of things. Tim, in terms of a global military operation, how could you elaborate on that? So I think from my perspective that people in charge have realized a lot more of the benefits um, in growing a successful population compared to um, a bit more self-centered viewpoint in, you know, a, a decade ago or something. So I have more positive thoughts about um, leaders and world um, governments now than I had 10 years ago. We already talked about um, future events that could occur. Also, I think we were talking about breakaway situations. And the reason why they come back is that whatever is happening on Earth is directly affecting the collective memory of the whole species. Who is involved with these operations making these calls? To my understanding, it's um, a mixture of global groups, elite groups, um, companies, um, governments and governments, um, and also the military. Are extraterrestrials involved? Oh, yeah. Totally. So um, there are some groups on Earth who participate in strategical, um, you know, advisory. And also, um, as we've talked about different species that have their stocks in humanity right now, they also have their own agendas and, and thoughts um, about evolution of humanity. Right. Now, Randy, being a military person, what would be your perspective well, the military perspective is pretty straightforward. We understand that there are two choices. We either move towards type one civilization or we go back to the Bronze Age. So in looking at all of the various problems that are represented in the achievement moving towards type one civilization, there's a lot of issues. Um, the way that the whole social structure, political structure, economic structure not to say that all of these things are going to get destroyed in order to rebuild, but there are problems in all of these structures that have to be addressed in order to move to type one. So I would say that the military is working the problem or working the problems, you know, multiple problems at the same time in order to clear the table of the things that are interfering with the process of us moving towards type one civilization. What are some of these problems that you mentioned? Well, we still have a lot of internal problems as far as people of our own species who don't want to cooperate with the type one model. Uh, they would still like to have a feudalistic model in which a certain number of people get to own everything at the top and everyone else is surf or cattle. So it's kind of hard to convince people who want to be feudalists, and I mean really, really want to be feudalists, that they should go into something that's more... Uh, for everybody, type one civilizations make sure that everybody on the planet is, you know, a citizen and has safety net and a floor from which they cannot fall through so that you don't have homelessness, you don't have poverty, you don't have crime by fixing the things that create those things. Are there extraterrestrial influences outside that are slowing us down from that? I'd say there's always 
individuals who have an agenda on why they might not want that process to go quickly, and there are those who might want to see that process go quickly. Why is that? Different people have different ideas about whether it's good for us to be strong or not. Some species may see us as a threat. Others may see us as a potential protectorate so or protector. So I think that there's just different motivations on whether we do well or not based on another species or the civilization's own agenda. Tim, we spoke earlier about this uh, exact situation where, you know, maybe we're being repressed, but at the same time, you've mentioned that we are on a trajectory of success. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, totally. So Ren is absolutely correct. And there are some species, because human beings, at least on Earth, they have a very high potential in becoming a very evolved species because experiences on Earth are so diverse that finding solutions for that creates a lot of new data for the universe. So that creates a huge potential. There are some species that do not see the benefits from that, having like a warrior-type species that is pretty evolved. So I absolutely agree that some species try to keep humanity down. And to what I know, this has been done systematically by altering the language patterns of humanity, by imposing a educative um, structure upon Earth, um, by you know modifying timelines or getting into time wars, as Randy put it, um, genetic blockages, um, and also imposing um, a socio-cultural system that creates more chaos upon Earth than it is doing any good for anybody. So what you're saying is they're suppressing us because if we advance too quickly, we might become the super threat. Absolutely, yeah. What do you think? I think that's an, I think for a species to say that is more of an excuse. More like saying, um, let's throw that kid in jail before he grows up and be a criminal. And it's like, uh, we don't know that that's going to happen here. So I think that people who are super nervous or judgmental on what we're doing about that maybe forget about how they had to develop through some of their own stuff and make some choices and trust a little bit that they were going to make some right decisions in the long run. So I, I think people are nervous for all kinds of reasons because a, a developing warrior species can be a tremendous friend or a tremendous foe. So certainly there are people who are concerned that we might go a different direction. But I think there's enough order in the universe at the moment that there's a lot of powers that be leaning to make sure that comes out a different way. So I, I think the, the timeline where we were going to end up being the oppressor in this corner of the galaxy ended sometime in the mid-late 80s or early 90s. That was no longer an option because we made some serious changes on who was in control, who was in charge, and you know who we were taking orders from. So I'm not saying that there's no risk. I'm less concerned about that than maybe some other species are, but... In, in the end, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. We're just going to have to grow up and become adults. And whether we become a, a pleasant adult, um, a responsible type adulthood in the universe, or whether we become, you know, um, the universe's 
Right. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to choose words there that I realize I just shouldn't say all of a sudden. So now, if there was <laughs> now, if there was guys an ET species out there that would be our alliance, you know, with us, what species first comes to mind to both of you? Oh, for me, it's progenitor races. I mean, some of the really ancient species are in my understanding, some of the most involved in what's happening here. And while they're what I would say gentle nudgers, they're not likely to come in and start really changing things. They'll nudge, 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 but they're precise nudgers. So when they nudge something, they know that a lot of impacts are going to happen from a very specific nudge. But I would have to say before I, I came to understand and communicate with these species and have conversations with them, I was a lot more concerned about how all of this might happen. After having had conversations with them, I'm far less concerned about negative outcomes because I, I just don't think they're going to allow it at this point. That's very good here. Our, our outcome being a positive one is way too important and impacts potentially not just billions, but trillions and trillions and trillions of lives. You're referring to the progenitor races as? The two progenitor races that I'm familiar with are species that live millions of years, meaning that if you were an individual of that species, your lifespan would be millions and millions of years old. So they have a whole different perspective on how that goes. Now, I don't know how many of these species there are. My understanding is it's not a lot, and I've only encountered two in my entire career. But because of the length of time at which they're looking at things, you know, I, I just really, you just start to see that even if we're real concerned about what's happening here, there are some hands making sure that certain things just don't go away, which would make more work for them because the whole point of them tinkering and attempting to get species to evolve is to make less work for them because they don't want to babysit everybody. They don't want to police the universe and they would rather have species grow up to police their own corners of the universe so they don't have to do it for them. So this is, I think, one of those situations where for a species that thinks about how much resources and time it has to spend on things over millions and millions of years, they don't want to spend the extra time and resources on something that, you know, they would have to babysit for. They would rather have us do it, to be honest. So I, I think just in their own self-interest of not wanting to expend more time and more resources and more personnel babysitting when you can raise up an adult, you know, a child species into an adult species and let them do it, it makes a lot more sense for them. So who are they? Um, so this is a funny thing about names. When you're talking about a species that's millions of years old, they're way past language. They stopped using words and language a long time ago. So when we talk to them about, well, who are you? What's your name? Often it's like, eh, what do you want to call us? You know, what do you want to think of it? So they often refer to themselves as children of light, which is a very vague term, but you know, it's also something that you might tell a toddler, you know, so that it's simple for them. We call them the bronze ones just because that's their skin color. Um, but, you know, they don't have a name because they haven't had words for millions and millions of years. Well, I like that you use the word progenitor because that is the beginning. Yeah. That is the beginning of everything. Yeah. So I, and my understanding from them is when they came out into the universe, started space travel, they found out that the universe was a very empty place. Uh, and there were a lot of planets that just had not come very far along at all. And they were kind of the first ones out there. 
And they were like, ah, it's lonely out here. Let's make some more stuff so we can share space. Because, yeah, when they started, there wasn't a lot of species that had gotten out there yet. So, Tim, what do you think about that? First of all, I agree. Um, and then I think um, there's something um, that is also important to keep in mind because the universe, this is not the only reality we have and not the only level of consciousness that we have. So there are beings that evolve into different levels of consciousness way down the road, so to speak. And even if they haven't been, you know, materialized in this uh, timeline, in this um, frequency we are at right now, they already are there. So if you have a species that comes to a consciousness level of, you know, six at least, then they have this overlook and this this perspective um, outside of time and uh, upon the universe from where they can influence um, the evolution of everything very much. Who do you think would be one of our first uh, partners in the alliance? Yeah, so I could answer similarly as Randy, but I'm going to go another way and just to find some you know, diversity to that. I think because this is an ape species and they have... Um, some patterns that are, you know, typical to ape species. There is something that that is called coracialism, which means that similar races are they tend ape species tend to work together with similar races, which means everyone who has experienced a situation that is similar to what we experience on Earth might be someone who steps in and gives some advice. Also, if we're thinking about, for example, the ancient people, also humans, or other humans which are out there, they might be, because of this specialty to ape races, someone who comes to mind in the first place in order to work together, in order to figure things out. So who are the other ape species? We were taught that we were the only ape species. No, no, absolutely not. There are some places in the universe um, where ape species evolve and are humanoids, so to speak. Um, They might have a different approach to evolution. They might have different planets, different um, options in order to, you know, evolve. And also there are some genetics that are shared. That would make so much sense because the DNA is so similar. So there's other apes, humanoid apes, on other planets is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. There are other ape species that evolved either naturally or by manipulation of genetics into what we could consider a human. Randy, what do you have to say about this? Because you know, there's so many other humanoid species that evolve from different things. Let me see if I can put it this way. So if we say uh, something that's an insectoid species, that's pretty broad. They could be from a beetle or an ant or a dragonfly. That would Those are all subspecies that would be very different. Uh, something that's a reptilian 
could come from something that's more like a crocodile or a rock lizard or a snake, which would be very different types of reptiles. So we kind of think if you want to take another category, it would be mammalians. But when you're talking about mammalians, well, that could be something from an equine or a horse, something from a dog or a cat or a primate. So when we talk about apes, we're not even talking about apes. We're talking about all the primates. So, you know, you have as many different types of evolutionary paths from all of these different, you know, species lines. So when you're just talking about primates, could be a lot of different species that evolved from primates. And I would add that one of the main reasons why like species associate is partially because of genetics, partially because of history, partially because of commonality. But I would say the number one reason is commerce. They buy and sell similar stuff. Genetics and DNA or something. No, like or clothing, food, materials, oh, okay. like they're, they're, they're because of their, how they're made, right, right. what they're made of. They're going to have similar diets, similar right. foods, similar things that they like. They're going to have similar effects from alcohol. They're going to have similar clothes that they might like to wear. So their reasons to trade with each other are way more like there's a lot more reasons to trade with someone who's more like you genetically, physiologically than, you know, a rock person that's 15 feet tall. Right. Right. So, so a lot of it's trade. A lot of the reasons why they want to associate with like species is for trade. And it just is very convenient that we also happen to share evolutionary growth experiences and so forth. And also some went through the same experiences and liberated themselves so they came assistant. Absolutely. We find that the, the, the curve towards growth as a species has a lot of variation, but there are certain things that do come up again and again and again that are common in that process. Absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in the project we have known that for many, many, many years that every, if you picture every species and insect on, on the planet Earth and put them a billion years ahead from now, and they all have the five star head, two arms, two legs, and sometimes even more, yeah. uh, but they do evolve into this consciously somehow through this energy into a conscious being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that whatever you want to say is the reason why things exist. And I don't think anybody knows well enough to say that there's a divine source or a God or whether it's just mechanical evolution. I don't think anybody has enough knowledge to say that it's one or the other or not, but whatever the reason that we exist is, uh, there are clearly patterns of evolution, patterns of growth that recur over and over again. And we can certainly help and benefit each other from those collective experiences of growth for sure. Let me say something to the source thing, because I, I think it's super interesting, at least I found that super interesting, that even a very high evolved species doesn't know everything and they make mistakes. Yeah. And that was something to find that out, even a species that has a perspective outside of time and knows how things could be. They don't know if random things, you know, appear and things turn out differently. That was super interesting to experience. Are you telling me extraterrestrials that are very elevated also see UFOs? No, I'm telling you that um, extraterrestrials who know millions and millions of years um, and have billions of data about the universe they also do not know if there is a God right. or not. Yeah, right. They tend to call it source or something. They know that there is a life form, 
but they also do not know which one of the questions they they said is still not solved is is it infinite or not right is the universe coming to an end at some point or not which needs to be played out and it will take time then and nobody knows those answers I, I would say to simplify that it doesn't matter how big your cranium or your brain or how many densities up you are. You can still screw up just like anybody else and make a mistake. But it gets easier the more you evolve. So they say. They say. <laughs> so they say. I'm waiting for that stuff. <laughs> so we have beings that are billions of years old that have been around forever. And people are wondering, well, They should be smart enough to know where they originated from, you know, to how to protect themselves. But as we kind of know, that's not actually the truth. Why is that? Well, I would say the, the oldest species that we know of are millions of years old, not more than that. So even those species don't know what happened a billion years ago. I mean, they have theory and they have, you know, they can look at charts and the movement of stars and how stars are formed and collapse and so forth to come up with their own theories and guesses. But a billion years ago to them is still way too long ago to be able to have any kind of accurate understanding. And I, I would say the most important thing here is how perspective does gain you certain precision of information, but it also has a way of making other information more shadowy or obfuscated or complex. You, you may have a perspective as an old developed species This is how you know things work. Does that mean that you understand how every planet, every consciousness, every species? No, 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 because you're in your own head. You're from your own perspective. If you're looking at the development of a species, you may be looking down at them in such a way that you're really not understanding where they are. You may have been there a very, very long time ago, but you're, I would challenge anyone over 50 to look at a five-year-old and really try and like understand what that five-year-old is going through because you can remember exactly what it was like to be five. I think most people would kind of feel like, I don't know, do I remember what it was like to be five? Like that's perspective change. And so once you get a certain ways away from a certain perspective, you lose understanding. And so the farther you get away from certain perspectives, the farther your understanding goes. So you can be super evolved and just not know the first step of how to get a, a certain species to grow or evolve or change because it's not your species. And even if you have experience with hundreds or thousands of other species, well, maybe you haven't done this species. So I, I think it doesn't matter how smart you are. doesn't have, matter how experienced you are. You don't have all of the perspectives of the universe. So there's just going to be certain things you don't understand or that you have the perspective of to have an awareness of that's accurate. That's a great way to put it. Also, time is not consistent. Mm -hmm. Right. So if the way temporal dynamics works is that when things fail, they get merged together. So so people can have a different history. Some species, when you're talking about the greys or some other species, they have a total different mindset information on how things were in the past. Right. And others you know, they have a different take on that and probably both are correct. It's just they the, that time in some ways or another merged and became what we have now. Well, following up with what you just said, Tim, Randy, where is this going with this global military operation for humanity? I've spent a lot of time having conversations with my Brigadier General over the year, and I would say that 
we have a very fluid, very dynamic situation at the moment. So it could go any number of ways. I realize I say, I think it's going to go like this. We think it's going to go like this. I want to also fully say it's a fluid situation. And if it doesn't go like I say, you know, don't hold me responsible for saying it was the gospel truth because I've never said that. But I think that where it leaves us is that somebody's attempting to steer the boat and understands what's at stake, what's important, and the people who understand that are going to do the very, very best they can to make sure that this comes out okay. So the conversations that he and I have about what he does on a daily basis, who he talks to, what conversations they're having, I would say that in spite of people who don't want things to go well or who would like to things to stay the same, there is a majority of rational thinking voices that understand if we don't make the positive changes necessary, there will be no us, there will be no future, there will be nothing to maintain. So I think ultimately, if, if, I'm, if I was a betting man, and I'm not, but if I was, I would bet that this is going to go way better than it's going to go way worse because some of the best people, best minds, best of everything are working the problem. Does that mean it's automatically going to be woo and awesome? No, it does not mean that. But the best minds and the best bodies are on it. And so if I, if I was going to put my faith in something, and I do, I would rather put my faith in those people than I would put in a bunch of monkey wrenchers who are just trying to throw us off. And you've been getting this intel for many, many, many years. So you've seen the graduation of this trajectory. Oh, yeah. And it probably changes every day. It changes on a very regular basis. Yeah, I will just say that the intel that I get has always been accurate, uh, even as I go through to source and check different things, because I don't just take what my intel guys tell me is gospel truth. I check data. I, I cross-reference data and information to make sure that it matches up with known variables or known data sets. And so far, they've never been wrong about anything. They've never lied. They've never ever misled me. They've never been wrong. So I, at this point, I have every reason to trust them and believe that they have the best people on it because that's been my experience of them. So I, as crazy and chaotic as it seems, I would say that this is going to end up way better than it could possibly end up way worse. But we certainly are at a time when a lot of variables are playing out. It could go this way. It could go that way. People want to nudge this way. People want to nudge that way. So I think in that chaos moment, you could choose to look at any outcome and see the possibility of it. You could go, oh, well, it could end up like this. Or it could go bad like that or good like this. All the probabilities and possibilities are out there, but we're only going to end up on one of them. Well, I mean, you want to talk about parallel. I don't, I'm trying to keep it simple <laughs> and not talk about the parallels and the break aparts and the, the expansion and contraction process of that and how we go from more to less to more to less and all that. I'm trying to keep it simple. But given that where we are right now, there's only one of those options that's going to happen. I, I think there's a lot of people who are very motivated to make sure that that's the best case scenario and not the worst case scenario. Tim, what's your take on that? I totally agree again, and I said that, I think, in the first episode we ever made, and that this is a very fluid process right now. So I know a lot of the scenarios that could play out, 
I know that for every possible scenario that anyone could think of, right. there are different narratives, different strategies to that. And depending on what the stats and numbers are, it's like in real time decided what's going to, you know, how do we react upon that? And it's not only um, humanity that's involved in this global operation. There are other beings, other species, uh, higher frequential beings um, that are also participating in that. As Randy, I'm I'm even more convinced that this will turn out very, very well. Well, let's all hope so. Well, you have a lot of optimism about our trajectory. What makes you believe that? Well, first of all, as Randy also put it, um, I, people have realized the importance of the shift. Right. Um, it's a natural process, so there is no avoidance to it. It will turn out in some way or another. And people, um, so the specifica of this race is that they want to try to keep on the narrative as closely as they can. Um, and I think that is the reason why we have so many discussions and so many variables and so many um, points to re- react upon things. And in the end, um, you know, the intelligence that is occupied with this kind of operation, this is not only human intelligence, not only human brains that put their, you know, data and um, skills into that. There are different other species and a unbelievable high potential of intelligence that got involved here. I'm not talking about intelligence agencies, but I'm right. talking about a um, yeah, like a, like a high intelligence that the universe has in order to preserve the healthy evolution of everything. It's still the universe that's evolving. Not saying that it cannot turn out badly, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that there are answers to many, many scenarios that are probable, the probabilities to to occur. And that gives me, you know, some relief. Fantastic. Thank you, Tim. Well, thanks for being on the show, Randy and Tim. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks. Super great. I appreciate the perspectives and the talk. I'm Emery Smith, and this is Cosmic Disclosure. Until next time. Next on Cosmic Disclosure. What other ET races are influencing our planet? Today we're heading towards the really, really dark abyss of the universe. And this species seemed to have developed some tactics around fear and angst, what we call it in German, um, in order to, yeah, attack planets and systems. The um, conventional military on Earth right now is also preparing for conflict with them. I don't agree, right, Rama? No. No. Mind control, commanders. Okay, so this Mm. is the next one that we're going to do here. This is called Yogic Dreaming Practices. What's the next step in human evolution? Mm. Author and humanitarian Andrew Holosek teaches about luminal consciousness 
and the tri-directional skills of lucid dreaming, lucid living, and lucid dying through five levels of nocturnal meditations. Mm. Huh. Are we really doing that? The practice of dream yoga, he says, can be seven to eight times more effective than waking practices. And this uncharted territory may hold the key for the evolution of humanity. I'm going to leave it open that dying is not necessarily a part of living. Mm -hmm. Uh, What? Yeah. Well, well, let's want to see what they have to say, huh? While Mm -hmm. ancient and indigenous cultures have accessed these brain states for millennia, Modern science is just beginning to realize the potential of this vast natural resource. Okay, this is George Nury again with Andrew Holosek. Um, 42 minutes. Here we go. state can be seven to nine times more efficacious or transformative than what you do in the waking state. That's huge. By going so deeply into the center of yourself, well, guess what happens? Like a Mobius strip, you find yourself coming back out. We're hacking into previously unconscious domains of mind as a way to accelerate evolution and development. But here's where it gets really interesting. Once you become lucid, there are nine practices that one can do. They're kind of a pedagogy of the future. They represent a provocative kind of night school. Dreaming is like dying. It's sort of. Okay. It, it, it truly is. Same proficiency you develop in the nighttime dream then extends into the dream at the end of time. The good thing about all this is that you can actually train yourself. How would you do that? We actually start to realize, oh my gosh, the aperture of my awareness is so constricted. You're leaving out Sure. Two-thirds of reality. Patient and it illuminates Well, welcome to Beyond Belief. Another amazing program for you. Dr. Andrew Holacek is with us. He's an author, humanitarian, who teaches internationally on meditation, lucid dreaming, and conscious dying. Andrew, welcome to the program. George, thank you for having me. It's a delight what, to be what is conscious dying? <laughs> Yeah, it's um, in my language, using the nocturnal arenas of lucid dreaming, you could also talk about it as lucid dying. It's actually a way to maintain awareness as one goes through this transitional process. And there's a way to actually rehearse it, George. Okay. When you do nocturnal practices, there's a way to kind of grease the skids for lucid dying. How did you get involved in this kind of work? I have always had a very deep fascination with mind, consciousness. Yeah. Like, what is mind? What is consciousness? And decades ago, I started meditating. I started originally in the, the transcendental meditation movement. I had a very kind of profound opening during that period. And then began a, a somewhat rigorous systematic search through the world's wisdom traditions, came across the Buddhist tradition, and was deeply attracted to how uh, connected Buddhism really, the word Buddha comes from a root meaning the awakened one. Yes. The awakened one. Exactly. How it, how it relates to both sleeping 
dreaming and dying. And there's a very intimate connection between all these aspects. And uh, in the wisdom traditions, you can actually work with dimensions of mind that allow you to prepare for things like conscious dying. They're also obviously intimately connected to conscious sleeping. That's what lucid dreaming is. Dreaming is like dying. It's sort of. Well, it, it, it truly is, George. And, and in fact, in the Tibetan arena, which probably has the world's richest literature on this, they actually talk about three types of dream. One is the nighttime dream, right? Then the dream, what they call the dream at the end of time, which is what we know as death. Aha. And then the most important dream is this. They talk about the reality. Yes, the reality dream. And that is, in fact, what the Buddha woke up to, the nature of reality, waking up from particular kind of nightmare, which we can talk about, and actually somewhat ironically, into a dreamlike reality. Andrew, what are nocturnal meditations? Nocturnal meditations, this is a term that I um, engage to describe five progressive practices that one can engage in every single night um, as they sleep. And so the first one is called liminal dreaming. It used to be called hypnagogic, hypnopompic mm-hmm. dreaming. But liminality itself is a really compelling term. It means threshold. And so it's that dream, like that kind of state, George, where, you know, you're not quite asleep, you're not quite um, awake, you're kind of floating between. In between. In between state. That's literally what bardo means in Tibetan. And so liminal dreaming greases the skids for what's called lucid dreaming. That's probably the most famous of the nocturnal meditations, the one that's been scientifically studied, proven since the 70s. This is when you attain full awareness, lucidity, consciousness. You're dreaming and you know you're dreaming. It's like the movie Inception. The next step is what's called dream yoga, which uh-huh. is where this is where instead of, you know, one of the characteristics of lucid dreaming, it's more psychological in nature, spiritual. Well, well, not not quite. So lucid dreaming per se is more psychological and about self-fulfillment. Dream yoga is more spiritual uh-huh. and about self-transcendence. Well, we have on the Gaia program, the mystery teachings, physicist Teresa Bullard talks about the benefits of dreaming in a spiritual way. Exactly right. Let's watch this. Fantastic. Do you remember your dreams? Have you ever experienced a dream that felt like it really happened? Or have you ever become lucid during a dream, aware of the fact that you were dreaming? We spend nearly one third of our life sleeping. What's happening during this time? Of course, our body is resting, but what's happening with our spirits, our consciousness and mind? Could it be that dreams are another version of reality? Ever since I was really young, I've had super vivid dreams. Being aware of my dreams and sharing them with my parents and friends has always been a part of my life. Because of this, my dream time has been a very enriching part of my life. Both my parents were active students of the Edgar Casey readings. And in addition, my dad studied parapsychology and the work of Carl Jung while in college. And my mom's a college professor of inter and intra-personal communications. Plus, she was really involved with the Monroe Institute that explores consciousness and journeys out of body. So we developed a family tradition of sharing dreams and interpreting them, especially when they felt significant. In this episode, I'd like to share with you some of what I've learned about our life in the dream time. Dreams can be such a useful guide in our life. They can help us solve problems, receive insights and higher teachings from higher planes, learn about ourselves and so much more. 
So I'd like to share some useful methods with you for becoming more in tune with your dream time. When we talk about dreams, the first question that often comes up is, does everybody dream? Some people swear that they don't dream, but science shows dreaming is a part of our sleep cycle. Even if we aren't aware of it or remember our dreams when we wake up, we all dream. Everyone goes through a couple of REM cycles at night, which is marked by rapid eye movement during our sleep. And during this time, the brain is firing off with similar patterns to when we're conscious and awake. Only in this case, we're dreaming. But for the most part, our brain can't tell the difference between dreaming and wakefulness. So everybody dreams. Whether we remember it or not is another matter altogether. So where do these nocturnal meditations fit in here, Andrew? Oh my goodness. Well, there's a host of them. Um, once you become lucid, once you actually wake up to the dream arena, there are about nine practices that one can do, each one um, progressively more refined, more subtle, more nuanced. That's a lot. That's a lot. And some of them are exceedingly profound. I mean, uh, the eighth and ninth stages of dream yoga allow one to actually descend into what's called lucid sleep, which is the fourth practice of the nocturnal curricula. Believe it or not, George, the scientists are actively working on this now. I'm advising some research scientists trying to prove this. This has not been scientifically proven yet. It's been in the wisdom traditions for thousands of years. Sure. The scientists are, are now trying to actually What's verify. taken them so long to prove this? It's very difficult to send a signal from deep dreamless sleep. In the dream state, even though your body is temporarily paralyzed, called sleep agonia, oh, sleep, paralysis, sleep paralysis, yeah. You can still send a signal by moving your eyelids. Um, I, I should say moving your eyes, which can register with um, devices. You can also hold your breathing. So diaphragmatic um, messages can be sent. But in the deep dreamless state, it's very difficult to send a signal. So what you have to do is a twofold approach. You have to bookend the experience. In other words, you send a signal to the people in the lab before you drop into that space. They monitor it with their instrumentation. You experience basically formless dimensions right. of mind. They're still monitoring you, right? They're still monitoring you. And you, when you pop out of that space and you send another signal, you can do that with your eyes as well. And then you come out as a, a onironaut. That's a, a wonderful term for those who explore the dream arena. Like astronauts explore outer space. Onironauts, onirology is the study of dreams. Onironauts study the inner space of the mind. And so then the onironaut comes out gives their first-person phenomenological report, this is what I experienced, and then we try to collect enough data to make it um, happen, or I should say to make the uh, verification using Western Psychology. Do you ever see the day where computer checks will be on the skull and you'll literally be able to see your dream, my dream, on a screen, kind of like, a television. Well, they're starting. There's a very interesting people at MIT. Um, there's, we're heading in that direction because, as you know, George, there are neurological correlates to particular experiences. Sure. It's called neurophenomenology. So you have a particular experience, and there's a neural signature. And so they can now, the scientists can actually read these neural signatures and gain a very powerful suggestion, intimation, in terms of what you're actually dreaming. So it's, uh, you know, the reason I get really so excited about this material, somewhat in reference to this video we just saw, is that in my view, these practices really, um, they're kind of a 
pedagogy of the future. They represent a kind of very provocative kind of night school where think about what you could do. You know, according to the uh, great tantric traditions, George, the practices that you do in the dream state, and this is important because why should I bother with this? My life is so full. I'm so busy. Why should I do this type of stuff? Well, according to the tantric traditions and even some very interesting neuroscience, the practices that you do in the dream state can be seven to nine times more efficacious or transformative than what you do in the waking state. That's huge. And it's like what she was saying. The brain cannot tell the difference between something that's experienced, visualized, or dreamt. And so it's real to the brain. It's real to the brain. And then so where this gets super interesting is using uh, the principles of neuroplasticity. This is a very hot topic in neuroscience these days, that what you do with your mind changes your brain. And so literally, they've done studies where if you're working, I'm, I'm a musician, if I'm playing the piano in a dream, mm-hmm. my right hemisphere will be activated, and they can detect that exactly as if I was playing at the keyboard in so-called real life. Will they know what you're doing in the dream? Well, again, the, the granularity isn't there 100% yet. It's not there. It's not quite there yet, but they're heading there. But if you're doing, for instance... Uh, uh, will they know if you're in distress? Let, let's say a nightmare. Well, there are, there are other registrations for nightmares. You know, the amygdala gets activated, respiration gets heightened. There are other factors that can kind of um, bring about registration of stress states. So that one is not that terribly difficult, difficult to pick up neuroscientifically. But the really important point here is that what you do in the dreaming state can be actually more transformative than what you do in the waking state because you're working with foundational dimensions of mind. Working with kind of substrate dimensions that um, really it's like I use the analogy of tectonic plates. It's like what you do, what you know, the minor shifts in, in the tectonic plate down there can have vast surface repercussions and implications. And so this is why I like to preach a little bit about this stuff because it has so much um, pedagogical potential. In fact, a neuroscientist, a very famous one, Matthew Walker, wrote a wonderful book you know, called Why We Sleep. Very interesting, George. In this book, he only devotes three pages to, to lucid dreaming. The fact that he devotes anything is remarkable. But in this book, he says the following. He says, it is entirely possible that lucid dreamers represent the next iteration in Homo sapiens evolution. Wow. So that's, that's a big why statement. It's a big statement. And this is from a hard-hitting um, neuroscientist. And so I can attest in my own experience when I've had dreams like she was alluding to, they're called hyperlucid dreams. Uh, dreams that are actually more real than this. You wake up from one of those dreams, and this appears to be the foggy dream. And the reason these dreams are so compelling is it's not too dissimilar to what happens when you have like a near-death experience. You don't have to have a near-death experience over and over right. for it to change your life. Why is that? Just one time. One time. Why? Because it's so foundational. Because you're dealing with something so true, so deep, so irrevocable, that one um, experience like that can change the course of your entire life. And so you can also have these hyperlucid dreams that are very similar to that. And the literature is replete with these accounts, especially the spiritual traditions, right. where people wake up in the morning, they are really different from the way they were when they went to sleep because they're working with such foundational dimensions of the mind. On Gaia News, they have discussed some scientific research on dreaming. Oh, fantastic. The lucid dream is a state of being aware that you're dreaming and possibly having some control over what happens in it. It is estimated that some 50% of people have had one, especially in childhood. 
Scientists have been studying this phenomenon for decades, but haven't been able to adequately explain it because a person's recounting of dreams upon waking is often unreliable. But recently, scientists have made a breakthrough by showing that people can both comprehend questions and provide answers to them all while they're dreaming. A team of international researchers studied 36 people with the goal of finding a way to communicate with them while they were dreaming. The results were groundbreaking. Charlie Morley is a dream researcher who teaches people how to lucid dream. He had this to say about the importance of the study. Up to this point, there's been no way to directly communicate to the lucid dreamer while they're in the lucid dream. You can give them instructions before, you can speak to them afterwards, but while they're in that internal virtual reality simulation of their own mind, there's a blackout in comms. The brilliant thing about this new study is that blackout was broken through. They could actually communicate to the lucid dreamer while they were inside the lucid dream. How exactly did they do this? What they've discovered is once you're in a lucid dream, you can actually direct your physical eyes at will. So using a form of literal Morse code, flicking the eyes left, right, up, down to indicate certain responses, they were able to communicate with the dreamer while they were still asleep. How did it enter the dream? Three main different ways. One person said it came through a car radio in the dream. Suddenly the radio station changed and they could hear the voice of the scientist. Another person said it was like the voice of God. It just came down from the sky. And another person said it was like a narrator in a film. They would then reply, yes, I can hear you by doing you know, two eye flicks to the left or whatever code they had pre-decided to indicate yes. You know, full on communication back and forth while the person is still in the dream. I think science is really going to get us these answers. I do too. It's so fun. These are all my friends. It's Your delightful. Buddies. That's They're my buddies. thought. It's really delightful to see them, isn't it? What are liminal beings? Liminal beings? Yeah. Uh, again, liminality, it's a, a very compelling, not only a state of consciousness, but a very compelling phenomenon. So liminal beings are those who just don't fit the standard mold. LGBTQ, I mean, the people, artists, creator types, um, people that you can't pigeonhole or shrink wrap into traditional categories. Right. So not only do you have liminal beings, liminal dreams, you also have liminal experiences. Like, for instance, when you fly home tonight, when you first arrive, you're not quite there, you're not quite here, you're on this kind of transitional space. Um, liminal uh, uh, places like hallways, um Workplaces, after hours, empty theaters, places that have a sense of transition are also liminal places. So liminality is, a, I think, a very compelling way to expand and open our minds to horizons beyond the usual conventional shrink wrapping. Of is it healthy? Is it healthy? Yeah. Oh, I think so, because what it does is it helps dislodge our exclusive identification with things, people, places, and the like. It creates a more fluid, open, kind of malleable relationship to phenomena. And it's like, this is, in fact, is deeply connected to dream yoga and ties into this wonderful maxim that I love so much, which is, you know, blessed are the flexible for they are never bent out of shape, right? So liminality really works with a type of flexibility of consciousness. You're, you're playing in the froth of perception, as it's sometimes said, or um, the plasma of mind, right? A, a kind of dimension of experience that's not quite fully formed. It's starting to what's called de-reify, a dimension of experience right. that's not so solid. And the minute we have that space, George, we're more tolerant and understanding of others. We're less 
concretized. We're, we're not as uptight. We're not as uptight, exactly. We're more playful. I think our common kind of affective or emotional kind of component of this is a more delightful, playful, childlike wonder in terms mm-hmm. of relating to the world. Because you realize on one level that this thing really is very much like a dream. And that is, in fact, what not just the Buddha, but really the non-dual wisdom masters have all proclaimed, that when you actually wake up to the nature of reality, you wake up to something that appears very dreamlike, fluid, malleable. And in, in, in Buddhist jargon, it's called emptiness. The, the world is empty of all our projections, our imputations, our hopes and fears. And therefore, we're much more responsive instead of reactive. If we hold our views too solidly, right, we get confrontational, defensive, offensive, reactive. Sure. So these practices that seem so esoteric actually have tremendous exoteric applications. Why are some people unable to remember their dreams? Yeah. Well, there's so many reasons. It's, it's like she was saying, we have at least five dream cycles a night. That's has, a lot. Yeah, exactly. Lot. First one is maybe 10 minutes. Then as we go through the night, um, you enter towards the end of the night, the fourth or fifth phase, 90-minute cycles, what I call prime time, dream time. You can be in REM for 90 minutes at a shot. So you can have long, lucid dreams. People don't remember them for a number of reasons. One is they're, they're not trained properly. Um, one is they don't want to remember. Stress tends to reduce uh, a recall in that sense. But the good thing about all this is that you can actually train yourself. These are things that can be um, exercised. How would you do that? Well, first and foremost is intentionality. Intentionality um, comes from a root, very interesting etymology, comes from a root that means to stretch towards. And so what you want to do here is kind of like consciousness hacking. You want to stretch the conscious mind into previously unconscious domains. You want to stretch lucidity, which is just a code word for awareness, into previously non-lucid or non-aware states, i.e. sleep and dream. And so intentionality is is massive. I've, I've actually been to some dream yoga trainings with uh, dream yoga meditation masters. That's the only instruction they give. So the power of intentionality, tonight I'm really going to remember my dreams. You can also start to dream journal. That's been proven. That works. Totally that works. works. You, totally works. You keep a journal at your bedside. You put your money where your mouth is. You start to record snippets of dreams. If you have even the slightest recollection of a dream, you stay with that recollection and kind of like picking up the sense. You know, you, you go, oh, there's that image. Close your eyes. Turn the lens of your mind in. Turn the mind back in. And then throughout the day, what you can do is you can literally just stop, pause, turn your mind back in and say, okay, what was I just thinking for the last 30 seconds? Most of the time we live our lives non-lucidly. And that's the really important thing here. The whole kind of fruition, especially of dream yoga, is what's called bidirectionality. Lucid dreaming leads to lucid living. Let's look more at lucid dreaming with the Gaia program Microdose and discuss some interesting facts about that. Love it. This ability for the dreamer to be aware that he or she is dreaming is called lucid dreaming. In this state of awareness, the dreamer can learn and receive guidance from the dream narrative, environment, and even the dream characters. The term lucid dreaming was coined by a Dutch psychiatrist named Friedrich van Eden in 1913. However, early references to this phenomenon can be found in ancient Greek writings, as well as in ancient Hindu and Buddhist practices. 
1975, parapsychologist Keith Hearn proved that people can be conscious in their dreams by having his test subjects give coded eye signals while they were dreaming, thus proving that they were lucid. When people were in the dream state, they were able to communicate by moving their eyes right, left, right, left, you know, going back and forth. This was conscious signaling from the lucid dream state world to the lab test? Yes, and that was what demonstrated Mm -hmm. that lucid dreaming was a reality. Before jumping into how to lucid dream, are there any actual benefits to learning this practice? Well, studies show that lucid dreaming can literally rewire your brain. During normal dreaming, the part of your brain called the visual cortex is activated, and your prefrontal cortex, which is associated with your sense of self, is deactivated. But during a lucid dream, your prefrontal cortex suddenly gets activated. Once the prefrontal cortex is activated, neuroplasticity becomes activated too. And this is where it gets really interesting. Neuroplasticity, of course, the phenomena of the brain to rewire itself in favor of a repeated action or habit. What you do in the lucid dream, how you spend the lucid dream, actually rewires your brain in favor of that activity. This means that you can learn in your lucid dreams. Fascinating work, Andrew. And I have to say one thing about the prefrontal cortex, George. Um, coming back to... Um, hey, where is that? On the hip. Well, let me explain. This is really interesting. So remember that uh, proclamation from Matthew Walker, you know, the possibility that lucid dreamers represent the next iteration in Homer. Right. So check this out. So the most um, evolutionary, most recent evolutionary advances in neuroanatomy and the brain structure are, in fact, the frontal cortex. It's a, If you could take your eyes and roll them straight up, that's what you would see. Huh. This is why when you uh, uh, you look at an ape their head slopes back because they don't have that part they of the brain. Have that. So check this out. So when you come back online in a lucid dream, as the video was just suggesting, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the precuneus, and the orbital frontal cortex, they come back online in a lucid dream. So there's actually neurological and neuroanatomical footing to Matthew Walker's claim that the most recent evolutionary advances literally in the brain structure what's called metacognitive um, capacities of the brain, are exactly the parts that come back online when you're having a lucid dream. Does brain damage, a tumor, affect that? Yes, it can. Um, There's been some very interesting um, studies going back all the way to Phineas Cage, who had a a rod shot through his prefrontal cortex. So it does. There there are organic disorders. There are obviously TBIs, traumatic brain injuries, and the like that actually can radically affect that. But Given enough time, the adaptivity, the malleability of the brain, as you know, certain other aspects of the brain can come in to take over. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful uh, miracle of the evolutionary trajectory altogether. But to me, I, I find this, as uh, Charlie was saying so beautifully, this to me is worth putting an exclamation point on because many people are wondering, like, again, why should I do this? Why should I bother? Well, Think about what you could do here. We enter the dream state. My dear friend Stephen LaBerge, who from Stanford proved it in 77. Keith Hearn did it in 75 in England. We enter the dream state about 500,000 times. In an average lifetime, that amounts to at least six years in the dream state. That's a long time. You can get a PhD in less than six years. Yeah. So if you attain lucidity, and this is why I think what Matthew was really saying, I, I completely stand behind it. Potentially, these nocturnal meditations, in fact, represent the pedagogy of the future. 
once the induction methods are refined, once, um, and this is a great contribution from the West, the East has marvelous what are called phenomenological techniques, first-person meditative techniques. Can you train someone to lucid dream? That, that's exactly where I was going to go with this. Absolutely. And that is, in fact, what makes lucid dreaming, and in particular, dream yoga, an actual practice. So there's a whole battery of both Eastern and Western approaches that you can use to not only increase your uh, um, recollection of dream, for your uh, the incidence of lucidity in the dream state, incidences of hyperlucidity, and then eventually that even matures into lucidity in the deep dreamless state. And this is where this material transitions. I didn't get to the fifth of the nocturnal practices. This is a purely Tibetan contribution. The fifth one is called Bardo Yoga. Bardo is a, a Tibetan word very similar to liminal, that basically, if you believe in this sort of thing, refers to the gaps between lives, between incarnations. Uh-huh. And so therefore the fruition of all these practices, and in fact, somewhat in the, in the, uh, Kind of lens of uh, Hegel, this Hegelian notion of transcend but include, each succeeding practice transcends but includes its predecessor, which means bardo yoga transcends but includes sleep yoga, dream yoga, lucid dreaming, and luminal dreaming. And so the great gift here is that these practices, according especially to the Tibetan view, can radically help you prepare for death. And this is this is even suggested in, in uh, Western intellectual thought. I mean, Thanatos, the Greek god of death, Hypnos, the Greek god of sleep, they're not just brothers, they're twins. So there's a very intimate connection between sleeping, dreaming, and dying. And so what the Tibetans do, and there are others as well, but the Islamic tradition has a dream yoga tradition. I've been in contact with Islamic scholars, the uh, Jewish tradition. Uh, Dying is like lucid dreaming. Dying is very much like lucid dreaming. And so, as I mentioned earlier, not only do we have this bidirectional thing where lucid dreaming can lead to lucid living, well, it's actually tridirectional, which means lucid dreaming can lead to lucid dying. It's what we started talking about at the outset. Conscious dreaming can lead to conscious dying because you're working, arguably, according to these wisdom traditions, with the same dimensions of mind. And so, therefore, if you can attain lucidity, in fact, in the great tantric uh, traditions of what's called the Enigma school, if you contain lucidity, it's an archetypal number. They say seven times, but we're not to take it too literally. It just means with some constancy. What they argue is that the same proficiency you develop in the nighttime dream then extends into the dream at the end of time. And therefore, you can have a lucid conscious dying experience where you maintain awareness throughout the entire death trajectory. And this is where the great, this is a little bit of a sidebar topic, but this is where the great texts like the Tibetan Book of the Dead come from, right. the great masters who maintain lucidity, who can actually come back like travel guides and basically share what they experience in that space. Well, we have the same mind as the Buddha. We have the same mind as these great masters. We just need to train it. We just need to cultivate it. And that's why this is not just a rhetoric or metaphysical mumbo-jumbo. This is a pedagogical approach. It's a real deal. This is a real deal. If you engage in the methods... And the West has some really interesting contributions here. You can engage in lucidity every single night, um, transform. In fact, let me share one experience with you, George. I was teaching a program where I mentioned to this woman, actually to this class, that it's actually entirely entirely possible that you're already having lucid dreams, but you don't know it. Um, technically, for the deeper divers... Well, now that's a conflict, isn't well, it? Well, this is, this is a... Because a, a, a lucid dream, you do know it. 
But it, it, the difference here, and this is we're throwing into the mix, um, there's a difference between what philosophers call access conscious, consciousness and phenomenal consciousness. What that means is you can have the experience. That's the phenomenal consciousness. Right. But you may not be able to access it actively in memory. That is very interesting to me. And so when I was telling um, this program, this class about this process, one woman came up to me afterwards and she said, you know, I think you might have helped me understand something I haven't been able to understand. That Over the last six months, I'm mysteriously getting better at this particular thing. And I think now what's happening is I'm actually doing this in my dream state and it's transforming my ability to do it in waking life. So, dream yoga. Let's talk about that. And the Gaia program, Psychedelica, which talks about the dream world. Oh, fantastic. Every night when we lay down our day and exit the familiar world of waking consciousness, we set sail for the other shore. The dream world comes alive. How did our ancient ancestors view this space? Considered to be the oldest continuous culture on the planet, the originals of what is now called Australia believe that all creation was birthed from what the West termed as the dreaming, the creation of the world, the origins of knowledge. The indigenous tribes of Australia would use shamanic ceremonies and miming dances to enter this space in which all ancestors and all information was attainable. The Westerners who attempted to translate the meaning of this space called it dream time. Even in the Americas, accessing the dreaming realm was a known phenomena among the indigenous. Indigenous people of this continent are all from the same DNA lineage. It varies, of course, but there is a common DNA thread of all the indigenous people. Basically, they're all related, and all of them had access to what we call dream time. Now, dream time is where the humans have access to information that exists in interdimensional spheres. And the way this was utilized in pre-American times in pre-Hispanic times, before the colonization and the Christianization and all this where they viewed this as diabolical or useless, was that they would find individuals that had this ability to remember their dreams and to be aware in their dreams. And they would group them into dreamer societies. And they would forge a physical unity through certain dances, through certain songs, through drumming practices. And then they were going to the dream time where they could access visions of the future, visions of the past, visions of other places. What are some of the aspects of all of this? Oh my goodness, this is, uh, so much comes to mind here. One, one thing that immediately I have to say is that this is, is, um, these practices because they're working with unconscious dimensions of the mind and neuroscience these days argues very cogently that at least 95% of what we do is actually dictated by unconscious processes, which lends tremendous new meaning to what Christ allegedly said on the cross, right? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And so what you're doing when you're working with this stuff is you're bringing these unconscious processes into the light of consciousness, 
And in particular, what's very powerful is you are revealing a host of blind spots. And one of the most insidious of all blind spots is uh, actually a type of discrimination that we all suffer from in the West, and we don't even know it. It's like what uh, it, they often attribute it to Mark Twain, but Josh Billings actually said it. It's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you do know that just ain't so. <laughs> in other words, the things you take as axiomatic, the things you take or as a given, given, they're not givens. They're, it's called the myth of the given. And right. so the reason this is important is that George um, Laughlin, uh, uh, a neuroanthropologist, has done a very interesting set of studies, and he estimates that outside of European cultures, there's some 4,000 indigenous cultures worldwide, 90% of them are what are called polyphasic. In other words, they derive their insights into mind and reality from all dimensions of consciousness like this. In the West, we are monophasic. We're wake-centric. We derive our insights from mind and reality from the waking state. And so, therefore, we're, we're leaving out temporal or categorically two-thirds of reality. And this is exactly what this video revealed. So by engaging in these practices, we actually start to realize, oh, my gosh, the aperture of my awareness is so constricted. The lens of my mind is so small. It's like the only thing that's valid and that's worth discovering is what shines itself in the light of the day, the diurnal activities. And what these practices point out, go, you know, you're shortchanging yourself. You're leaving out sure. two-thirds of reality. Look how much you can experience and learn if you maintain lucidity in the dream state and in the sleep state. And so, again, it just lends more credibility to how we're sitting on top of this vast, untapped natural resource, which is our unconscious mind. And these practices allow us to bring all these unconscious processes into the light of consciousness. They reveal a host of blind spots and therefore allow you to see things that you've actually never seen before. And so the analogy I give, George, is like if we were to take every light in the studio and just hit it full on, super bright, and we're hanging out in this super bright room for, I don't know, half an hour, and then all of a sudden there's a total blackout, right? For the first couple of minutes, you're not going to see a thing. Why? Because your pupils are so constricted, you can't see. But what happens, you relax, patient. And it illuminates. Everything dilates. That dilation is a dilation of the aperture of awareness itself. So as the mind, as the eye relaxes, you start to see things that have always been there, but you hadn't seen them before because your lens, the aperture of your awareness was too constricted. And so as we learn to step into the dark, into the nocturnal arena, which is where we go when nature, when we abide by the natural curfew of the night, that's the other thing that's happening. Especially in the West, light pollution is running rampant in this age. I think every year, an um, annual increase of at least 6% increase in light over each year. Over each year. It's having a massive damaging effect on the ecosystem, on our psyches and whatnot. And so as we violate the natural curfew of the night, which invites us in, when it gets dark, we get inside. When we go to bed, we go inside even further. We're missing out on this profound opportunity for growth. And even Pierre Deschardins, the great anthropologist, once said very, very compellingly, Evolution hasn't stopped, connecting it to the earlier statement. It's only moved indoors. And so the evolutionary trajectory now is taking place where? At the arena of the mind. And so these practices have so much applicability in this modern age to allow us to add a night shift, to go to night school, 
to bring about this vast uh, natural resource, tap into it, bring it into the light of consciousness, and fulfill the Socratic injunction. Remember where he says, know thyself. So, Andrew, where does this all take us, this lucid dream state? Ah, great question, George. I think what it does, here's the way I look at it. It's like walking a labyrinth into the center of yourself, discovering as you take this nocturnal journey every night, dimensions of our identity, dimensions of our being that have previously been restricted. So as I mentioned earlier, it's a kind of consciousness hacking, right? We're hacking into previously unconscious domains of mind as a way to accelerate evolution and development. But here's where it gets really interesting. Because not only does this ladder kicker, Here's the kicker. Not only does this labyrinth take you into the center of yourself, but it also doubles as a Mobius strip. So I'm bringing two metaphors into play. By going so deeply into the center of yourself, well, guess what happens? Like a Mobius strip, you find yourself coming back out. Why is it that in our dream state, we can accomplish things we can't do when we're awake? Oh, it's because we're actually tapping into the more fluid dreamlike dimension of reality. And so this is a great topic, George, that the fundamental nature of the fabric of reality, especially according to the Tibetan tradition, the term is emptiness. It's a challenging term to understand, but emptiness really translates as openness, as malleability, as flexibility, as interdependence. And so by exploring these dimensions, you not only open to yourself and tap into these natural resources, but George, you find that You are deeply, inextricably connected to every other sentient being on this planet. Because your story is different than mine. We don't live the same lives. No. But the nature of our being is the same. But it works. It works. And so I've tried it a lot. It works. Exactly. And so by understanding yourself, you know, know thyself, when you understand your heart and mind so profoundly, well, guess what happens? You understand the hearts and minds of all beings on this planet. And so, therefore, the fruition of this is tremendous compassion, kindness, tolerance, empathy, openness towards others, because you realize in, in the most immediate first-person way that we share the same bed of mind. Every night, we drop into the same bed of mind, the same fundamental matrix of mind. And it's only when we come up out of that state with a type of amnesia, non-lucidly, that we forget the universality and the commonality of the human condition. That fundamentally we are, as the Dalai Lama says so beautifully, you know, we all fundamentally, we're all the same. We all want to be happy. That's the bottom line. We all want to avoid suffering. And so this is a beautiful place to come full circle because these teachings, again, it can seem so esoteric and so otherworldly. They have tremendous applicability to benefiting ourselves, others, and the planet itself. Andrew, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. George, it's been such a delight. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Lucid dreaming. When you realize that you are dreaming in a dream, you can do incredible things. Try it. I'm George Norrie. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. Oh, my. I mean, that's right down my my good red road, you might say. <laughs> um, that was well done. That was well done. 
Okay. So here we go. This is the last one for this lovely evening. Um, it's called Galactic Messages. Uh, and this is also with uh, Gosia Dusek. Um, what are the differences between dimensions and densities? According to Swaru'u of Era, the words dimension and densities are merely tools humans use to help conceptualize our universe, which is a range of frequencies. As Swaru'u communicates to contactee Gosia Dusek, densities refer to differing frequencies, cycles per second of oscillations within the atomic structure of matter. Swaru'u explains that Tejetans Right, is that right, Rama? Tejetans uh-huh. are in 5D, oscillating faster than humans in 3D, providing an in-depth perspective on the distinctions between 3, 4, and 5D and beyond. Swaru'u and Gosia reveal details about each density. The beings and the creatures beyond, Swaru'u and Gosia reveal the, excuse me, and creatures existing within each frequency range and how all frequencies form an inseparable gradient. Are we ready, Ram? Yeah. It's coming. you again. Today we will talk about the densities. First, I would like to clarify why you prefer to call them densities and not dimensions. 
doesn't have to do with not wanting to be mixing it up with our mathematical perception of dimensions? Yes. Dimensions are for me more like talking about geometric and mathematics. One dimension is a line, X. Two dimension is a grid on a flat surface, X, Y. Third dimension is a position within a square using the X, Y and Z lines. So this has nothing or not much to do with what we are talking about, as in 2D, 3D and 5D frequency realms. Humans confuse dimensions with densities. In Earth physics, they see a square on a paper as a 2D object. A 3D square is a cube. A 4D square is a tesseract. And they go on to 8D geometry, all based on mathematics. But you must notice that they are all physical objects that have nothing to do with what I've been talking about. Okay, so what are you referring then when you talk about densities? What are they? I will make it simple. There are no densities. Okay, so what do you refer to then when you say 3D, 5D, 7D, etc.? All those numbers, first, second, third, fourth, fifth density, are only concepts humans came up with as an attempt to understand something bigger than themselves. It's only one great potential energy curve from slow frequency to very high frequency. Take a ruler. Your third density is only between centimeter three and centimeter four. All the rest is what humans cannot see and cannot understand. They cannot see it because they do not have the frequency to see it. Imagine a car running so fast that you can barely see it. If it runs even faster, you will no longer see it. So it's not in your frequency. But if you jump into another car and go next to it as fast, that same car will appear as if it was stopped, motionless. So densities could be regarded as lower or higher frequencies then? Correct. A frequency is a density. And a density is a range of a frequency. So 3D is only within a certain vibration frequency. And what is that? The cycles per second of the oscillations of the atomic structure of matter. 
So, your frequency is higher, yes? I mean, faster. Yes, 5D matter oscillates much faster than in 3D. So, there is no frontier between the densities. It's all one gradient, one whole universe, oneness, source. People in each density can only see what is in their range of perception. Things that are strange for you, strange and not empirically provable, are simple life facts for me. It's all a gradient of frequency, like the dial in your radio. lighter version of 3D. It's what they call the astral or lower astral. It's just a frequency above 3D. And there are many creatures, many scary ones in 4D. But people cannot see them even if they do interact with them every day. Now, 4D is the frontier or frequency border between 5D, normal space, normal existence, and 3D. Take it as a buffer zone, not quite 3D, not quite 5D. Now, someone in 5D can perceive everything in 4D, 3D, 2D, and 1D but not 6D and above, because number 5 is made of numbers 1, 2, 3, and 4, and itself 5. When you are in any density, you are in a frequency match to it. So, as with the example of the cars, you can see what's there because you are moving as fast as the rest in that particular frequency. What creatures occupy the 4D? And can they see us? Fourth can see the third, but not fifth. So the lizards in 4D cannot touch us, Tigetans. But we can them. So that's a great advantage. All kinds of creatures. See it as populated by as many variations of creatures you have in 3D, but different. You have astral slugs, leeches in your etheric field, all kinds of parasitic creatures. Why do they get born in 4D? and not in 3 or 5D. Because 4D was a match for their consciousness. It's same with any other density. There are all kinds of beautiful creatures there as well. Things that people see as mythology only. Creatures like elves, trolls, dragons, 
fairies and so many birds you don't have in 3D. And the beings who occupy the 4D, are they stuck there too? How come they are limited to 4D? They cannot see beyond 4D. Did this happen as a result of locking us in the 3D? The 3D lock on Earth affects their existence too, in other words? Correct. They will also be free. Reptilian consciousness is locked in 4D, even if they are 3D creatures as well. See 4D as the zone where the matrix frequency is getting weaker, so it cannot suppress 5D enough and the frequency compatible to 4D. The 4D leaks into existence. 4D is not supposed to exist, yet it does because the system is not perfect. So it cannot suppress all the 5D frequencies, only some of them in certain areas. So those are the 4D or weak matrix areas. Imagine stars, for example, being 5D. On a clear day, you cannot see them because the sun is too bright and it outshines them. You cannot see the stars, but they are still there. But sometimes you can see the moon, not as clear as at night, but it's there. As the sun is not bright enough to completely hide it for D. Are people there in the 4D? Examples of 4D people would be the Agarthians. Okay. As we ascend, will we be able to see all those 4D creatures? Elves, gnomes, etc.? Yes, and it's already happening. That's why people see strange creatures all over the place. Is the fourth density where we go when we sleep? When you sleep, you go anywhere your consciousness and your frequency and frequency you have at that moment may take you. You are source there. You are free. That's why you manifest anything you want, because you are in a very high density and on the other side. The only reason you are manifesting 3D-like dreams, like cars, trees, water, or a city street, is because that's what your awareness and focus is on, because you are having a 3D experience. It's said on Earth that when you sleep, you go to some specific astral realm. Again, that's how humans and their dissecting ideas limit things. What about 1D and 2D? What is that? So there are three related ways of seeing densities. One, the human math way. Two, 
the survival mode consciousness way. Three, the frequency ever increasing curve. As in the way to look at densities number two. In 1D, you are a mineral. You are and you don't know that you are. 1D would be like quartz crystals. 2D is a state of consciousness, thinking very linear, enclosed in duality, not thinking of other options, very down to survival only. Many creatures live like that. I would say many people as well. Yes, they are. Because their consciousness is still stuck in 2D or lower 3D. In 2D, you are only starting to be aware that you are something separate to the others. In 3D, for example, they tend to think only in three ways. Can I eat that? Can that eat me? And can I meet with that? 2D is only die or survive mode. 3D is more of a die, survive or thrive. Thrive would be mating. 3D, you have an identity as you know now that you are an ego. You are you and there are others. 4D, you know there is more, but you have an ego, an identity. You are starting to be aware that you are not only you, but you are part of others. 5D, you have a clear identity, but no longer an ego as such. And you might know your other identities as well. You are more of a conscious self, an I, and you are aware that you both are you and you are others as well. Which one is the way you perceive it? Because from your explanation, I see it as a mix of number two and three, consciousness state and frequency rate. With the two, probably being strictly related. My mind sees things holographically. I include all three descriptions as attempts to understand the same. I cannot separate them. I use parts of each one as I need and when I need to describe a density. I see them all as parts of the explanation. If I had to choose, I would choose the spiritual explanation. Now, let's move on to the 60 and above. What's in 60? And can you communicate with beings there? Only if they want to. See it as the 5D astral, as 4D is for 3D. It's there, but not entirely physical from my point of view. 
although from their perspective, they are physical. The higher you go, the less dense you are and rules change. You may still look like you have a body, but you are nearly entirely energy. Manifestation of an intention. Eternal and conscious that you are. So, material universe in your universe is mostly 5D. But there are other material universes. Yes, they are material, but only from their perspective. From ours, they are energy. Not in this plane. Outside the rules we follow in the material world. As I said, it's a gradient, so it never ends, as it probably goes in a circle spiral where, at a point in one universe, the highest part is the lower part of another, or probably the same one, both apply. A circle, a spiral. And it can also be seen that you are reaching source, yes. But as it's a spiral, probably source can never be reached. Better said, source is all-inclusive. Those are the realms of light beings who only take a shape when they want to. Like when they want to talk to you. Some examples are many, Yena, Alcione, mainly. Also, many Ameli from Aldebaran. You can reach Source because you already are Source. And there are no other universes. It is all one big wholeness. If they are others, then they are again parts of the whole I'm talking about. Have you ever talked to them? They are those who guide us all the time. And yes, I have talked to a 670 being not long ago. Do you have conversations with them like us now or telepathically? And did you see them? In astral only. You mean your astral, 60? Yes, 60, 70 astral. Sometimes they may hack our communication devices. But there. You must raise your frequency and they must lower theirs in order to interface, to connect. Perhaps 
you are stuck there, like us here, due to something they have done, locking you in the 5D, or you think existing within 5D is something natural? As there is no time there, there is no point in solving a problem in their past, because there is no past for them, not even perceptually. 5D is the natural manifestation into matter of an etheric being. But I understood they also have matter. Only from their point of view. 7D, there is only energy and consciousness. There is matter only as the result of an intention to manifest in the hard matter universe such as 5D. It's with intent. Only with intent. You said earlier that frequency is oscillations of matter. Does matter at some point disappear completely? Or is it always matter for the level it occupies? Yes. When matter oscillates too fast, it becomes energy. So it gradually stops being solid and becomes only potential energy. There, you must focus a lot with intent, so matter manifests in the spot and shape you want it to. They just are, and they know. They are no longer interested in anything matter can give them as an experience. They are pure consciousness. There is no matter at any point or density. Matter is only an idea, a concept held by consciousness with intent. You now said there you must focus a lot with intent. So matter manifests in the spot and shape you wanted to. But that shape, will it still be 7D or will it manifest in 5D? It will be any density, including 3D. You don't have to focus anything or on anything. You only have to be yourself and everything will fall into place around you. I guess I'm trying to determine at what D matter ceases to exist as we know it. I would say during the transition between 60 and 70, matter stops existing at any point the consciousness of the observer decides it is so. It is not something fixed. It is relative to the observer and its ideas as matter is only that, an idea. Do they have individualized perception of self? The self starts to evaporate as you feel you are everyone. And that defines your new expanded self. At what D does it happen? 
you can notice that even in 5D, where you are starting to manage being more than one person at a time, it happens gradually. That happens in or at any density. It is relative to the observer's consciousness. From what you told me earlier, you experienced yourself as a 7D being in another existence. How do you remember the 7D plane? I remember that it was thick in love and peace. As in so much, you could wrap yourself with it as a warm blanket. I remember that everything I wanted or needed was met instantly. I could see all around at once, and I could enjoy everything at once. A feeling that you are and you don't need anything, because you are everything. You are the planets. You are the interstellar dust. You are the grass in a faraway world. Every little creature, big and small, you can access that at the same time. Be all that at the same time. Completing you, every memory of them all in you, making you, and you are aware of it all because it's all happening as there is no time. You just are. No words suffice. No words. Consciousness is not limited to one particular density. Why doesn't the perception go up there? Why does it stay within 3D, 5D, if our higher being is there anyway? We are all standing waves. A standing wave is an energy concept, where potential energy scattered all over. Will tend to concentrate in one point, because that point is receiving a lot of attention. You are a standing wave, because you are used to giving attention to your present identity as Gosha, your ego, and I as Zvaru, my ego. When we let go of all attachments, and we just are, we can access other points of attention or standing waves. We can be whoever we want to be. In order to do that, you must be in a higher dimension like the 7D. Potential energy will manifest into matter with and as the result. Of an attention creation intention of a consciousness. How do we stop giving attention to our ego vehicles so we can move the wave? Transcending what you are, understanding 
that you are so much more. Letting go of the ego, that is only the result of the destruction of the self during deep meditation or when you finally pass on. You don't have to transcend anything. You need to assimilate everything. You are all. You don't need to reject your lower density self. There is nothing wrong with your 3D or 5D vehicles or bodies. They are you as well. But you are also so much more. Never reject your body. Add it into all what you are. Before we incarnated into 3D or 5D, there was something in our 7D consciousness and above that pushed our attention out. I guess it all goes back to the question of why the source pushed itself out. The intention to create something else, something more. Enlightenment. In a space where time does not exist, everything is already created. You don't create anything. It is already there. But the fact that everything exists then holds the argument that then it is only the level of consciousness of the observer who goes rediscovering what already is. Because the whole source, if it is the sum of everything that exists, then the parts are also contained in the whole. So seeing something limited is only a reflection of a particular limited point of view. Before doing that, pushing itself out, we, as the higher density consciousness, the source, we didn't know it would be hard to pull back in again, or did we know it? The source we did know, quite sure. It's source anyway, and I am sure the purpose of the adventure is to bring itself together again. As you bring yourself together again, you are more expanded. Although this is touching the realm of nobody knows exactly, including us. Okay, everybody. This, I'm just going to read something here from yesterday. Um, it's the Oracle Report. And I thought it was interesting. Uh, uh, we're talking about Mother Russia in the news a lot. And they bring Mother Russia up in this article. Um it's called A Lady Wrapped in Fox Fur. 
And uh, the Zolkine sacred count is three read, R-E-E-D, come together right now over me, <laughs> right now. Mm. Mm. Moon is in Capricorn. That was, again, it was yesterday. But, uh, this is always still integrating. Third quarter moon phase. Take personal responsibility. Complete. <coughs> Excuse me. Higher octaves. Step by step. Discipline. Self-control. Concentration. Rallying. Keep it simple. Instruments. Measuring. Excuse me. Seeing ahead. Inner work. Intelligence. The mission is to be sensitive toward others. Simplify. So today is Ladies' Day. Yesterday was Ladies' Day. Okay. Number one. Sun at a girl blowing a bugle. Two. Earth at a girl taking her first dancing instruction. Three. Venus and Mars at a woman entering a convent. Whoops. <laughs> Four. <coughs> Jupiter at... A lady wrapped in fox fur. And five, North Node at an old Indian woman selling beads. This means the day decidedly leans toward the Divine Feminine. The Divine Feminine equals Russia. The, the New World Order hates Russia. Slash women because Yaldabaoth, the demiurge, hated women. Yaldabaoth is the ancient Gnostic name of Satan. What's that? Oh, Rama. Yaldabaoth hated the Aeon Sophia because she was his. Source. Oh my. In order to rein him in at, as the time was right, Sophia created ten subparts of herself, each with her different traits. These are the Mahavidyas, as this was the last culture that recognized them in pre-Vedic times. Mm. History now distorts them as witches, yet they are actually fierce angels. They do everything they can to help us understand the archons and how to eradicate them now that Yeldabaoth has excited the scene. Humanity, the host... Huh? Oh, exited. Oh, excuse me. You're right, Rama. Yaldabaoth has exited the scene. Very good. Humanity, the host for the parasite, is repelling the inner archon lodged in our shadow side. Wise owls 
have been making friends and integrating their shadow sides in order to become whole, sovereign. We seek freedom from this disease because the archons went wild and have screwed up the world. The world is learning about archons, yet it does not understand from where they came. To take that in, according to the Gnostics, you have to understand that, quote, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. The Gnostics are misunderstood as well. The Mahavidyas guide us. We have just discovered what lies at the bottom of the pool of Pluto, the underworld. It is a light, a wormhole. This brings us to Itzhak Bentov. Or is it Isaac Bentov? Yeah, isn't it? Isaac. Mm -hmm. Spells it a little different. On Amazon, there are... Uh, there is a $2.99 documentary from Adam to Cosmos, Evolution of Consciousness as a New Model of the Universe, produced by his wife. You cannot help except be happy by watching Isaac or reading his books, for that matter. He liked to draw, to explain his theories. I have mentioned him several times over the years. Yet the time is now to understand what he's, he was saying. The way Isaac describes the cosmos is from a balanced perspective of divine feminine and divine masculine. We see it as Eastern or feminine inspired because they are only used to the Static empirical science of the West or the masculine inspired. It is important for us to understand what is actually happening to the consciousness of this planet. A merger is happening, feminine and masculine, East and West, imaginative and productive, yin and young are blending. We have to be able to be receptive to the other side, no matter what it is. Then we can handle anything. As we travel through the wormhole, we come back to the beginning in a new way. We see what needs to be rectified. Our consciousness becomes refined enough to deal with what do what what to do with the problem the leftover new world order minions of the late Yalabayot today and through Monday Jupiter is discharging quote a lady wrapped in fox fur who is out foxing everyone Putin yesterday I was talking to Anna and called Putin Pluto a Freudian slip. Putin seems Pluton seems to fit. False flags come with this Sabian symbol of the lady wrapped in a fox fur. Yet what also comes is 
the intelligence and the wit to see through false flags. Everything will be blamed on Russia. It's what the New World Order does with the feminine. This is very good. Hold on a second. A couple more paragraphs here. From today's space weather on PIR, so that my diversion into the cosmos can keep you on the ground, today we are putting a bigger picture together, or we are becoming dedicated to a bigger picture. The sun is discharging the symbol of, quote, a girl blowing a bugle. This is a giant wake-up call for humanity, a call from the spirit of liberty. Mercury gives us the sensitivity to perceive subtle changes in this world and in our own lives. Jupiter has moved to the symbol of, quote, a lady wrapped in fox fur and will be discharging this through Monday. So what's going on right now? With this and multiple other aspects in effect, false flags are highlighted. The higher octave of, quote, a lady wrapped in fox fur is the intelligence to not be outfoxed. Mercury and Uranus are still aspecting, so we know that things can come from out of the blue. As things become too complex or the pressure starts to increase for us, return to innocence and simplify. And that's the word here from the Oracle Report, and I'm passing this uh, for the good word from our sister Rainbird, the final, final word <laughs> of the evening, with angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, Hobbits and Menahoodies, here they come to you, Rainbird. Here's that talking stick. Okay, I got it. Thank you. And thank you. What what a fun day. Lots of good stuff. And just really enjoyed everything that I was awake for. <laughs> There's always that. <laughs> oh. But, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> It was delightful to be here and do what we did and looking forward to what's next and knowing that we got lots to do to hold the to hold the light throughout the week. So lots of help to do it with Cheryl calls and all that. So I'm passing this talking stick over to you. Thank you very much. Here it goes. Hey Rama. Rama. Yeah, thank you, Rainbird. <laughs> what do we have here, Commander? This is Alan Watts, Why Your Life Matters, The Deep Structure of Existence. Okay, here we go, everybody. Underneath the superficial self, 
which pays attention to this and that. There is another self, more really us than I. And if you become aware of that unknown self, the more you become aware of it, the more you realize that it is inseparably connected with everything else that there is. That you are a function of this total galaxy bounded by the Milky Way and that furthermore this galaxy is a function of all other galaxies. And that vast thing that you see far off, far off, far off with telescopes and you look and look and look, one day you're going to wake up and say, why, that's me. And in knowing that, know, you see, that you never die. That you are the eternal thing that comes and goes, that appears now as John Jones, now as Mary Smith, now as Betty Brown, so it goes forever, forever, forever. experience you are having, which you call ordinary everyday consciousness, pretending you're not it, that experience is exactly the same thing as it. There's no difference at all. See, the source of all light is in the eye. If there were no eyes in this world, the sun would not be light. You evoke light out of the universe. In the same way, you, by virtue of having a soft skin, evoke hardness out of wood. Wood is only hard in relation to a soft skin. It's your eardrum that evokes noise out of the air. You, by being this organism, call into being the whole universe of light and color and hardness and heaviness and everything. You see? see? Thank you. 
Namashivaya, everyone. See you on that bridge and in your dreams. It is really close. Times are changing. Sat Nam. Nam Ji. Okay, everyone. Until we meet again and come to see our sister Cheryl. It's it's just time to come together, as it's said in that oracle report. And this would be a really good way to come together. So let me give you that phone number one more time. And it's tomorrow and Monday evening, about 7 o'clock our time, Mountain Time, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific. And the number is 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. See you in your dreams. Aloha. Aloha. Amen. Um.